everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another live stream, all day stream from Law of Self Defense. I am, of course, attorney Andrew Branca for Law of Self Defense. Thank you. Thank you. You're all so generous. I can't, I can't thank you all enough. Uh, and we're here today, of course, to again cover the Dean Cummings trial. We're still playing catch up. Uh, so most of what we'll cover today will be uh, yesterday's proceedings. We have a, a little bit to cover from even the day prior to that. We'll be going through at one and a quarter speed, so hopefully we'll catch up. Dean Cummings, of course, is the former uh, famous skier. Not famous to me, but apparently that's what he was famous for, doing helicopter skiing up in Alaska. He had a concession up there. Uh, but more recently, uh, he moved back to New Mexico, where I guess he was raised, uh, went to buy some property from a local resident just west of Los Alamos, New Mexico. They got into a confrontation. Dean Cummings says that the other fellow, uh, Guillermo Ariola, the landowner trying to sell 16 acres of what looks like a desolate desert property in New Mexico, um, attacked him, physically attacked him in a small trailer, uh, pummeled him about the head with an object that he later discovered was a, a mace canister. Um, he Dean says he felt uh, uh, as if he were sprayed with mace and the stinging and all that kind of stuff. So Dean, uh, in the midst of this fight, retrieved a uh, rifle, a semi-automatic rifle of uh, Sig Sauer manufacturer. The men fought over control of the rifle, during which the rifle was discharged 10 times. Two of those rounds uh, would strike uh, Ariola, uh, mortally wounding him, and Dean Cummins would then... Um, eventually, a little bit later, he would call 911. There was no cell reception there, so he leaves the property. He encounters somebody taking a motorcycle ride, a witness we heard from yesterday, um, and uh, asked that fellow to call 911, and the police were called and came to the scene. But in any case, now the, uh, the state of New Mexico is not happy with uh, Dean Cummings' narrative of self-defense. Uh, they've charged him with murder. They've charged him with uh, voluntary manslaughter as a mitigated form of murder based on adequate provocation presumably the fight. Uh, they've also charged him with tampering with evidence because he rinsed his face and clothing of what he claims was the uh, mace chemical agent. Uh, and they uh, charged him with um, failing to identify himself to police, uh, which is a odd charge because it seems, he, I mean, he identified himself on the 911 call. He gave police his name, but apparently once the police were on scene, he didn't want to talk very much, which is certainly understandable. And so that led to the um, the uh, claim by one of the officers that he basically had obstructed uh, justice by not adequately identifying himself to responding officers, even though other officers were given his name. So we're going to be live streaming catch up uh, a bit from uh, the day before yesterday. Most of uh, most of what we'll cover today will be yesterday. And I have invited a bunch of other uh, attorneys and uh, other friends of the law self-defense community to pop on the show if and when they have the opportunity. I don't know that anybody will. Um, it's just an open invitation. We'll have to see people will pop in opportunistically or not uh, as their schedule and their interest allows. Uh, but we'll see what happens. You may be stuck just with me all day. Well, me and the streamed trial. Uh, in terms of where we're streaming, we are on YouTube. I can see me streaming on YouTube. We are on, let's see, and are we on Twitter today? Ba -ba 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 -ba. Let me refresh that page. We are indeed on Twitter. We are on the Law Self-Defense member dashboard. Hey, Chuck, I see you there. And we are also streaming on Rumble. Uh, in terms of uh, if you'd like 
your questions asked, if you want to pose questions and get them asked by myself or whatever other attorneys or guests we may have on, uh, there's a couple of ways to do that. One is be a Law of Self-Defense member. If you're a Law of Self-Defense member, put your question in the Law of Self-Defense member chat and we'll answer it, guaranteed. Uh, alternatively, if you're watching this on YouTube, make your question or comment that you'd like read, make it a super chat. We will read the super chats on YouTube. I promise you that. Uh, super chats are enabled for this stream. Um, and uh, alternatively, on Rumble, I guess there's something called... Uh, what do they call them? Rumble rants or something? So the, whatever the Rumble equivalent of Super Chats is. I don't really know how that works, but if somebody does it on Rumble, I'll see if I can figure it out on the fly. Uh, if you are watching on YouTube, please hit that like thumbs up button. If you want to comment, you have to be a subscriber, uh, but the likes are the most important measure that YouTube uses to distribute our content more generally. Hold on one second. Sorry, folks. Uh, we have another uh, another meeting that was scheduled for today that someone else is handling, and uh, there's a little communication about who's supposed to be doing what. Uh, in any case, um, please hit the like on the uh, YouTube. Uh, that's greatly appreciated. Um, the I think on Rumble, they use a plus sign. Bottom left of the screen, there's a little plus sign if you could hit that. Um, and there, there we go. <laughs> Woman, I'm doing a show. Yeah, so uh, it was, uh, was kind of like that. All right, so... Uh, I gave you a recap of uh, kind of the backstory of the Dean Cummings uh, trial, the charges against him. Uh, the opening statement by the state was just awful, terrible, meandering, uh, not a compelling narrative of guilt in a case where the legal defense here is self-defense. The state will have to disprove self-defense beyond a reasonable doubt. Uh, the state simply didn't lay out a narrative in their opening statement that could lead a jury to that conclusion. Uh, the defense opening was much stronger. They did lay out a sound narrative. It would have been nice if they pounded uh, more aggressively the burden that's on the state and the, the height of that burden, the threshold the state has to achieve to warrant a guilty verdict. That I felt they, they were kind of weak on that particular point, but otherwise the defense did a good job. Once the witnesses, and we're still in the state's part of the case here, the state's presenting its case in chief. So, so far, all the witnesses are state witnesses uh, being uh, subject to direct questioning by the state and cross-examination by the defense. None of the state's witnesses so far have contributed any substantive evidence uh, contrary to self-defense. Uh, they, they have kind of had some uh, circumstantial evidence that might raise some doubt about self-defense, but raising doubt, of course, is what the defense is supposed to be doing uh, in a criminal case, not what the state is supposed to be doing. The state has to disprove self-defense beyond a reasonable doubt, not just make it doubtful. Um, and they, they simply haven't done that yet with the witnesses they've brought to date. And I have to say the defense on cross-examination has been quite good, especially uh, one of the, uh, the two defense attorneys, all the attorneys here are, are women, uh, but the uh, the two defense attorneys, they're both perfectly competent. Uh, one of them is really good. Uh, I'll have to find out what her name is. I'll point her out as we start streaming again. Uh, the, the, the two uh, prosecutors, also women, are also uh, technically fine. I mean, they're not like Elaine Bredehoff. It's not like they don't know what they're doing when they're questioning witnesses. They're asking competent questions uh, in a competent way. Uh, it just seems that they don't really have anything to work with. 
uh, which makes one wonder. I mean, the state knows what its burden is. It knows it has to disprove this claim of self-defense beyond a reasonable doubt. Makes you wonder why they brought the case at all. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know. I can't read minds. I'm being told that the person who was killed, uh, Guillermo Ariola, uh, was well-liked in the community. Uh, and, of course, the defendant is, was relatively new. He had just moved back to New Mexico after many decades away, so nobody knows him. Um, there's that. Uh, there may be some skepticism about uh, parts of the defendant's story, which is a good reason to investigate, but is not skepticism alone is not enough for a conviction. And there's also some suggestions in media reporting about this defendant. And these are things that have not been mentioned in trial. So I presume uh, in preliminary hearings, they've had um, uh, in limine hearings where they've excluded evidence. I assume this evidence has been excluded so the jury won't hear it. But if you read news articles about this defendant, this former skier, um, the news articles, and I don't know if this is true, right? This is just what's being reported, but there's lots of news articles where they interview friends or associates and they say the guy seemed a little to have become mentally unstable into conspiracy theories, thought people were against him, that kind of thing, um, which I guess could have played a role in what happened, but it's really character evidence and I expect the judge would have excluded it. And this, oh, I see there is a rumble rant just came in from House Fur. $5. Someone did it on Rumble. It has been done. I'm not sure what he means, but okay. Uh, but thank you for the $5. That's greatly, greatly appreciated. Uh, so uh, keep in mind, we may be aware, those of you who bother to research uh, this defendant, Dean Cummings, may have come across news articles that raise those kinds of mental health issues, but there was no mention of it in the state's opening, presumably because it's been excluded as evidence in the case. And uh, and look who we have. Hey, Steve. Hey, how are you? Good to see you. Good, good friend, Steve Gosney, Professor Steve Gosney, teaching our criminal law class at the Law of Self-Defense Law School courses. And I, I have to say, Steve, the the praise we're getting from your students is absolutely through the roof. They love that course, that criminal law course you're teaching. Well, thank you. It's it's. It's a lot of work, but it's kind of it's been great for me, not only getting the feedback from the students, which you've got a great the group that's in your uh, that follows you is a quite a high level group. And and so it challenges me. And part of it, too, is uh, building the foundations of law from kind of the bottom up has been helpful to me in my business because, of course, you know, I do specialized stuff with appeals. I help the trial division. But sometimes you forget some of the basics and at least it helps to refresh those, those basics. And so this class has been really good for me too. And um, I think it's a great class. And I mean, you're going to have an asset going forward um, as this is sort of a key component to your, uh, to your, the Dean, you know, the Dean is running his law school. <laughs> I should, yeah, I should change my title, I guess. Huh? I think it's cool. You're the Dean, the Dean of all self-defense law. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so for folks who don't know, uh, Steve is a common guest on our show, and we're grateful to have him. But uh, for those of you who may be new, Steve works for the Public Defender's Office down in Florida, mostly in the appellate division, does a lot of training for the trial division, previously worked in the trial division uh, in the PD's office, previously a prosecutor, previously did tenant law, real estate law, that kind of stuff. I, I'm a little vague on that. Uh, the, the, the younger years of Steve's life. Well, uh, six years I did civil litigation, which was probate law, real estate law. Uh, contract litigation, basically litigation um, 
and uh, and that and then before, of course, before law school, I did nonprofit association management. So I ran the local. I was CEO of the local home builders association, which was really a great opportunity. You know, we ran the parade of homes. We dealt with building, lobbying issues, things like that. So yeah, it's funny because everybody's like, "What haven't you done, Gossi?" <laughs> but but I mean, you know, I, I like challenges and like doing different stuff, and that's why this opportunity to teach for your class and your school was wonderful because um, I've taught before, but not really like in my my hot zone, you know, which is criminal law. Uh, so it's been fun. Yeah, and for folks who don't know, these course, this class we're talking about is a is Steve's criminal law class. It's part of our law self defense law school courses. This is a series of law school level courses, just like Steve and I were taught these subjects in law school: criminal law, criminal procedure, evidence, constitutional law, uh, but without the politics that invades pervades all of law school these days. So we're just teaching law, traditional law, in the traditional way as we were taught it when we went to law school. Me, thirty some years ago. Uh, at a fraction of the cost of law school, and of course, without having to make a three-year-plus commitment to actually going to law school, there there's no formal accreditation. You don't get a Juris Doctor degree at the end. This is just for your education. But if you've ever wondered what it would be like to take a law school-level course in these subjects, this is a great opportunity to do that at minimal cost and minimal commitment. And by the way, we've had people go through some of our other law self-defense courses. We have a, an instructor program for self-defense instructors, for example. I've had a number of the students who've gone through that instructor program love the instruction so much they went on to law school. <laughs> now they're actually lawyers. Um, so I, I expect we'll see that from some of the students who go through Steve's class and other classes. Well, I have one, one of our... One of our students, um, his his father, the, the kid was thinking about going to law school. He's a cute kid, and I, I've had long conversations with him. And uh, I think his dad always, always wanted him to go to law school. So he, I think the dad bought him the course to prep him for law school. And let me tell you, when he gets to law school, he is just going to have such an advantage. He is just going to crush. He's going to be top of his class. I have great hopes for one of one of our students who's uh, who's thinking about going to law school. So that's another you know, if you're interested in a lot of most of our students are just people who are interested in law and really want to know it in depth. But if you're going to law school or if you have a son or a child that, that wants to go, then uh, that's something you can also think about doing. Yeah. So we were talking about this yesterday, but Steve knows, of course, and me as well. When, when we went to when we took criminal law in law school, it was the first time we'd ever seen criminal law. Right. So it's your first exposure. You're, you're kind of, you know, going to the class naked, so to speak. If you've taken a criminal law class first and then you take criminal law in law school, you will you will kill it. Kill <laughs> you will it. absolutely kill crush it. that class. Yes. Yeah, that's exactly right. So it's it's a lot of fun. And we've only got three or four modules left. Um, and so I've got more information than I can pack into these last classes, but I'm going to do my best to give them the, the best that we have to offer. So, And I should mention, we, we will continue to offer this class, this semester's class, in a recorded format for folks who want to take advantage of that opportunity as well. But we'll, we'll be marketing all that uh, soon, soon enough. Um, all right. Uh, let's see anything. I'm glad you can make it, Steve. I know you have other commitments today. Well, I'm only on. I've only got about an hour. Um, okay. Look at this, but but I did want to come in and because this trial is is fat. This is a great trial you're covering. I don't know where did you find this trial. Uh, uh, one of the one of the other guests we had on yesterday, Law Talk with Mike, invited me on his show a couple of days ago to uh, to talk about this trial. Uh, I had not heard of it uh, myself. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't see his invitation until it was too late to join him. But it brought the trial to my attention, and that's when I started uh, covering it. 
Uh, but otherwise, I hadn't heard about it. I'm, I'm frankly surprised it hasn't gotten more uh, more coverage. Well, it's <laughs> I'm wondering about the local politics here, because why is it they're bringing this case and not the Baldwin case? Because this case, I'm still waiting for the the state's case because right. <laughs> what we're four or five witnesses in and they yeah. they haven't established anything regarding rebutting the self-defense claim. They've established self-defense, but they haven't done and shown any substantive evidence to rebut the claim of self-defense that I've heard. Have you heard anything? No, nothing. I mean, again, nothing but these kind of uh, some skepticism well, <laughs> expressed there's, about there's, it. That's there's not innuendo. <laughs> Innu well, this is a, they're innuendo. Right. They're saying, well, yeah, they're they're trying to paint this picture, right? But but it's all innuendo. And I'll tell you the the key bit of defense evidence that they brought up at opening is that cap of the scope that is underneath the body, because they're going to say, well, yeah. the, the 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 weapon in his hand was planted, right? But but that that scope item underneath the body is that's a pretty critical piece of evidence. Talk about that because that's fascinating. Yeah, and the the, the defense their opening statement made a big deal about it. So this this rifle that the men were fighting over that was used to uh, kill the victim here the, the 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 defendant's rifle had a scope on it. The scope had caps over the lenses as is pretty common. Apparently one of the caps had actually been electrical taped on because he had just mounted the scope to the rifle uh, and and during the struggle of course, the defendant is claiming there was a struggle over the rifle. That's part of his self-defense narrative. Uh, during the struggle, the, the scope cap came off uh, and it was ultimately found under the victim's body with blood on it, uh, which would be consistent with a struggle, but would not be the kind of evidence you would expect someone to plant uh, right. if they were just trying to you know, fabricate a scene of uh, self-defense. So yeah. I think it's, uh, as Steve says, quite a compelling bit of evidence. And the, and the defense does, too. They talked it up quite a bit in their opening statement. And there was one other bit of evidence that, again, is pro-defense. Now, we I talked a little bit last time about how bullet trajectories through bodies is a very in, a very nebulous thing. You can't you never know where the bullets are going to go. Right. Ever. However, they are saying that there's bullet because they were saying that the gun was fired in an upright type position and fired into the roof. And so the trajectories of the bullet that can have meaning and that can have significance. So if what they're saying is bullets are shooting this because there were 10 shots fired. Right. And so if there's like going this way and this way and this way and this way, that is inconsistent with somebody assassinating. That is consistent with a struggle and the, the firearm going off as the two are struggling. Nobody right. would start shooting like bang, 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 right? So that's another bit of evidence that I think really favors the defense. Yeah, uh, very, very, very much so. And, and I should say, too, of course, that nobody knows what really happened. There was only the two men in the room, right? One's dead. The other is the defendant. So no one will ever know with absolute certainty what happened. We, we almost never know in trials. So uh, certainly I don't know and Steve doesn't know. So all anybody can do is look at the evidence that's available, apply the appropriate law to the evidence at the appropriate legal thresholds, in this case, the state's burden to disprove self-defense beyond a reasonable doubt, and that's the legal outcome. Does the legal outcome reflect what actually happened? Who knows? But we don't have a magic ball that tells us what happened with any absolute certainty. Uh, all we can do is apply the legal process and come to a legal conclusion. And so far, the state's not done a damn thing to advance their burden uh, to disprove self-defense beyond a reasonable doubt. Yeah, exactly. All right, last thing before we start, 
the uh, the gratuitous grifting has to occur, folks. That's how we we do all this content. For myself, I have, of course, my book, The Law of Self-Defense, available to you for free. We just ask that you pay the shipping and handling, or you can buy it on Amazon. They'll charge you 25 bucks or whatever they charge. Don't do that. Get it from us. Free. It's a real physical book. Law of Self-Defense Principles. You can get it at lawofselfdefense.com slash free book. Free book. Easy enough to remember. And Steve has a book of his own. I do. Well, and it's Mr. Bronca encouraged me. So he gets a lot of credit. In fact, he wrote the foreword. And I will tell you that I only Honored have- to do it. Honored. Yes. I only have a few more of these books left. And I'm going to tell you a secret. Can I tell you a secret? Don't tell anybody. All right. I only have a few more of these left. And when these sell out, you will never see this edition again. I'm going to I'm going to reprint it and I'm going to have to get a new ISBN number because I'm adding a chapter. Ah, yeah, you will. Right. So, so, it's a yes. new book. so I'm going to be adding and I'm going to update the cover. But this I designed that cover. Isn't it? I think it's kind of cute. <laughs> so if you want the collector's edition, first edition, you got to get it now because once they're gone, they're gone forever. So um, I thank you for guys. You're you're. Your people came through and I actually sold a bunch of, I've only got a few more left. So, and I'm going on vacation and once I, I'll have to reorder when I get back. So there might be a stocking issue, but it's been great. I, I really, and, and, you know, people say, where did this come from? Cause I'm not, I'm so head in the clouds, academic professor type, you know? And I went, I went and saw Andrew and he's like, why don't you have something to sell? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and so he's like, well, what about all those articles? Those are great. Put them together in a book. I'm like, you think so? I should. And, uh, <laughs> so thankfully it's in the black and I'm not losing money. I was going to print it myself and lose money, but I haven't lost money. I made about $800, $900. So it's great. And I, and I really like the feedback. People have been very nice. Um, so anyways, well, it's a great book. And, and, you know, first of all, it's a great achievement. I, I tell people all the time to do things like take their expertise and put it into a book so they can share it with the world. And they never take my advice, but Steve actually did. And, uh, um, now you have, now you have a book, you're an author and you made 800 bucks. That's found money. It's like you found a paper bag with $800 in it. How awesome is that? It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. <laughs> and, and it's neat. I mean, the fact is, is that I teach, you know, I teach our trial division. And one of the things I'm going to do is give, a, well, maybe I shouldn't, maybe I should sell them. But my my elected public defender is so good. He supports me in everything I do. So I'm going to give a lot of our trial team copies of the book because this is kind of a handbook for a lot of issues that our trial division deals with all the, well, maybe I should say once in a while. And when it comes up, it's a very complex question. So mo a lot of these articles are direct answers to trial division questions that I have researched and answered. What you should do, Steve, is go full law professor, do a criminal law advanced class and make that the textbook and make the students buy your textbook, <laughs> right? That's what the professors do. Yeah, well, I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. I don't think so. But I'm incorporating some of the ideas in here. I am incorporating in the, the criminal law class. Um, I can't say I've required it, though. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, you know, it's all it's all criminal law. So it's interesting stuff. And, and there's some other stuff in here, too, that might be of interest, like how to interact with the police, book recommendations. You know, there's some other stuff in here that that uh, are beyond. But this is really for anybody. So anyway, thank you, everybody, for buying it. And um, and oh, well, is this is this trial starting up? I thought it started at one or is the trial already going? No, we're we're catching up. So we're watching content from uh, uh, the, the the end of two days ago. 
and then we're going to go through yesterday's proceedings. So the, what we're seeing is not live. Okay. Hey, you know what? I want to shout out to Shane Sousa. I'm a chat guy. You know, I came from the chats. And Shane Sousa is a great guy, man. He Not only does he plug, I don't even know, but this guy is amazing. I think he just volunteers his time to do this. Yeah, yep. I mean, we did, we did some modest things to thank him for his effort, but really he's volunteering his time. Yeah. So everybody thanks Shane Sousa in the chat for, for being there. And, um, and he bought my book even, which, what can I say? I, I would probably give it to him for free if he really asked, because he's such a nice guy and he does do his work in the chats for us. All right. So uh, we started with the opening statements, of course, from the state, which was terrible. The defense, which is pretty sound. We had the first witness was a former, very young looking uh, cop who's uh, state witness. Very unimpressive. Uh, then we had um, the uh, the older lady who uh, was helping to facilitate the real estate transaction between these two men. A very unimpressive witness. Then we had uh, the gentleman who was riding his motorcycle in the area and encountered the defendant called 911. Uh, I mean, he was, I guess, fine as a witness, but he didn't say anything to undermine the defendant's claim of self-defense. Uh, then we had uh, another police officer, part of the investigative team. Um, uh, I may be getting the order of the witnesses uh, oh, wrong, right. but it's fine. Uh, he was uh, he was unimpressive, except uh, as Steve noted, he he liked to do the police trick of answering a question and then adding a bunch of opinion stuff after it to to kind of color his testimony in a way favorable to the state. Like he, the, he came across the defendant's car and he characterized it as blocking the road as if the defendant was trying to block police access to the uh, the scene of the crime where the defendant had left the scene of the crime to find the police, to call the police. Right. And the police came up on him like this and yeah. he's there and they say, stop, get out of the car. So you stop and you get out of the car and then it's like, oh, he's blocking us. Right. I mean, come on. It's it was ridiculous, gratuitous thing. But that's the kind of thing you see a lot. And I I really don't like that kind of testimony out of law enforcement officers. I used to train them when I was prosecuting to testify. And I would squash that because I say, do not do that. It's not fair. You are a witness. You're not your job is not to be the prosecutor, but it shows their bias. Yeah, they want to get the guy, you know, and. And then very humorously, that same officer was used to uh, introduce a bunch of uh, physical t evidence, uh, the the rifle, uh, which was in a box, uh, some ammo, uh, the clothes uh, the defendant was wearing at the time. And he, he went through this very lengthy process of cutting open the box that the rifle was in with scissors, with a knife, uh, wearing, uh, you know, blue gloves that he kept tearing, getting his DNA all over the evidence. I mean, and it was like he's doing like like. <laughs> Yeah, somebody, somebody should clip out that portion and play that Benny Hill music behind it, and that would be very funny. And then like, he did the whole speed it pointing at the gun thing without yeah, clearing the gun at the courtroom at the at the lawyers. Very very funny. But that's about where we are now. So we're going to continue now with the uh, the second day of testimony. Just uh, we're well into the afternoon. The court just came back from its afternoon break. Uh, we're going to see the uh, the judge is standing up at the bench because where's my uh my mouse because i have too many screens i can never find my mouse in now uh because uh the jury's being brought back in and let's see let me pull up that screen so we can go ahead and get that's not it and uh, we have been playing this at like 1.25 so it's right if people sound like they're a little fast it's because it makes it go quicker no closed captioning available, folks. Sorry about that. I would do that if they had it, because I know some of you like to listen with the sound off if you can, but it's, it's not it's not available. 
All right, you ready, Steve? Yes, Here I will go. just tell if Oops. you do order okay. if you do order my book, I won't be able to mail them out until next week because I You told them where to get it, right? Yes, and I already got a couple orders, so okay, I just okay, want to good. let people know. All right, thank you. Maybe she did. A defense, you may cross examine this witness. Good afternoon, Detective. Good afternoon. Let's settle here a little bit. Okay. <clears throat> So now uh, you testified on February 29th, 2020, um, that Lieutenant Tomlinson contacted you and asked you to go out to the scene. Is that correct? Yes, ma'am. That is correct. And you had to meet a deputy kind of away from the property to escort you to the property. Yes, ma'am. And that's because this is so far out there, you couldn't have really found it without someone who knew the way to show you. Correct. Okay. And by the time you arrived, do you know what time you arrived on scene? Uh, like, like I said, about an 8, 7.30 is when I got the general area. I believe that's Cabazon Peak. So this is the same cop who was cutting open the box, who was shading his testimony. Uh, and this is cross-examination now by the defense. And one thing that they stated is doing... Oh, darn it. Oh, Oops. for Pete's sakes. All right. Well, I'll, just, I'll just tell... Make, make your comments, Steve, and I'll, I'll fix this. Well, one I thing the state... Mind. There's a lot of testimony about whether it was dark, how much time it went on. And uh, let's just compare this to the Brooks trial, because the Brooks trial, the state had some two great demonstrative aides that made it very clear about what was happening and how it happened. Here, they've got this very simple timeline that they could lay out. They've got a CAD report. They could put all the timings on about when things happen, when sunset is. But it's, it's just kind of blasted up there, and it's completely confusing about the timing. So... Yeah. Um, I'm unimpressed by the state here on this this point. Now, the state just doesn't have a case. It's not that the, the lawyers, that's something that the lawyers could do. Most of the problems with the state case is the fact that they don't have a case so far, not that they're necessarily bad lawyers. Right. We, we don't have Elaine Bredehoff here. We just, uh, we just, you know, it's, um, we just, they don't have much to work with. All right. Sorry about the confusion with the screen, folks. Here we go. Away from the property to escort you to the property. Yeah, and that's because this is so far out there, you couldn't have really found it without someone who knew the way New to Mexico show you. New Mexico is a pretty liberal state. Okay. And by the time you arrived, do you know what time you arrived on scene? Uh, like, like I said, about 8, 7.30 is when I got the general area. I believe that's Cabazon Peak. And then from there, they drove me from that to the house. Okay, around 7.30 p.m. Yes, ma'am. That's okay. why I said approximately 8 o'clock is my guess. Okay. Um, so around 8 p.m., you actually get over to the ranch area. Yes, ma'am. All right. And is that when you first made contact with Mr. Cummings, or what time did you first make contact with him? I didn't make contact with him for a little bit after. I was talking to the deputies that were on scene first. They're kind of giving me the rundown of what they had, where they had it, who, what, when, where, why, and whatnot, and told me that EMS was already on the way and why. Okay. So 8 p.m. or so, you actually arrive at the ranch. You talk with the deputies. Uh, do you have any idea of how long it took for the EMS to arrive? Uh, no, ma'am, I don't. Okay. Would it be in the CADs? It should be when they dispatched it. Okay. If I were to approach you with the CADs, do you think you could help me find that? I could try. May I approach you the witness?
see where they said had them staged somewhere, which means have them wait somewhere. But I don't see where it says arrived. What time did they say to stage the EMS? The EMS have EMS stage. I mean, the state has practice. so little to work with that during their opening, they they emphasized that this was a, a leap day because the shooting on February 29th, like that would be relevant to any legal issue on the case. Well, and where the timing might be relevant EMS arrived or? I don't is the okay. is the spray and how much time he has to recover from being sprayed or even chemically touched by this pet mace? Right, the time saying, interval between exposure and when the police arrive on the scene, which is like an hour, which is plenty of time to wash your face and recover. He should have this. this is, right. I don't see it. No, okay. May I approach to retrieve it? What's he doing? They didn't. They didn't pre prepare him. <laughs> well, this is the defense cross, of course. Yeah. Is, uh, start but still, look. Tom Kukwelv and the detective at twenty twenty eight, but I don't know where that's referring to. Yeah, I'm assuming that's something different. Yeah, you have to remember, New Mexico is between California and Texas, so <laughs> it's like a catch filter. <laughs> you know, I don't know. So where it says start EMS to meet T212. Who's T212? I don't know who Tom 212 is. Okay. I assume that's a, a Deputy Kukedis. Okay. I'm guessing because if it's saying her and de uh, detective... So it's according to the CADS here at 2028, suspect is complaining of heart problems, possibly being contaminated with some type of gas on his face. And then it says start EMS. Oh, so that's at 2028. So that's 828 p.m. OK, yeah. so does it seem likely that EMS arrived after that? Oh, yeah. OK, so after 828. So if they're getting dispatched at 828, how long do you think it takes for them to arrive? I couldn't tell you that answer. Depends on where they're at, what they're doing. Call volume. OK, do you think maybe after 9 p.m.? Possibly. I'm okay. not going to guess. Okay. Well, they weren't there in five minutes. And right? at, at, it was after EMS saw Mr. Cummings that you and Deputy Gutierrez took the photos of him that we've seen. Correct. We waited till after he was seen. Okay. Did you make contact with him before EMS saw him? No, ma'am, I did not. Okay. So you waited till after EMS checked him that out. That is correct. Okay. Uh, what time do you think you actually first spoke with him? I couldn't even give you a guess, to be honest with you. Because if I can't tell you what time they got there, I can tell you. Okay. So maybe no earlier than 930? Sounds good. Okay. Well, I guess you can take a guess. Do you know what time the altercation between Mr. Cummings and Mr. Ariola occurred at? No, I don't know the exact time that it started. Okay. So you're the one who went over and retrieved the clothing from the back of Mr. Cummings' truck. Yes, ma'am. That is correct. All right. And I think you said that it was wet to the touch? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Was it damp or wet? What? Wet and damp is still the same. It still has liquid on it. So, mm -hmm. either or, it had to be put in a uh, had to be put in paper. Okay. So, because if not, then you get mold or whatever on plastic. Okay. Do you know how long the clothing had been sitting in the back of that pickup truck? No, ma'am. All right. And then you saw the firearm that was leaning against the porch. Yes, ma'am. That is correct. Okay. And the magazine had already been removed from the firearm. Yes, ma'am. Okay. Did you inspect the firearm? No, ma'am, I did not. All right. Now, 
You'd think You're somebody the would clear the, the chamber on the rifle. Though, correct? Yes, ma'am. Okay, and so this is the this is the firearm that you tagged in? Yes, ma'am. All right. Um, now, it's already been published to the jury, but with the court's permission, Your Honor, I would actually like for the detective to um, take the rifle and give the jury a closer look at it. That would be fine. Make sure that, that rifle is safe, okay? Yes, sir. That's it's fine. cleared. It has the, I left the piece in the middle. So yeah, you can trust yeah. him. <laughs> the guy who can't open a box. He was waving the muzzle all around the courtroom yesterday. And I didn't see him check the chamber then. Okay, come on, dude. If that's that giant bailiff in the corner, I wouldn't want to be muzzling him with a rifle. Oh, no, it's an old lady. <laughs> yeah, I was muted. I, I had all kinds of wisdom here. No, you should always, you make it a habit to clear that rifle every time. Every Even, time you touch it. Every time you touch it. Yep. It's a bad habit he's got. And that's how, the thing is, is it you do things over time. Like, oh, I know this is unloaded. I, oh, I know it's unloaded. I know it's a <laughs> boom, right? The old lady just moved. <laughs> she rolled her chair over. I don't blame her. It's a binger, a binger uh, detective here. So we, we can't see this, folks, because they're not going to pan the camera over to uh, show the jury. So Now, why do you think the defense team is showing the, the firearm? Maybe the scope uh, issue or? I don't know. I don't know getting, what they're going to make of it. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they tie this in, what they're going to observe about it. It's a pretty, I mean, physically substantial, robust rifle. What if Maybe they give them a sense of the dynamics of two grown men fighting for control over it. Mm, that could be. Can you, can you take that? Now, detective, taking a close look at that firearm, would you agree with me that there is some sort of dried substance or dried spatter oh, on the, the spatter. firearm? Yeah. Okay. And is it on both sides? They showed a photo of this in their defense opening. It's supposed to, they're suggesting it's the pepper spray, the mace residue. Frankly, to me, it looks like it could be almost anything. It could be gun oil. It could be. And I don't know if it was tested to, so that we know what it is. But if it wasn't tested, that's yeah, on the state. That's on the state, right. Right. Any ambiguities should be interpreted in favor of the defense. But if you agree that there is some kind of dried liquid. I got a hell of a scratch there. Thank you, sir. Now... I do actually have a couple more questions if you want to just take it over to the stand. What is the tip of the firearm called? Well, it's a flash suppressor area. Flash suppressor area? Okay. <laughs> and could you just hold it up for us? And can you just describe what it looks like at the tip? Circular has exit points for the passes. Okay. How many exit points does it have? This one has five. Five. Are, do they go all the way around the circumference of it? No, or? Only the top. Only the top. Okay. 
Thank you, sir. I think I'm done with it. <laughs> I appreciate it. I should pick up one of those. Those are nice, nice rifles. I've shot them at the Sig uh, Sig Sauer Academy. The advantage is they have a piston drive and not a blowback, so yep. it's yeah, they stay much cleaner. Yeah, I should set up an affiliate program with SIG. <laughs> I carry their pistol. I'm recommending their rifle. This was the can of mace that was tagged into evidence. Yes, ma'am. You did not actually retrieve this from the home. Is that correct? No, ma'am. I did not say police did. Did you inspect the can? No, ma'am. I did not. You did not. Okay. It was in a sealed bag when I received it. Okay. So, so what is... The oh, that's the mace. Yeah. That the state police passed off you to tag into evidence? Yes, ma'am. It looks like uh, it looks like saber. It looks it looks like this. The ejection port where it's coming out. Yes, ma'am. But saber's a different company than Mace. Now the rifle had a cap on the scope. Is that correct? Yes, ma'am. And I believe that was also tagged in. Uh, yes, ma'am. There was. One I can turn up the cord audio. The cord audio was found underneath it. I think. Yes, ma'am. Okay. They're they're stepping away from the microphones, folks. And there's there's a buzz in the courtroom. So when I crank up the, the volume, the, the box is still in there. Where it was located, I cannot tell you. State police would have to answer that. Okay. Is this cap located? Yes, ma'am. Do you know where the Based on pictures, it was what was holding that cap on. Is my guess. I cannot answer that. I didn't do that. That would be. Yes, ma'am. I did not process any of that. Okay. Did the electrical tape come like this when you received it? It was already that way, correct? And part of this, the, the attorney is talking away from the mic, so it's yeah. ambient. When when she steps back up to the mic, she's going to be loud. Permission to approach. You may. Yeah, I'm going to turn that back down some, folks. we got too much. Um, can you look at that bag and tell me what it is? It says it's black sunglasses. No, and ASD, you know where that came from? Um, Palm is a separate company. It was located halfway by entrance, hallway by entrance. Pepper spray. Is this something you tagged into evidence? I tagged it in. State police recovered it and sealed it. Okay, so the state police recovered it as part of their search. They handed it off to you. You tagged it in. That is correct. Okay. And that would be the same process you used for all of this other. Most evidence. of it. Yes, ma'am. Okay. Oh, that's true. There were a couple of things that you actually tagged. Yes, ma'am. That you had located. Okay. So that pair of sunglasses were uh, handed off to you by state police to tag in. Yes, ma'am. Okay. And do we have the scissors? I have scissors still. You have here. scissors? Yes, Could you open that? I get the coveted scissors endorsement. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Well, he managed to open that envelope without cutting any of his fingers off. Oh, but, but he forgot to put gloves on. <laughs> yeah, the rifle is a SIG 5.56. It's, uh, it's definitely not the M400, which is a traditional AR pattern design. Okay. 
Now, those sunglasses, are those the sunglasses that the state police handed to you? Yes, ma'am. They were in the sealed package. Okay. And those were tagged into evidence in relation to this case? Yes, ma'am. Uh, at this point in time, the defense would move for the admission of those sunglasses as, I guess, defendant's exhibit A. It'll be admitted okay. as, as defendant's A. Yeah. First piece of evidence from the defense. Looks like damaged sunglasses of some sort. I like how this courtroom is being managed. It's very clean. Yeah, it efficient. is. Yep. This is more of a typical courtroom. I mean, what's going on here? We see these no, crazy trials. Though, no, Especially during the COVID era or where they bring in 15 lawyers in the prosecution team. You know, they don't, have, they don't have room to put them all. No plexiglass, at least. I mean, it's ridiculous they have a mask, but... Did you ever actually enter the trailer? It looks like that. For the exit walkthrough. Okay, and what is an exit walk? walk That's where they walk me through everything that they found on scene and what they had, such as they pointed out bullet holes, location of Mr. Ariano, where they found it, and then they walk me through all the evidence that they have. Okay. And did you take any photos? Uh, no. I, okay. I think it was Deputy Gutierrez who was. That is correct. Okay. And were you wearing any recording devices that night? No, ma'am. That's a no? That is correct. No. Okay. Nobody. Nobody. And you said you went to OMI to attend the autopsy of Mr. Ariola? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Uh, did you take anything into evidence from OMI? No, ma'am. They sent that to us. Okay. Let me just review my notes. And I apologize if I asked you this already. Did you inspect the firearm? No, ma'am. I did not touch the firearm in any way, shape, or form. No? Okay. All right, thank you. I have no further questions. State and redirect. Yeah, someone needs to throw a brush at the state table there. I just have a couple of questions for you, Detective. Um, on cross-examination, you were asked some questions um, and you were asked to show the rifle to the jury. Yes, ma'am. Were you able to see some sort of markings or what appeared to be some sort of substance on the firearm? Uh, yes, ma'am. Do you know if that could have been gun cleaning oil? Could have been. Could it have been hairspray? Uh, yes, ma'am. Could have could been anything. It's a white and color substance if you're not talking about what's around one of the bolts, which looks like possible gun oil. Could it have been any? Was it ever tested? Uh, no, ma'am. I don't think it was. All right. Well, that's against the oh, state. Terrible. Your Honor, may I approach? You may. Terrible. That's a, you got to be careful of a burden shift here, too. Yeah, that's a good point, Steve, because that's what they're doing, right? They're acting like the defense would no, be expected to act, like the burden's on the other party. It's a murder case and they didn't test. That's the defense. That's bad. And, sir, you testified on cross-examination um, about the ejection port on that, I believe, is what, how it was phrased. Yes, ma'am. Can you please describe to the jury what you observe on that? It looks like it's rusted and something's caked all over it, possibly dirt or debris of some type. Okay. Um, does it appear to have a dye on it? I'd have to pull it up and Google it. It'll tell you if it has dye, dye in, some type of dye in it. Are you familiar with mace How would you products? Who's going to tell you if it's evidence? A lot of civilian market ones do. And what color is on that part? 
uh, like a reddish. That's like rust colored. Okay. okay. And um, I don't think I have any further questions on you may be subject to recall, okay? So don't, don't discuss your evidence with anyone or your testimony with anyone, right? Yes, Your Honor. All right, let me step down. Thank you. You know, they really, the defense really needs to have a special jury instruction about this. Yeah. I would think about it, failure to evidence is on the state. Waiting for the defense motion when the state rests. Your Honor, this is bullshit. <laughs> this whole case has been nothing but bullshit. From beginning to end, this is a travesty. And all these cops have a particular look. <laughs> good afternoon, sir. Uh, good afternoon. Can you please state and spell your name for the court reporter? Uh, Officer Carlos J. Herrera, uh, New Mexico State Police. Carlos is spelled C-A-R-L-O-S. Middle initials J is in John. Last name is spelled H-E-R-R-E-R-A. And you stated that you work for the New Mexico State Police? Yes, correct. Are you a full-time sworn, salaried, and commissioned peace officer, sir? Yes. How long have you been with the New Mexico State Police? Uh, right about 10 and a half years. <clears throat> Did you work in any other law enforcement entity prior to your time with State Police? No. And um, what is your current assignment? Right now, I'm assigned to the Armory at the Law Enforcement Academy. Okay. Tell us what you do at the Law Enforcement Academy. Uh, well, <clears throat> I'm in charge of I'm, I'm one of the two armors we have at State Police. So uh, <clears throat> we order weapons, fix weapons, um, order ammunition. Matter of fact, I'm in charge of the taser program there as well. Uh, there's lots of little things we do, but our main job is uh, supplying the field with the weapons and ammunition and fixing them if they have problems. <clears throat> okay. Um, do you assist with training cadets? Sometimes, yes. <clears throat> what was your assignment in 2020? In 2020, I was part of the New Mexico State Police full-time crime scene unit. Okay. What does the crime scene unit do? So the State Police crime scene unit, what we do is we um, investigate uh, and process scenes as far as for any violent crime uh, that we're called out to assist for. So in this case, uh, we were called out to assist the Sandoval County Sheriff's Office. <clears throat> okay. Um, how long have you been doing that type of work? At that time, it was a little over two years on the crime scene unit. And do you have any specialized training to be uh, a member of the crime scene unit? Well, during, uh, during the time of the crime scene, the first year you're on crime scene, thank you, it's, uh, it's a one-year FTO program. So for one year, you're with a training officer. So you'll get up to 450, 500 hours of training, whether that be uh, on-the-job training, uh, in-house training from New Mexico State Police, or outside training, going to classes out-of-state or in-state. So part of the field training is also some classroom component. Correct. Okay. Um, did you participate in training in regards to the collection of evidence? Yes. Tell us a little bit about that. Uh, collect, uh, collecting evidence on scene is part of the crime scene job. So um, anytime we, we go to a scene, if we're going to process or collect evidence, we photograph it, right? We package it and then seal it. And uh, you know, then we enter it into our evidence database. So we know exactly what it is and on top of having a photo of exactly what piece of evidence it is. And depending on the type of evidence, depends how you process or collect that Correct, evidence. every scene's much different than, so everything, it's dependent on the scene. 
And um, have you received any training in regards to trajectory? Yeah, at that point we had received uh, classes on trajectory, so on and so forth. What is trajectory and what's it used for? Well, trajectory in this case, well not in this case, in other cases, or when we're trained, uh, it allows you to get a direction so, uh, of a projectile. So for example, if a projectile is, is discharged from a weapon and it hits a wall, um, depending how it hits a wall or a vehicle, we're able to get some sort of trajectory and angle and maybe we can get a, a distance or an angle or how it was fired from that weapon. <clears throat> can you also get which is the entry and which is the exit? Yes. Honor, I'm going to object just to foundation. I think that we need to hear a little bit more about uh, Officer Herrera's training with regard to trajectory. And that's <coughs> Go ahead and ask your question. So tell us about the um, classes that you did in regards to trajectory. Uh, so the trajectory class, this one was an in-house class by state police officers who have been <clears throat> uh, on the crime scene unit for a while. Um, most of them are uh, experts in this field, and they teach us as far as, you know, in-class uh, trajectory. Um, we actually go out to a range. Um, we'll shoot a car or a, or a door, and they'll show us how to, you know, put a, a rod through it um, and get an angle. Um, I've also taken a class with Mike Hag. Um, he's uh, based out of Albuquerque. He owns. He has a company that uh, specializes in in trajectory. <clears throat> so taking his class. Um, in this class, they teach you everything from, uh, you know, <clears throat> using your f-stop, which is basically utilizing your camera to get the best picture. Uh, utilizing utilizing it at nighttime, daytime. Uh, what are you taking a picture of? Um, this whole room. Are you getting a close-up? Um, there's many, many variables to a camera. I mean, it's, it's, it, there's a lot to learn, but we learned it. I mean, you know, if we take a picture at nighttime, how do we get uh, you know, a picture, especially when there's no ambient light to, you know, make it look like it's daytime. And there's the stuff you can do with a camera to uh, help you with that. How many crime scenes have you worked that involved? That's a, that's a weird line of, <laughs> he's not really an expert. Cases, I don't know, so he took a class and shot some bullets. We're always taking photographs. Somebody's always taking photographs. What's I mean, this is very low. <clears throat> well, so the initial photography of a scene um, is getting your initial photos. So in this case, uh, Edgar Lemus was assigned to take photos. So he took uh, photos of the scene, which are overviews, um, just to show the scene that is, as is without, any, without anything being touched or photographed by me or anything. So we just, just take overview photos of the entire scene before we actually move in and start processing. The defense is probably <laughs> setting up their defense expert who's going to crush Correct. it with credentials. Okay. Um, have Maybe you undergone teacher. training in regards to blood pattern? Yes, there is BPA, blood pattern analysis training as well. Tell us about that. Uh, BPA training is another in-house uh, training that's done by uh, another agent who is also an expert in this. And, um, you know, it's, I believe, a two-week training course, and then there's more training on top of that. And so a lot of this training <laughs> he's talking about, folks, this is not like you get a PhD in blood pattern analysis. This is two weeks where cops spend most of the time drinking coffee and telling cop stories to each other. And yeah. there's, there's there's very little learning. There's no like examination at the end. You know, there's no testing of acquired knowledge. It's uh, it's very pro forma. Yeah, and this is this is pretty weak as far as expertise. I expect the defense is wanting to show how weak he is on his expertise, so that when they bring in their expert, he's going to swamp this this uh, guy. And uh, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what he's going to testify to exactly. Blood spatter evidence is very suspect. Now, the trajectory evidence is pretty clear. I mean, they basically they shove dowels through holes. But right. defense needs to be – I don't know. They may have been a Daubert hearing. I don't know if this is a Daubert-Fry state, but 
there may have been a hearing about expertise and expert testimony on this issue pre-trial, but we'll see what he has to say. And it, it, it allows us to learn uh, what, how to look for blood, what blood tells you as far as uh, the scene, um, you know, was blunt force trauma where there's, was there a, uh, a high powered weapon used, did the person fall? Um, the blood will tell you the story of what happened sometimes depending on the case. Okay. And how many crime scenes have you worked that involved blood pattern? At least 50 to 75. I don't know off the top of my head. I feel obliged to say a lot of this quote unquote science they talk about in this forensic stuff, I think is complete bullshit. Uh, it's, it, it's not verified in any rigorous way. It's people have a hypothesis about how things should work, uh, but, but it's, it's never really tested. Uh, but it just sounds good in court when you talk about it in front of a jury. Like, like, like Steve said, blood pattern is very, very iffy. Lots of this stuff is iffy. And have you received any certifications related to your field? Uh, yeah, we get certificates that we've completed those fields um, you know, satisfactorily. I mean, uh, when we're before we're able to go on to crime scene and you know become a crime scene manager. And have you successfully completed all of those certifications? At the time I did, yes. Okay. And have you attended any additional or national trainings related to criminalistics? Uh, I went to a crime scene course, crime scene management course in Hobbs, and then I took a Mike Hagg's course uh, in California. That was based off trajectory. That was a trajectory course. How many <laughs> major crime scene investigations have you been the lead on? Uh, probably about five. Oh, and how many um, times have you had to testify in court for those major crime scene investigations? I've had three. This is the third one. <clears throat> how many major crime scene investigations have you been secondary or assisted on? 30, 40. I mean, a bunch. <clears throat> um, before we get into this scene, can you just tell the jury, what's the first step that the state police does when they arrive to a scene to process it? After you get a warrant, of course. So... When the state police gets called to process a scene, um, <clears throat> the crime scene manager, uh, and every, every scene has a different crime scene manager. So in this case, I was a crime scene manager, so I, uh, I, I told, or I, I let Agent Lemus know at the time, <clears throat> excuse me, that he was gonna take all the photos. So what he, what he does is we, we don't enter the scene. We don't touch the scene at all. He'll go and take all his overview photos of the entire scene. We don't touch any evidence. We don't look for evidence at that time. This is just overview photos of the scene. And the reason we do that is just in case, you know, if a piece of evidence is accidentally kicked or moved or somehow, you know, gets run over by a car, when we go in, we look at the overviews before and we know it was right there, right? We don't take any cars in. So that's why we parked outside of the gate and Agent Lemus took all his overview photos before we even start, before we entered the scene. Okay, well, let's talk about February 29th. Then. <clears throat> Tell us what happened. How did you get notified? Uh, usually this time, my, my, my supervisor at the time uh, called me and said that uh, there was a scene in San Luis, uh, New Mexico, and it would be a death investigation. Um, and it was off of US 550, and, but the problem was there was no address and there was no cell phone service. So trying to get there would be hard. So we had to wait for deputies. Uh, I think the intersection of uh, US 550 and State Road 79, 279. What time did you receive that call? Uh, probably like 8.30, and I probably arrived there by about 10. Were you at home when you received this call? Yes. <clears throat> what, what information did you have about the call? The only information I received at the time when I was going down there, so uh, I was given a contact for Lieutenant Frank Thomason at the time, who was uh, the point of contact for me, so I contacted him, and he advised me that uh, there was a death investigation at a property, a mobile home, and um, uh, that uh, he was told that the victim, there was a deceased male inside the house, and the person in this case uh, said that uh, he shot him in self-defense because he had been maced. So 
So you have this information, and then you do you remember what time you met at that meetup spot? Uh, about 10. 10 p.m.? Yes. And from the meetup spot, what happened? So once I got to the meetup spot, uh, usually, you know, it takes a while to get a search warrant. So we just waited there until we got a search warrant because uh, we had service there. So I needed to get a copy emailed to me so I could print it out. <clears throat> and then we could review the warrant and then uh, print it out. So if we were, if I went to the scene before that, I wouldn't have that. I, I had, there's no cell phone service, so I couldn't print it out. So we waited there until about, I believe it was 1230 on the morning of March 1st. The warrant came in and then um, we reviewed it. It was signed by the judge and then this sudden wind, but it was just a cold, cold night. So who arrived with you? Uh, so at the meeting point of 550 and uh, U.S. State Road 279, or State Road 279, uh, it was Agent Edgar Lemus and Agent Michael Bogue met, with, met up with us there. And then we all proceeded down to the uh, scene together. <clears throat> what was Agent Bogue's role in this investigation? I believe I, I had uh, tasked her with scanning the scene with the Leica scanner. Um. So when you arrive on scene, can you tell us what your observations were? So when we arrived on scene, I know there was a, a white pickup truck, I believe a Ram um, pickup truck that was parked near the, like a gate. There wasn't really a, a, there wasn't a gate, but there was a fence post that kind of showed where the, the property line was. It was uh, parked there, it was off. Um, and from that point on, after Edgar Lemus took his initial photos, his initial photographs, overviews, uh, after he was complete, then we entered the scene. Okay, can you tell us a what happened when you entered the scene? So uh, after Edgar Lemus took his initial photos, uh, then we do what's called a walkthrough of the scene. So okay. we're going to look through through the entire scene, uh, in this case, the property inside the mobile home to see, you know, uh, what happened or, or what evidence is inside. Okay. Um, and that was myself, Agent Bogue, and uh, I believe Sergeant Griffin at the time. Okay. <clears throat> Tell I us about the walkthrough. What do you see when you up, hit walk the up to the button, property? folks. 1300 so we walked up to the property, it was super dark. I don't remember if there was power to the mobile home. I don't remember, but it was really dark. It's a light. Um, we, we have flashlights. So I remember walking up to the to the mobile home and um, Sergeant Griffin at the time was pointing out stuff to me that they had seen because they were the initial responders. And then, uh, so there was a, uh, a rifle, uh, AR-15 type rifle laying outside the porch. It was leaned up against the, uh, the stairway. Um, and the magazine had been removed from that weapon and it was put on one of the steps. <clears throat> And that was outside. Outside the residence? Correct. <clears throat> um, what happened next? So once we uh, did a walk to the outside, then we went inside. Let me back up a little bit. Uh, Sergeant Griffin had pointed out to me that there were some defects on the exterior of the porch. Um, so just, just for like further, you know, for future thought that there was defects outside. So we saw those went inside. Um, What's a defect? Explain to the jury what you mean what a defect is. A, a defect is... In this case, a there was a holes in the side of the porch. Um, it could have been, that's what we like to call it a defect. So, in trajectory, you know, if uh, if if a, if a projectile goes through a wall, we'll call that a defect. Okay, um, but in this case, I didn't know at the time, so uh, I just called it a defect. That's why. Okay. <clears throat> um, so you went inside the residence. What did you observe? Uh, I observed uh, one of the residents. <clears throat> It was really cold in there, super dark. Uh, I don't, again, I don't remember if there's electricity. There's no heat inside. Um, I mean, if you go left, there's through the main door. You go left, there's uh, the uh, the living room area. Uh, there were some beds, a fireplace, and then walked around there, and then we made our way back towards the front door into the room in the front of the mobile home. And uh, when I went into that, the room, uh, that's where I saw a, a deceased male laying face down on the floor. How many bedrooms did this residence have? Oh, I saw one. I don't remember any other bedrooms. So it's been it's been a while. Okay. 
And um, do you know how many exit doors there were on this residence? Uh, I believe there was one, at least two. Um, let's back up a little bit. Are you familiar with mace? Yes. Have you been maced before? Yes. How many times? I've been maced once, but I've... <laughs> so in the training academy, we go and watch recruits or any law enforcement officer who's coming through the law enforcement academy or to be state police or any other departments, uh, they get maced outside. And um, so I've been maced once myself in the academy, but I've actually gotten, you know, sprayed from the wind going the wrong way as I'm watching them. So it, that's directly in the face just once. <laughs> okay. How does, how does mace work? So... I mean, if I were the defense, I would follow up on this statement he just made. You, he, you can get maced incidentally, right? right? The mace just goes everywhere. If it's you don't, it's not just you get maced in the face, and that's the only way to get maced. So if there was an incidental discharge of the mace canister during this fight, the defendant here would have felt the burning and stinging, even if he wasn't doused in the face with the mace. Mace is what they call an inflammatory. Uh, what it does is, so I remember. I'll, I'll, you go when, when it was time for me to get mace in recruit school. They tell you to close your eyes. They spray you with the mace. The first, you don't open your eyes right away. So you start breathing in, you start coughing. And then you start like, uh, like I remember, I, it, it was hard to breathe. And then they say, open your eyes. And once you open your eyes, it's like fire. I mean, I've seen people fight through it just fine. I've seen people drop to the ground and just start screaming because it's, it's horrible. Um, but the reason they do that at the law enforcement academy is to let you know, hey, this is what it feels like. So if you were to get maced, you know, this is how you would fight through it. But it's, uh, yeah, it's hard and it, it burns for a long time. Um, how many times would you estimate you've been present when mace was used? Mm, at least a half dozen at the academy. Okay, what about other times? Uh, I can't recall any other times. Can you describe the scent to the jury? Uh, it's, it's hard to describe. It's like, like if, you, if you inhale pepper, right? you want to, like me, if I inhale pepper, I'll, I want to sneeze and cough. If you multiply that times a thousand and you get it in your eyes, I mean, it's you'll immediately know. If you go in a house that's where there's pepper spray present or you've been sprayed or it's there, you're going to you're gonna know the scent. And if it's still strong, you're going to start coughing and you need to get out of there. How long does the odor last for? It, all, it depends. It could be an hour. It could be two hours. I don't, it just depends. Wow. Pro defense. Could be an hour. It took an hour for him to get there. Yes. And to back up to one, one time, I do recall that our SWAT team did have to use their OC gas canisters inside a small camper. Uh, it was a small little travel trailer. And uh, the suspect I'm eventually came to... out, but I had to process it. I, I'm just going to object to it. Yeah. We're not talking about mace. If, if an OC canister is something that, that's being used by the SWAT team, I don't think that's mace, and I don't think this is relevant. Just keep it with uh, mace. Yes, sir. Um, and it doesn't it's it's completely irrelevant to the facts of this case, because we have no idea whether the manner of use of this chemical, whether it's mace or OC, was in any way comparable. Of right. course, you can imagine a situation where you I mean, the SWAT guys have like fire extinguisher size cans of this stuff. They can throw into a room like a hand grenade to drive people out of the room. That's not at all comparable to a, a handheld canister that might have had an incidental discharge. And what I think one of the defense theories is that he was striking with the mace can and it may have instantly discharged at the time but he's getting beaten he smells mace his ears get irritated and that's when the struggle occurs so um the fact is that i don't think that the defendant ever said in any of these statements that he got sprayed in the face he was saying that he was being attacked with a can with the right hand and then maybe it discharged when he was being struck so 
this is very uh, really a straw man argument by the state that the defense needs to challenge hard because the state's trying to suggest that the defense is claiming he was sprayed full on in the face. Where was all the effect? Where was all the residue? Where was all? But that's not at all what the defense argument is. And what I was saying earlier, folks, we got fourteen hundred over fourteen hundred people watching on YouTube alone. Only five hundred and fifty likes, folks, if the likes aren't 50 percent, there's no reason for me to be here. Oh. So hit the like button, folks, or you know, find something else to do today. Oh, <laughs> I love y'all anyway. Let's talk a little bit about um, this. So in your observations, watching cadets be maced, what's their first reaction? Be screen. Thank you. And then what's their next? I reaction? see the number going up. Do they? Uh, well, in this case, they're uh, trying to get a suspect that's in a, in a suit under control. So um, in your the, observations, yeah, the, 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 the initial the initial reaction is either to try to open your eyes and get it out. Or, or just fight your way through it. What is the effect of water with mace? So, we were told that you oh, do not want to wash your face. Say. You don't want to wash your face. Oh. Let me rephrase this. Um, in your training at the academy, um, how does water affect mace? It'll react. It, it'll reactivate. It's what it'll do. I'm sorry. It'll reactivate it. How long did the effects of mace typically last? When I got maced, it was at least a day or two before I was normal again. Ugh. What are the physical? What's that mean? Um, before I was normal again. On somebody's person, if they've been maced. He's still redness in the face. Five years um, later, and your eyes are 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 swollen. And um. In the times that you were present when mace was sprayed or you observed it, is there typically an excess that will drip out of the can? Uh, sometimes, yes, depending on what type of canister you're using. Okay. And I don't know if you're familiar with any <clears throat> store-bought cans of mace. Are you familiar with that? No, not to the best, no. Just, the just the ones that are provided to the law enforcement academy. Um, this is just terrible. Oh, so, the residence. So that's, Did you smell anything that's, that's favorable to the defense too. His experience is with a product completely different than the product actually used here. It's not even the same canister, not the same dispenser. It's, it's different than the law enforcement. He just said it's different than what we get in law enforcement. So he doesn't know anything about this canister. Jeepers. Uh, terrible. Is the formulation different? Is the way that it dispenses different? Is it a spray or a mist or a gel? Oh, holy crap. I hope the defense jumps all over this testimony. Well, let me just, I'm just doing a quick little Google search. Medical news today. What is pepper spray? Is it dangerous, right? It says you're supposed to wash with soap and water. So I don't know. Maybe I'm uh, moving, flush the area affected with lots of water to wash away the contaminants. Avoid using soap around the eyes. It's an irritant. So the treatment under medical news today for pepper spray is to flush the affected area with water. I, I don't know. I mean, what what is going on? I'm looking forward to the defense expert on this. For sure. <laughs> yeah. Smelled like mace? Uh, I did not. And were the doors open or closed when you arrived? When I arrived, I believe the door was open. Which door? The front door. And are you talking about the front porch or the door to the manufactured home? Uh, the door, to the best of my knowledge, again, it's been three years. I think the front door, not the door to the porch, but the door to the mobile home was open a little bit. Um, we, we've now repeatedly heard police witnesses unable to recall the detail of the investigation because it was three years ago. And of course, that's probably due to COVID and all this kind of delays, but that's bad for the state. 
these are their witnesses and they're like uh, making excuses about how long ago the their their the the event was and their recollection of it is and if it's coming to trial they should review their reports <laughs> i mean the one guy who is no longer a cop with the department he had an excuse right i don't have access to those materials in it. but still they should have prepped them i mean and the it, state could have provided it this is a murder case <laughs> <laughs> So you were telling us about Agent Lemus's overall photos, and those are the photos you said were taken prior to anyone touching the scene. Is that correct? That is correct. Okay. <clears throat> yeah, what am I Oh, man. Give me a moment to number these, sir. Okay. When you entered the residence, I'll continue asking questions. Um, was there any heat? No, not that I remember. It was cold inside the house. What was the ventilation like? Uh, I didn't. I don't think there was any. Uh, again, I, I don't even know if there was power to that residence, but I, I'm going to object to foundation. He doesn't know. He doesn't know anything. There's no one up five to six hours later. Is completely irrelevant. Anything that we're talking about with regard to Mace um, and whether or not the doors were open or not open five to six hours later is completely irrelevant. And, Your Honor, and we also don't have a foundation laid for the ventilation in, in, the, in, in, the, in the trailer because he doesn't know. He doesn't know. He <laughs> went into the trailer, so he would know. He, I'm, and it is relevant. He just said he doesn't know. That he, was Mace. He, he can testify as to how he found the, the mobile home. And what the condition was with respect to ventilation when he when he entered the house, that mobile, that mobile home. Yes, sir. What was the? How long did you spend on scene there? I don't actually remember the exact time. It would have been eight, ten hours. I don't remember the exact time. It was a while. You were there a while. What was the ventilation like while you were there? Uh, I didn't <laughs> notice any type of ventilation at all. <laughs> He's got his funky ringtone going. <laughs> when you were there, did you notice if any of the windows were open? I do not recall. I don't remember. <sighs> I can pump up the courtroom volume a little bit, folks, but then we get that background humming. And they're, they're just not talking into their microphones. Can you tell us whether there was a hairbrush in the cabin? <laughs> you know, the thing is, is that it, it's no excuse for them to say we're from small town and we're underpaid. I've seen a lot of great detectives and great police officers in small departments who are really on top of their game and know exactly what they're doing. It's no excuse for them to be this unprepared. I'm very unhappy with these police and being their lack of preparedness on a murder case. Say, we don't get paid enough, so I'm going to do my job. What you get paid is independent of what you do as a professional. You do it because you do your best because you're a professional. And also, all this mess goes against the state. 
And but having said all this so far, this is a debacle for the state. I mean, this is an awful prosecution and there's still a prospect. This defendant could be found guilty. And officer, in those exhibits that I handed you, do you recognize those? Yes. What are those? Those these are photos taken uh, of the scene. And were you present when these photos were taken? Yes, I was. Yes. And did you direct Agent Lemus what photos to take? Yeah, not specifically what photos to take, but to take all scene photographs. Um, do those photos appear to be the ones taken by Agent Lemus on the date of this incident? Yes. Or on March 1st, I guess, when you arrived? Yes. Your Honor, the state moves admission of exhibits 36 56. No objection. Uh, he, so he actually arrived. This guy arrived on March 1st. <laughs> so this event took place like 5 p.m. on February 29th. So he's there seven hours later. I'm putting under the document camera state exhibit 36. Well, I'm glad the defense uh, counsel has looked pretty good so far because I, I, you can't, you can't let this stuff go. And sir, could you please describe what this photograph is? Uh, that looks like a, uh, an overview photo of the actual uh, scene, the residence at the scene. And I'm putting under the document camera thirty-seven. <clears throat> what is this a photograph of? That's a, a, another angle of the the. The residence uh, where the scene was located. And if you know whose vehicle is that? Uh, it belonged to Mr. Ariola. I'll look at that Benny Hill video when this witness is done, farmhand Tom. I see your I see your comments there. What is this photograph of, sir? It's another photo of the uh, Mr. Ariola's pickup truck parked next to the front porch of the residence. And what is the item on the front porch? Uh, to the left, leaning on the stairs, is a rifle, an AR-15. And is that? where you located the rifle when you first arrived on scene? Yes. <clears throat> yeah, they're using an overhead projector. I know, it's crazy. But very, very old school. Yeah, but it's working pretty good, actually. You got to uh, admit. Sometimes it wasn't great. Yeah, the main image was not great. Porch, um, screen door, and then the other door inside is the actual door to the, uh, to the mobile home. That's they work okay for nice flat things like photographs. Yes, those, those, those are the doors that we entered through. Uh, that's the door um, that leads into the, the residence, the mobile home. Uh, that's a picture from inside the porch. Uh, taking a photograph of the, the door that we entered through uh, in the mobile home. It's a bifold door. Bathroom, the, the privacy bathroom. bathroom. <laughs> so when you enter into this door, where was the lead So if you go through the front door or the main door here, and you take an immediate right, there's a room right there. And that's where the decedent was found. <clears throat> I'm putting under the document camera State Exhibit 41. What is this photograph? So, from the previous photo, like if you took a right, it took you to the room where the decedent was located. If you went left, then you went into the um, living room area, and that's a picture of the living room area. Very enclosed space. Yeah. Be a hell of a place to have another a photograph of the fight with a rifle showing the uh, the other door open on the other side of the, the mobile home. So that's the other exit to this mobile home? Yes. And I'm putting under the document camera, please exhibit 43. 
That's the uh, kitchen area inside the mobile home. <clears throat> Looks like some of the places I lived in college. <laughs> <laughs> That's a different view of the kitchen area, showing the basically where the table's at, where the uh, stove's at in relation to the door, the door that we entered through. And have you come later on the scene where there was an altercation or a fight before? Old school. Yes. How many times? Oh, at the top of my head, maybe three or four. What are common things that you observe in a room when there's a fight? Stuff gets moved around, stuff gets broken. Did you observe any of that here? Uh, in this case, to the best of my knowledge, I didn't notice any anything that was broken inside the, the residence or the room that I can recall. Yes, sir. So I'm putting under the document camera to exhibit <clears throat> What is that a photograph of? That's a photograph of the room where the decedent was located. And so that's where the fight happened. <laughs> his, uh, his legs are at the bottom of the photo. He's wearing some brown uh, winter coveralls. Yeah, what would be disturbed in that? That's a bed. Uh, yeah, what would be disturbed the if there was a fight here? What would located? be disturbed? Maybe the lid on the bin would be open. Yeah, oh, wait. See the end of photo. <laughs> and this is the room as you found it when you guys entered the scene. Correct. These are all the overviews. The rug would be possible. Oh, look, at, there's his hand with the mace in it. See there? Yeah. Uh, the, the same room uh, where the decedent is located looks like uh, a sheet on a bed. And then uh, you would expect the canister to move in his dead hand, right? I mean, the guy was shot in the head with a rifle. He's going to be dead when he hits the ground. It's the same room. Uh, that's that's the bed. That's when on the they other side the of the wall. spray was no and, longer uh, focused out, jackets, you know, pointed out. And, uh, sure. The plastic tote next to the bed. Yes. <clears throat> This scene is inconclusive for a fight. Right. They can't say because there wasn't evidence of a fight, a fight didn't occur. This, there's uh, no objects. There's no the same bed in the previous photo, just from a different angle. There's no hummels. Right. right. Uh, those are the bunk beds located inside the room. Again, taken from a different angle inside the room. And the decedent is located at the bottom right. Very close quarters. Holy cow. Yes, that's the same tote. <clears throat> and uh, the defense says the decedent was between their client and the door. I mean, that's... The same room, just a different angle. Um, showing uh, the decedent like in relation to where the door to the room is at. And can you point to us where that tote was, the rubber tote? The rubber tote? Yes, sir. The and I guess one? they don't have any building codes in New Mexico. <laughs> and where are the um, clothing that was hanging on the wall in the other photograph? It was uh, just right behind it on the wall. Can you point to it on the photograph? Uh, probably, if this is the wall, probably right here. And the clothing was still hanging there when you processed the scene? As is, yeah. That's how we got it when we got there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. That heater was probably mounted on the wall, not on the floor like it is now. There's a there's a mark on the wall that looks like that's where the heater would have been mounted and broken off. The decedent uh, lying face down. These photos room. are going to get you banned from YouTube. Uh, it's right next to his head. And um, 
I'm sure I've already been demonetized for the, for today's <laughs> show. It happened so quick. It's like my face appears on the screen and YouTube demonetizes me. Uh, just <clears throat> I should take much the same photo, just a different angle, showing the decedent laying face down uh, next to the gray tote with his head pretty much almost leaning on the tote itself. And um, is there also a hat in this picture? There is. It's right. right now it's still it's monetized. Like hat, okay. So far. So far. I got to go in about five minutes, too, by the sure, way. Sure, Steve. There's the pepper spray. Uh, that's the that's a picture of uh, the decedent's right hand. Uh, that's where we found uh, looked to be a black canister or a black bottle of uh, pepper spray or mace. <clears throat> uh, that's the same photo, just in a, another photo, but just a, more of a close-up, and that shows the uh, the can of mace in the decedent's hand. Can you describe the can of mace to us? Uh, it's just, you know, it looks like you're, I don't know exactly what brand it was, where it's purchased from, but uh, based off the way it is in the hand, it looks like the uh, the nozzle is facing backwards. So they, they should know the right direction. what the brand is. So the Why do they not know the brand? Yes. Ev evidently, there's a bad picture coming up there, Andrew. Can you also describe what's on the nozzle or sprayer? <clears throat> uh, it looks like dirt or buildup of some sort from... This looks like dirt buildup. I'm not too sure, but that's what in my that's what it looks like. Um, this is terrible. You, you don't know anything. No, what it is? <laughs> that's a, this is a murder investigation. A good five hours at least. Can you please describe to the jury the bedroom, the size dimensions, if you can? Uh, it was a small room for having what two bunk beds and then another bed in the corner, three beds in a small room. It was it was a very a very small room. What would it be the size? Eight by eight, eight by ten. I, I'd be guessing, but it was a small room. It's in evidence. Why do you care? Why are you asking this guy? How many Here it is. Were able to fit in that room while you processed it. Um, well, in this case, uh, I let Agent Lemus do his stuff first, and then I would go in there and do my stuff because it's it was we were too close together trying to take our photographs, my photographs, and his photographs at the same time because there was not nearly enough room to be around doing that. Well, both of you would have made three people in the room. And then I'm going to put under the document. <laughs> the body was there. That's a photograph of the AR-15 uh, rifle that was located outside the residence on the porch area. What are those little um, green markers? So whenever we take photos of evidence, um, when we're entering it, we always take photos with a green marker. That allows us to know which piece of evidence is what, so, um, so we don't enter it incorrectly. So in this case, uh, when we go back to our photos, G1, meaning green one, would be the rifle. G2 or green, green two would mean the, um, the magazine itself. So it, that we, if we have to review our photos to remember which piece of evidence is what, we have a photograph of it. <clears throat> hey, Steve, before you go, because I know you have to go momentarily, someone said they sent us a video of the cop opening the box with Benny Hill music. Do you have a link to that? No, you you don't. All right. So uh, I think, let me take a look. I might have saved it. <laughs> Benny Hill music. Okay. <laughs> All right. Hold on, folks. All right. Yeah, I need a comedy to send me off. I got to get going. I've got a claim to catch. Okay, here we go. All right. 
Oh, this farmhand Tom. Yeah, this was a disaster. Look at this. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I don't hear sound. You have to I share. Sound. You have to share sound. That's the whole point. That's the whole point. When you do the video, like the, I, my wife taught me this. When you do, you have to do share sound on there. A little click the little button or the little checkbox. Oh, I did the wrong thing. Okay. Yeah. I learned this for your class because <laughs> I did. I had an embedded video in my last class. All right, here we go. This should. <laughs> <laughs> all right folks it just goes on for another minute or so oh that's right, it was hey, i gotta go yep thanks for joining us good luck on your flight is this your vacation flight it is i got right, to go beat time, my man. wife out meet my wife and so we're gonna have a good weekend so thank you for letting me on and uh of course, of course. This is a great trial you're covering here. This is awesome. last last hold your book up one last time, Steve. Oh. Let people know where to get it. Last time. Last time. I've already some I've, I'm gonna have to ship out the ones that people ordered here. Um, when you get back from your trip. When I get back. So here, crimelaw.net. Thank you all. Thank you, Chad. Written by Andrew. I wrote forward. Honored to do it. All right, Steve. It's, have a great vacation. Give my best to your wife. Great. Thank you. All right, take care, buddy. And then there was one. <laughs> All right, folks. It's just me now. Let me pull up the rest of this cop's testimony. This will be the last. It looks like we're approaching the last few minutes uh, of uh, testimony from two days ago. And then we'll transition into yesterday's proceedings and hopefully catch up by the end of the day. So. Here we go. Yes, yeah, he's great. I'm a fan. I'm going to put under the document camera. It's been admitted as State Exhibit 55. Um, what does the debris on the nozzle indicate to you? Objection. Foundation. He <laughs> doesn't know what it is. <laughs> this is this is insane. He, he, he already testified he has no idea what that stuff is. It couldn't mean anything to him. I, I don't think they can put this defendant on the, on the witness stand because I think he has some mental health issues in his background they wouldn't want um, exposed and it would be exposed. If he's a witness, he's a witness like anybody else and all kinds of things become uh, exposable that otherwise wouldn't as a defendant. Man. This lawyer walking up, this defense lawyer, the one, the taller one, is very good. She's been very good. I mean, she's probably she comes across as a miserable human being. I mean, you wouldn't want to be in a you know a party with her, but uh, she's a darn good attorney.
Yeah, nobody's starving in New Mexico, so that's good. Uh, no, I don't think she's hot. I think she's uh, whatever the whatever the entry for Karen is in the uh, Encyclopedia Britannica. I'm pretty sure that's uh, or Wikipedia these days. That's what you get. I would imagine. Although I, I don't think I've seen her face yet. Yeah, I have. Yeah, it's it's nothing right home about. It's fine. Of course, they're all wearing the uh, the panties on the face. Yeah, cross of this witness. I doubt we'll do it today because there's not enough time left. Uh, and according to the the clock on this video, they it may be tomorrow's proceedings, which will will go right to after this is done. Uh, but cross cross of this witness ought to be brutal. Uh, let's see if I can. Uh... Didn't mean for that to start again. Uh, super chats. Uh, someone says uh, uh, Jeff Pearson, two dollars, five dollar minimum on the super chats, folks. I have to fix that. Analysis and interpretation equals best guess. You know, a lot of guessing going on by these state witnesses when you have to disprove self defense beyond a reasonable doubt. Andrew Langsing, uh, five dollars. Thank you. Still laughing at not testing the spatter on the gun. An airport checked the dust on my shoes after Burning Man. This is a murder case, indeed. And all these failures. Uh, undercut the state, which has the burden to disprove self-defense beyond a reasonable doubt. Well, the defense lawyer looks pretty happy there. Still arguing. Man, this is a judge is shaking his head at the state. Yeah, bitch, take that. Nice try, dummy. See if they move on from that line of questioning. Yeah, these cops aren't up to TSA standards, which is not saying much. She's moving on. No more questions. You may. Oh. Yep, she's moving on. Can you please look through those photos, sir? Yes. When the state did their open, it seemed it looked to me like the prosecutor had never done an open before. I, I don't know if it's just that she doesn't want to be there, that this case was dumped on her. She thinks it's nonsense, too, but she has to do it because her boss told her. But uh, it was very stilted reading from a piece of paper kind of opening statement. There was no heart in it at all. No pursuit, passion for justice like you often hear for prosecutors. And of course, th that's the first substantive word. Did you review that you're the here. exhibit states 57 through 77, sir? I did. <clears throat> and um, do you recognize them? Yes. What is it? Uh, those are photos uh, taken of the scene. How do you know? Uh, these are taken by uh, Agent Lemus. Okay. And do they appear to be a fair and accurate representation of the scene that day? Yes. Your Honor, the state moves admission of a state's exhibits 57 through 77. Uh, no objection. They'll, they'll be admitted. Uh, real quick, though, Judge, can we approach again? That's the current. Yeah. The state has to be the state has to be dreading cross examination of this witness. And I, I sure hope this, the Karen on the left does it. I got to find out what her real name is, but I'm just going to keep calling her Karen. Um, 
her. I would not want her to be my boss. Come on. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Like, don't make me go to the judge again. All right. Just, just don't make me do it. I don't want to, I don't want to hurt you. Oh, she sounds tired. So, um, <laughs> tell us how you process a crime scene in which a fire Suddenly the prosecutor sounds tired. So what we'll do is we'll, um, Photograph the firearm. Um, so if the firearm's left on scene, uh, we'll photograph it as is, where it's at, so on and so forth. Take photos of it, and then after we got all our photos of it, we'll then uh, retrieve it. Uh -huh. uh, we'll take it to usually our crime scene van, and then we'll process it there under better lighting conditions, so on and so forth. Uh, we'll take a picture of the gun. You know, all four, depending on how many sides it is, four sides. We'll take a picture of the um, the serial number, the make, the model, the caliber. Uh, we'll remove the magazine if there's a magazine inside. Uh, we'll, photograph the magazine to see if there's uh, any uh, ammunition loaded inside the magazine. And then what we'll do is we'll unload the weapon. So we'll, um, to see if there was one actually chambered inside the weapon itself. So sometimes there is, sometimes there's not. <clears throat> so what are the pieces that you... So by the way, folks, I just did a quick Google search to see if I could get the name of that, uh, that uh, lawyer's name. I, I didn't come up with that quickly, but I did see from March 6, 2020, which is a week after this uh, event, uh, that he was the defendant here was charged with murder within six days of the event. You're looking for um, when there's an investigation involving a firearm, what are the components? Uh, usually we're looking for the gun itself, right? The, the magazine, the ammunition used, any, any, any spent casings that might be on scene. Okay. Can you describe to the jury what a spent casing is? So whenever a, a weapon is fired, um, whether it be a handgun, an automatic weapon, not a revolver, but a, a handgun or an AR-15 type rifle, whenever there's a, uh, around discharge from that rifle it's going to extract the casing and it's going to fly out either to the right or to the left depending on what type of weapon you're using and it's going to fall on the ground and that's what we call a spent casing a fired casing and um what is a projectile uh, a projectile is the the so you got a bullet right and on the front of the the bullet it's a piece of copper depending on what type of bullet it is it could be I mean, there's so many different types but the projectile is the actual piece that's fired out of the <laughs> oh for god's sake itself through the barrel the is the bullet doors or you know so on and so forth <clears throat> good lord that's the bullet my friend the whole thing is a cartridge or a round sorry getting sidetracked here all right um i'm putting underneath the document the bullet's the part of the cartridge that flies out of the barrel can you describe what this photograph depicts, sir? Uh, looks like there's a, uh, we like to use uh, disposable um, rulers, I guess, uh, on the decedent's clothing. And it looks like there's a- I will say it's interesting now that they're showing these, uh, these uh, scene photographs of the victim here, we see a little bit of blood here. There's, there's not a lot of blood in these photos. Uh, which is uh, uh, remarkable, really, uh, given he was shot in the head with an AR. I mean, sometimes the, the head just, you know, pops like a balloon. They call it a canoe. So this could have been potentially a, a gruesome scene with blood and brains everywhere. Uh, and it's not. And that's helpful to the defense, because if there was a lot of blood and gore, 
uh, the state would certainly be using that to, you know, emphasize the malice of the defendant here, even though it, it doesn't change anything legally. Defect um, on the side of the clothing itself, some sort of defect from something. Okay. I'm putting underneath the document camera state exhibit 58. What is that a photograph of? That's uh, for, uh, a close-up of the previous photo of the defect located on the clothing of the decedent. And tell us about the body. Who processes the body of Mr. Audio? I might get a strike, but this so is whenever we go to a scene where law and crime any type of death, um, with my added analysis. Uh, we don't take anything off the body. We don't move it. We don't roll it over. Uh, OMI has strict authority over that body. So you're, you're the, the person in charge of OMI comes that day when after it's we're done processing the scene, and it's okay for them to come and you know take their photographs, look what they need to look for. Then OMI will go ahead and move the body uh, and look for anything you know they, they can find prior to being shipped off to Albuquerque. Um, to be, you know, to have a, an autopsy. <clears throat> okay. And was that done here? Yes. So you guys take the overall photographs and then OMI takes their portion and then you continue to process the scene. Is that how it works? Correct. And we'll take photographs with OMI, but again, we don't, we don't manipulate the body at all until OMI gets there. Okay. I'm putting underneath the document camera so you can see the 59. What is this a photograph of? Uh, that's a photograph of uh, <clears throat> the scene after the decedent was transported out of the, the trailer. Um, that's what underneath there you see the uh, spent uh, shell, uh, the, the fire cap. casings and the there's blood underneath the, the uh, decedent along right. with his hat. The cap and then Can the cap please, came uh, off and it's in the blood. The jury where the spent casings were? To the right of the, uh, the frame. <laughs> that I can see, yes, that I can see, yes. And in, in this photograph, in relation to the bedroom, where was the um, plastic bin at? Uh, the plastic bin, after we, again, after we processed the photos, the, the gray plastic bin everybody saw was located right here. <clears throat> so I'm putting <clears throat> the document camera space exhibit 60. What is this a photograph of? Uh, another fire casing found on scene. Was this the only fired casing on that side of the room? Did I remember? Yes, did I, did I recall? Um, how many casings were in the bed? Spent casings were there in the bedroom? I believe there was 10 or 11. I don't remember the exact number, but it was yeah, that, around 10 or 11. On the right of this image, not on memory? its side. Uh, it's actually, not the evidence list, if correct, I have it, it actually me. So it was probably knocked off the wall. It wouldn't, you wouldn't run it like that. <clears throat> so to remind you we are playing catch up this is uh, the end of testimony from two days ago we have about uh maybe 20 minutes left here uh, and then we'll um I'll, I'll go through the super chats and stuff and then uh, we'll proceed with yesterday's testimony which i expect we'll start with cross of this guy i can't believe they would have uh i don't know why start cross this late in the day? I'd rather start in the morning, so it's all. Sir, what shot. would refresh your memory? Um, so whenever we enter evidence, um, we'll enter it as a fired casing. So that way, if I have the, the evidence list, the evidence list, wherever it says a fired casing, 
I'll just count all those and that'll tell me how many we retrieved from the scene. Okay. You're gonna make <clears throat> So uh, per the evidence list, there is 11 casings recovered, fire casings recovered. Okay. <clears throat> and were all of those, where were all of those casings located or recovered from? The, uh, to the best of my knowledge, they're all, or my recollection, it's been three years, was inside okay. the room where the decedent was uh, located. Were there casings in any other part of the room? Not that I can recall, no. Okay. I'm putting underneath the document camera, Can you describe for us what is in this photograph? Um, that's a different angle of another photo. So where the circle's at, that's where the casing was found there. And then uh, number 15 was on the bed. That's the, um, the canister, the bottle of mace that was in the decedent's hand. Who took it out of his hand? Uh, well, we'll ask OMI if they want to take it with them or if they want us to keep it. And they allowed us to keep it. So uh, I don't remember if it was one of us who took it out of the hand or uh, OMI but we do get permission and then we'll photograph it and package it as evidence. <clears throat> I'm sitting under the document camera, page And what is this photograph of? Um, more evidence located on scene. Looks like um, I can see about four more casings from the circle. Yes, sir. Did they leave their blue gloves <laughs> in the evidence photo? <laughs> There's also a, um, a piece of the scope there. And what is that identified as? Uh, 14, number 14. What is number four? Uh, number four, oh, that looks like another casing. I'm sorry, it's hard to see on the screen. That's another fired casing. Okay. <clears throat> uh, just a different angle of the previous photos uh, showing the relation of evidence. Looks like you can see three, like three or maybe four more fired casings. So one right there, three, six, seven. That's all I can see in the photo. <clears throat> I'm putting underneath the document camera page to see the same, same different angle. Yep, just another photo, a different angle of. Uh, Evidence that was recovered. So um, another fire casing there. There, there was a flip-up cover on the scope. So the flip-up cover has the part that flips up, and then it has a little frame that is the hinge. The circular circular thing we're seeing there in the clear space on the floor is the frame that would slide over the front of the scope. the The cap, the flip-up cap, is just to the right of that in in the blood. It might be a little hard to see, but that's what that is. On there. Two right there. Um, <coughs> that's it for fired casings that I can see. Is this the side of the room that the majority of the fired casings were located? Yes. I'm putting underneath the document camera, page 65. 
And um, what is this a photograph of? Uh, just another angle of uh, where uh, evidence was located. So number eight was a fired casing, uh, 10, 11. Uh, that's all I can see in this photo from now. What is this a photograph of? Uh, looks like a, a gray coat with a uh, fire casing on top of it, located at number 12. Can I have a moment, please? underneath the document camera what is this a photograph of um just a different angle of um evidence collection where they were located in reference to the room okay and what is exhibit 18 uh, 18 looks like a i believe it was a rifle <laughs> it doesn't know it doesn't know what it is it's a close-up view or a, like a mid-range view of the same photo uh documenting the rifle that was located underneath the, the bed, well, between the bed mattress. <clears throat> was that also collected? Yes. I'm putting underneath the document camera, what is this, a photo? The photograph of the black mace bottle that was located in the student's hand, and that was collected too. I mean, this is ridiculous, folks. They're taking photos of the scene after they've altered the scene and moved stuff around. That's not where the canister was when they walked in. The canister was in the guy's hand, as we already saw. This is what's what's the purpose of these photos? We we moved stuff around the room and then we took more photographs. That's absolutely crazy. And farmhand Tom, I I do see your video and it looks like it's the funny one. So I'm I'm going to play it when we uh, take a break after this witness. What is this a photograph of, sir? That is a photograph of uh, the front door uh, where, where I went into, looking back at the porch. Okay. And please exhibit <clears throat> That's a view from inside the porch area, looking back at you know the, the, the property. That, this could be the, like the state image for the state of New Mexico. <laughs> a lot of New Mexico looks exactly like this room, folks. Uh, that's the picture of the rifle that was collected on scene, the AR-15 rifle. And there's the electrical tape on the front of the scope that was holding on that lens cover, that flip-up lens cover. So if, if you're new uh, to our coverage of this, the, one of the arguments of the defense is that the, the cover was taped on to the scope and it was in the struggle is their theory of the case, their narrative, um, that the uh, the struggle was so vicious that the victim got his hand on the front of the scope and must have ripped the cover right off. And it ended up underneath his body broken uh, with with the flip up portion covered in his blood underneath him. Not the kind of thing that one would plant if you just shot and killed someone and you were, you know, you're going to break the cover and slide the, the lid into the pool of blood. So it's not very credible. And yes, I don't know why they keep calling it an AR rifle. It's got no, it's it's nothing like an AR rifle. But there you go. 
what other items um, were collected from the scene? Um, to best of my knowledge, we had the fired casings, uh, the rifle itself, the magazine, uh, I believe the, the hat, um, a piece, I believe a piece of the scope that was, that fell off or was on the floor. Fell off. Um, <laughs> was ripped off. Some swabs, DNA swabs or, or swabs of blood. Okay. Tell us how you do that. <clears throat> tell us about DNA swabs of blood. So they're not really, so when we process the scene, especially with blood, he's not um, really, he was about to say he's going to process it no matter what. Um, and in this case, I process the, uh, the suspected blood stain. So, uh, I label them SBS, which is means suspected blood stain. Okay. Um, as obvious as people might think it is, it's really not, you know, we, we can't say specifically that it's blood only the lab when we send it to the lab can tell you, you know, if, if it's blood or whose blood it is, is it human blood? So, um, I'll just pick certain areas to, to get blood swabs. Um, we'll swab them two, two per, um, I guess item number. Um, we'll let them dry on a drying table for about 10, 20 minutes and then we'll package them as evidence, seal them up and uh, send them off. And did you do that here? Yes. Do, are you the one who swabs the firearm? No, we do not process firearms. Only the lab is allowed to process. By the way, folks, if you look at the side of the scope here, does my little mouse appear on your screen? Yeah, it should, right? You look at the side of the scope, there's a, you know, there's a cylindrical thing at the top pointing upwards, and then there's a second one that's facing the camera. Uh, that's where you would make adjustments to the scope, uh, point of aim, point of impact adjustment. So the scope is, you know, the whole system is accurate when you fire it at whatever distance you care about. Uh, and normally there's a little screw on cap the, on those portions of the scope, a protective cap, and you would unscrew the cap. It would expose kind of a screw and use a screwdriver to adjust uh, the scope. It looks to me, maybe not, but it looks to me almost like the one facing us, the cap is missing, which might also be a sign of a struggle. It's not a very good photograph though. It's just a firearm for any type of DNA or whatever you want to talk about. So when you collected this firearm on scene, tell us the process for that. So with any scene in crime scene, right, you're, you're, you're processing a firearm and you're always wearing gloves, okay? Rubber gloves, uh, we change them out. We go through about a box of scene, maybe two boxes because we change them out so often. But um, anytime you're dealing with evidence or anytime you're inside the scene, you're always wearing protective rubber gloves. So if you're processing a weapon, especially uh, in this case, this AR-15, you're wearing gloves. Um, and yeah, that's how, that's how we process weapons. Okay, and then you package it up, it looks like in a cardboard box? Correct, yes, correct. Um, we don't remove anything. So like that one had a scope. Sometimes it's hard to um, package a, a rifle with a scope on it. So we just, you know, we have stuff that we do, um, but everything is packaged independently, you know, per whatever type of paper, plastic, whatever it depends. And do you seal that package? <clears throat> yes, absolutely. And then what do you do with that? Uh, once the package is sealed and it's dated and signed and initialed, um, then we'll, we'll uh, type it into evidence, our evidence tracker database. It'll print us out a, uh, a little, little label. We'll stick it on there. And then once evidence is all collected, um, whatever agency we're assisting, uh, they'll get an evidence list from me or whoever's the crime scene manager. Uh, we'll go through every single piece of evidence with that department and they'll sign for it. They'll take it. And now that evidence belongs to them. So you don't, you're not the entity that takes it to the lab. The agency does. No. Yeah. We don't, we don't ever keep evidence. Just, we always, uh, it's always signed off to whoever we're, we're assisting. So where would the scope <clears throat> go on this particular rifle? Where would it go? Yes. I would go to probably the firearms lab in Santa Fe. If they want, if it's depending on, if it needs to be sent. So in this case, the um, broken scope that was on scene, can you circle on the screen where that would be attached? Uh, at the front part? The cap. The, the, cap. Cap. Yeah, the cap, yeah, the cap, the cap to the scope would go right there, okay. the front part of it. And um, you <clears throat> testified earlier that you work at the armory, right? Correct. Do you ever use electrical tape to attach 
a cap? No, everything we use is has caps that, that you know that fit and they they snug and, and they snap on. They're pretty snug. Okay. Um, I'm putting underneath the document camera. Exhibit seventy-seven. What is this a photograph of? Uh, that's a photograph of the magazine uh, that was collected. Uh, that was laying next to the IR fifteen. How many rounds does this magazine hold? Mm, Thirty. How do you know and that? How many rounds were left in the magazine? <laughs> uh, I don't know the exact. Like, I looked at because we can look through the top of it. Maybe six or seven. I don't know the exact number. Okay. Who, and who collected the magazine? Uh, Agent Nemus. Um, can you describe to the jury what type of ammunition was in this weapon? So this is uh, your standard 556 uh, ammunition, that, just a size-wise. This was green-tipped ammunition. Uh, usually green tip is in, indicates uh, armor piercing rounds uh, that were located inside the magazine itself. Sure, it's, I know. I know it's a P Mag Thirty magazine, folks. But I would still ask the witness how he knows. Maybe he won't have an answer. Do you want me to close your bench for a second? The judge is tired. This is the end of the day. Let's see. Let me take a look at. Yeah, nine minutes left in this video. So the judge is telling him to wrap up. He's looking at the clock on the wall. Defense counsel is like, no, she doesn't want to start with nine minutes left. She's uh, she's going to want to do her. He's asking the state how much longer with this witness. What's what's going on? Did I mute it by accident? No. They they just left the mics muted for the bench when they approached the bench. He's talking to the jury now, wrapping up the day. That's it. And I assume that's all. Let me let me fast forward the video a little bit. Yeah, nothing else happens here. Okay, so let me. Uh, I'm going to spool up the next video. I'm going to clean up my um, desktop a little bit here. Let's see. I'll get the next. Day three. There we go. This is so now we're caught up to yesterday, folks. And uh, before I jump into that, I do have the uh, it looks like I have the correct, the correct Benny Hill video ready to go now. Let me see if I can pull that up for everybody. This is the uh, presumably the cop opening up the cardboard box, Benny Hill. Whoops. Benny Hill style. All right. I'll take me off here. Here we go. Somebody should clip out that portion and play that Benny Hill music. He went through this very lengthy process of cutting open the box that the rifle was in with scissors, with a knife, uh, wearing uh, you know blue gloves that he kept carrying, getting his DNA all over the evidence. 
<laughs> now comes the knife. Oh my god, it's like someone it's like a guy who wants to stab himself. <laughs> this is a joke. This is serious. Oh my god. The Keystone cops here. Merry Christmas, son. <laughs> oh no, he's not done. He's like you have a call sign, sir? Yes, uh, Mac the knife. <laughs> two finger. They call me two finger. <laughs> okay, okay, folks. I'm I'm back. I'm back. Of the defense, uh, when I ended the. Uh, the video right there but I, I don't i don't see that here i see the uh that last meeting at the bench and then the camera just pans up to the ceiling and then it goes to uh kind of a a screensaver screen so i'm just gonna have to start with the next day folks but before i do that before i do that thank you all for being here can't tell you how much i appreciate it uh if you're new here i am of course attorney andrew branker for law of self-defense if you're not familiar, if you're not familiar with me, perhaps the best way to get familiar is to get the free copy of our book, The Law of Self-Defense Principles. You can buy it on Amazon. In fact, I encourage you to look at the reviews there. Over a thousand reviews, five-star rated book. But don't buy it at Amazon. They'll charge you twenty or twenty-five dollars and shipping and handling. We only ask that you cover the shipping and handling. We'll give you the book for free. You can get this at lawselfdefense.com/slash/free-book. There's the URL here, here, here. Right below me. All right. Uh, and of course, we're covering the Dean Cummins tr murder trial in New Mexico taking place. We're playing catch up. We're just now catching up to yesterday's proceedings. We'll do it at a one and a quarter speed or something uh, to try to move through it. We'll skip through all the breaks and so forth. Let me take a look at see if we have super chats and law of self-defense member questions. Uh, so the way we're answering questions or reading comments is if you're watching on YouTube, they need to be in super chat form, at least $5, folks, at least $5. Or if you're a law of self-defense member, uh, hopefully you're watching this on your member dashboard. You can put your questions or comments in the chat there, and I'll read all of those. In fact, I'm waiting for the YouTube page to refresh for super chat. So let me take a look at what we have here. Um, let's see. Uh, stogies and boomsticks writes good morning andrew and steve this is the type of trial coverage is the best real-time analysis of false and positive steve your book arrived yesterday at home can't wait to get home and read it awesome uh donnie oh hey donnie uh, without any evidence that the defendant was the initial aggressor there is nothing left for the state except to prove that the homicide didn't have ability to use deadly force that the that the victim i guess the homicide victim uh, they were fighting, according to the defendant, they were fighting over the rifle, and I don't see the state has any contrary evidence to that. And and what evidence we do have seems consistent with that narrative. And if they're fighting over the rifle, it's a gunfight. Um, let's see. Have uh, Northrum Firearms Training and Service, have they clarified on whether the deceased actually used mace or if it was pepper spray? They're calling it mace. Uh, and there was a, uh, a distinction made by defense counsel. Are, are we talking mace? Are we talking pepper spray during part of the uh, direct testimony of this most recent witness, the witness that ended yesterday? 
Uh, but Mace, the, the Mace company, you know, there's a Mace company and it also sells a OC product. So I don't, I don't know what they're talking about. The state is uh, very poor at communicating anything with accuracy, probably because they can't afford to be too accurate. Um, so I don't, I don't think they know what they're talking about. I don't think the prosecutors know what they're talking about. I don't think their police witnesses know what they're talking about. Um, let's see. The gas heater is knocked off the wall, David says. Yes, indeed, it looks that way to me. It looks like it's knocked on its side, which would be ind- indicative of a struggle, which is the defense narrative. Um, this is their expert. Yeah, pretty weak expert, right? Um, Northam Firearms, can you testify that all those empty casings were fired during the assault? Are there corresponding holes, trajectories? I think they're going to get to holes. Uh, the, the number counts seem off here. It seems like sometimes he says, the, this police witness says 14 rounds, 11 cases, 10 holes in the room, two holes in the in the victim. So I, I'm not sure. You know, hopefully the defense on cross will um, will pick at that. I mean, the burden's on the state to disprove self-defense beyond a reasonable doubt. It's a murder case. If convicted, this guy goes to prison for the rest of his life. Detail matters. It's definitely not an AR. It looks to me like a Sig Sauer 5.56 rifle, which is a very nice rifle. I wish I had one. I should, I should go buy one. I don't know why I don't have one. I've shot them extensively when I was an adjunct instructor at the Sig Sauer Academy in New Hampshire. They're, I think they're awesome. Uh, but that's what it is. It's a completely different operating system <laughs> than an AR-15. It's got, except for the caliber, very little in common with an AR-15. The caliber in the magazine, I guess, it does use a AR-type magazine. Uh, but it's, you know, it's a black rifle that fires a 5.56. So people who don't know any better call it an AR. Um, Thomas says, uh, Andrew, you should take advantage of the larger YouTube audience by saying you'll give a final summation of the day only to law self-defense members. So join up to hear this. I'm, I'm not sure I'm going to do a summation of the day. It's a lot of work, folks. I, I already I'm covering this for eight hours, 10 hours. And then to do that summation, like I've done for other trials, higher profile trials, that's another two to three hours of work. So I'm, I'm not sure I'm going to do it for this trial. It's just it's not that big. Um. The benefit here from getting uh, being a law self-defense member is I'll read all your questions and all your comments without you having to spend any super chat money. I mean, you're, you're already a member of law self-defense. Um, oh, someone gave me the names of the lawyers. Nicole Moss, that's the person I'm not referring to as Karen. She gave the opening statement. She seems quite good. And Carrie T. Morrissey. Carrie. Um, Karen was almost right. Carrie T. Morrissey, the taller one uh, with the lighter hair. Uh, she's been awesome on cross i'm really looking for i hope she crosses this witness um and someone says they found the location i'll have to there's a for our members there's a google map link in the chat you can click over to the location it's uh it's if you if you were to look at a map and you find taos and to the west of that is los alamos to the west of and then there's forest to the west of that and then the forest ends and there's a highway running northwest to southeast that's 550 this ranch the location of this event was uh, a, a few miles, two, three, four miles off of 550. Excuse me, folks. Sudden sneeze there. All right, so the member comments are all up to date. Let me take a look at the Super Chats. Um, let's see. Uh, Farmhand Tom. Yes, I. thanks for that video. It was awesome. I finally played the right one. Uh, um. 
And Sup Sup uh, and Farmhand Tom contributed $25 in Super Chats to bring his much superior video to my attention. So thanks for that, Farmhand Tom. Um, Sup Sup, it's M, $5 Super Chats says, I'm playing this at 1.5 speed to catch up now and I feel super human. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad you feel super human. All right. So I think we're all caught up on anything. I guess I should take a look and see. I, I don't really know how to check rumble rants folks i'll do a quick scroll through the comments uh, there was only one colored comment in rumble so i presume that's the and i read that earlier today i presume the colored ones are the rumble rams uh youtube provides a, a nice way to aggregate the super chats i don't i don't know if rumble does that i'm not aware but a, a quick scroll through the comments there doesn't seem uh like there's any more rumble rants there all right so let's pick up with the next day's the next days close that open this day three day three all right here we go i'll scroll forward there's the seal I'll skip any preliminary. Okay, there we are. There's, uh, oh, they're at the bench already. So here's the first witness. Oh, there he is. He's about to sit down. We'll start. We didn't miss any cross at the end of the last, uh, the previous day's video. Right away, right away, defense is at the bench. They got a complaint. <laughs> yeah, the TV above the cop has the courtroom <laughs> camera view. Uh, displayed we're, we're looking at the uh from behind the judge well we're looking from behind that tv i guess there's a camera right behind that tv so it's like a mirror a weird mirror so can you folks hear me okay like this when they when they mute the courtroom is the audio problem only when the courtroom audio is live yeah did they show a juror i didn't notice Let me let me go back and see if I can see that and then I'll I'll forward back here again. Yeah, so the screen is blank there. <laughs> someone someone turned the screen on. Right, so the screen whoops. Yes, sir. Go ahead and take a seat. So the screen is blank above the above the uh, the witness. They asked to go to the bench, and I'll freeze frame it when we have the, the larger view of the screen. So the screen is still blank. And now it's on. What the hell are they doing? And that would be the jury box here, and that would be a juror over there. Good heavens. I don't know if we can make anything out. No, I can't zoom in. Yeah. 
I wouldn't know how to zoom in, folks, but that's not good. The judge is going to be pissed about that. Someone, someone blew it. Oh, on this monitor, too, on the bottom right. This is supposed to be the monitor that displays you know, when they want to put evidence up on the screen. Holy cow. Uh, it, could, it must be one of these cameras up here. Could there be another camera? No, it's right behind the screen. How weird. All right. Well, there we are. So let me go. All right. She's walking back. Somebody screwed up. Yeah, we should get the uh, Rittenhouse state expert, right, to zoom and enhance, add some pixels. Uh, she's just not talking into a microphone, folks. Pinch and zoom. You're talking about the prosecutor? Um, the item from that? Okay. You want me to put on some gloves? They're behind you. You think those are wigs or hair extensions? I don't I don't know enough about woman's hair to tell. It's it looks like a rat's nest. You said remove it? Yes, sir. Okay. And is that the mace that was taken from Mr. Audiola's hand on yes. the day that you did this process the scene? Yes. Can you describe to the jury how mace typically works? Is this something that's squeezed from the side or the top, or how does it work? Uh, and this, if you could stand up so they okay. can see you. On this particular model, um, something that I carry as well, there's a, uh, a stick that's a safety. So in order for it to be deployed or safe, you have to uh, lift up the stick. This is a different brand, but the same design. Flip up top. Just trying to push it from the Big. top. Button under your thumb. It's kind of a safety mechanism that way you don't accidentally spray anybody in the cell. Um, but need to be lifted up. Thank you, sir. Um. <laughs> you should spray a little bit to demonstrate to the jury how it works. <laughs> and your honor, may I approach? You may. A, a little bit of oat. Now, they say that's maize. I don't know, but I can tell you a, a little bit goes a long way. Yes. You, you wouldn't want to stay in that room. <laughs> oh, my God. I wonder how much this guy's dreading cross. I wonder if he knows this defense lawyer. I mean, they might. They're both in the criminal justice those? system. I do. How do you recognize those? Uh, those are photos that, photos that I took of the scene. And um, 
I have to tell Steve we lost 100 people when he left. Yes. <laughs> and is it an accurate representation of the state? Steve has his fans. And the state moves admission of exhibits 79 through 93. No objection. Is 79 or 78? 78, sorry. 78 through, through 93 will be admitted. Thank you. <clears throat> and may I approach? You may. Yes. Yeah. And before I move on to these um, new set of photos, which will be my last set of photos, I'm putting under the document camera, again, State's Exhibit 68. And just for clarification purposes, sir, um, is this what the mattress looked like when you entered the room? To the best of my recollection, yes. No, okay. You have to move it to put the um, marker in there. Yes, we had to lift it up in order to get a photo of Okay, and that's not how it looked when you entered the room. And in this photograph, we also see what says area work, like a shoebox, I guess? Yes. Did you also place that there? I believe we did. I don't remember. I believe we did because it helped get a better photo and held the mattress up. That way we could show in the photo where the rifle was located. underneath the document <clears throat> camera it's been marked as state's exhibit 78. <clears throat> can you describe to the jury what this is a photograph of that's a photograph of the exterior porch area as you're coming in uh, from the driveway towards the uh the residence um and those three photo or the three uh markers you see there um are defects that i uh that i that i found they were actually pointed out to me by um, uh, the sergeant from SCSO at the time. And um, can you tell us how you typically go about document a, documenting a scene <clears throat> um, where trajectory is involved? What's your guys' first step? Uh, first off, again, we'll take our overall so on and so forth. And then uh, at this point, I was just assigned, uh, assigned myself to document uh, any trajectory or type of defects that might be in the house based off what I saw. Um, so what we'll do is we'll put little small ruler markers, like little tape rollers, millimeter um, <clears throat> side up. It sure likes to work. We'll just place them underneath it to get a reference of how big uh, a defect was. I hope that's and not as false throughout the house and see if there's any defects where they're at and, and photograph them. How do you typically label what you called a defect? Uh, I label it as I, I1, I2, and I it just stands for impact. Do you recall how many impacts you documented at the scene? I don't. If I had to guess 13, 14 at the time, I don't remember exactly. Would that be in your report? Would that refresh your memory? Uh, it would, yeah. <clears throat> your Honor, may I approach? You may. <clears throat> <laughs> so yeah at the third bottom paragraph it states okay you know why I want to write. has your memory been refreshed it has how many impacts did you document at uh, this scene 14 14 <clears throat> and what is a trajectory rod a uh, trajectory rod is a little rod they come in different sizes that allows us to uh place through a an impact spot or a defect spot to see if we can get an angle 
of how a, a projectile or something that was that impacted a wall or in this case that porch what type of angle it was going at so i'm putting underneath the document what is this a photo of, sir? That's the same photograph as a prior one. This one just shows uh, trajectory rods through, through those uh, impact sites. <clears throat> now I'm putting underneath the document camera. Actually, let me ask a couple more questions. I forgot to speed it up. Can you, um, there we go. When you review a scene and you're documenting trajectory like you did in this scene, can you describe to the jury what the differences that you see between an entry and an exit impact are? Well, it, it all depends on uh, there's various factors that come into play. So um, on some close-up photos of this, um, in order to get a good angle uh, from trajectory, uh, I was taught there has to be an entry and an exit. Okay. The problem with that is, is if it's, if the projectile is tumbling, if it slows down or it impacts something else and it slows down what they call yaw or it's tumbling, it's going to go continue on its path, but it's not going to give you the, the size of the hole as if there was nothing in between it. So for example, if there was a, um, a shot fired through this desk, could it be a small hole here and a small hole on the other side? Nothing in between to slow it down. But when there's deflection or it hits a, a door or a wall and then starts tumbling, it's gonna go through stuff and it's gonna give an elongated, I guess, hole. So on that point right there, it's hard to get a, an exact um, angle that it hits the wall, if that makes sense, because it's, it's tumbling or it's slowing down in yaw. That's a photograph of the interior. Uh, so the previous photographs show the exterior of the porch. That's a photograph of the interior of that porch where I um, labeled those defects. Can you point to where the defects are for the jury, please? Sure. That's all I can see from now. Okay. And then one follow-up question on the defects. Are you able to age these defects? Can you say whether or not they happen the time of this incident or if they were there previously? Uh, I can't answer that. I don't know if, if, that, if, if there's a possibility to tell when it happened to know. Now I'm putting underneath the document camera, it's been marked as States Exhibit 81. It's not letting me erase it, but can you tell, what, tell the jury what's documented in this photograph, sir? So it's... Uh, Almost the same photo as a previous photo, just from a different angle, showing the impact sites. Um, the, imp the impact sites with the defects were in inside the porch area. So, right there. <clears throat> Can you um, tell us a little bit about the rod that's on the top of that? I guess it's an air conditioner or some sort. Yeah, of it's like a like a like a portable swamp cooler. Okay. Can you tell us a little bit about that trajectory rod? Um, that one, again, I lined up. I tried to line up the defects to see where it was in conjunction with that. Um, portable air conditioner and uh, it lined up perfectly. Um, so that top rod looks like, I can say I3 maybe. Um, I ran it through the air conditioner and it lined up with the, the defect that went through the porch. Were you able to tell whether these were going upwards or downwards? Uh, that one looks, <laughs> appears to be going in an upward angle. And do you remember how tall that swamp cooler unit was? It was about, it was over two feet tall. So I know that. Okay. Now I'm putting underneath the document camera with the marked with states exhibit <clears throat> Can you describe for us what's documented in this photo? Uh, just, uh, I documented the defects um, in the door, in the front door that's inside the porch area, the main door that we went through. Um, same same uh, idea is I found defects in the door and went, went ahead and put some uh, trajectory rods through there for uh, um, documentation purposes. Can you circle where you put trajectory rods? I sped it up to 1.5 speed. So there's this side of the door, the interior side of the door, and then it looks like the frame of the door right there. 
Now, when you place these trajectory rods, were you able to determine whether the door was open or closed uh, when well, they went through, the impacts went through? Well, based, based off of the documentation I did, it appeared at the time that the door was in this position that it's in right now. I'm putting underneath the document camera Casey's of the What is this a photograph of, sir? That looks like uh, the photo of the interior of the door. And that's a close-up, so I don't know if that's the interior or the exterior of the door, but that's the door, a close-up of the door. So one of the things that the fence emphasized in their opening was that some of the shots were fired with the rifle very close to the ground. Um, and these trajectory rods seem to corroborate that. The trajectories look like they're going upward, close from the ground, in an upward direction, um, which is not how you would expect someone to fabricate a crime scene. Uh, you would you would expect them to hold the rifle in a somewhat normal manner and put some holes in the wall, not not hold it horizontally pointed slightly up just above the floor. <clears throat> so I don't know why the state is emphasizing this here, but I guess we'll see. I'm putting under the document camera eighty four. Okay, so that's that's the uh, looks like the exterior of the door right there. This is eighty four the exterior. Yes. And then this is the exterior of the door. Yes. Actually, no, I'm wrong. The color, yeah, so I had it backwards. Well, you can tell by the colors, right? Because those are close-ups. That's why we take uh, uh, like overviews. So you can, I can now by take, looking at this photo, I see the overview of the door, the color. The exterior is like a cream. So then the interior would be the, the darker green. Okay, then what is photo so that's the exterior if that's the uh, cream color. So gotcha. Does the shape of this impact tell you anything? Uh, yeah, it, it shows that uh, whatever impacted that door was um, either tumbling or in yaw. So it's not a, a perfectly round circumference hole. It's elongated, which means the projectile was most likely in uh, either slowing down or it was tumbling that was going through the door. <clears throat> I'm putting underneath the document camera safety the 85. What is this a photograph of? It's a photograph of the interior of the hallway and the, the, the door frame with trajectory rod, with a trajectory rod through it. Can you please um, circle the trajectory rods? Yes. So where would be the entrance point? So on this one, the entry point would be right here. I'll put an extra up here. And where would the exit point be? Right here. Did you measure how far the entry point was from the flooring? Man, these I, I did it. I know. all I did it. Um, so close to the floor. The reason is, is because if you if you look at this this area here, um, just based off the impact and how it's that aluminum there has, you know, it looks like it's been torn apart. Uh, that based off my training experience, I've, that looks like another tumbling of of a, a projectile. And this right here um, was would be the entry point for wherever that projectile came from. I don't know if it was a direct shot. I don't know if it was deflected off the ground. So um, by getting that angle, it went to, it went to prove, pretty much prove anything at the time. Does that photograph also document any other impacts? Yeah, there's a, it seems like it looks like a, an impact right here. And those are your um, diagram label that you had put on the scene? Yes. Okay. Now I'm putting underneath the document camera, please exhibit 86. Let me see what what is this a photograph of, sir? Uh, pretty much the same photograph as the previous one. It just shows uh, more impact. So again, the previous photo showed this rod here. This photo is a little bit more of a mid-range, uh, which you could get more of an idea where it's at. Uh, the previous photo had that, and then this one actually shows another impact right there. This makes it worse. <laughs> All right, now I'm putting underneath the document camera. <clears throat> That's a photograph of another uh, impact area that I photographed. I remember 
I don't remember, I can't see the number. And um, can you describe where in the home this is located? Uh, this is, so the, I believe the restroom's right here. And then the front door would be right here. And then the other two impacts that we just labeled are right there on the previous photo. <clears throat> yes. So I'm putting underneath the document camera now, States Exhibit 88. Can you describe to the jury what's documented on this photograph? So this is basically an overview photo of the previous photos that we just went over. Um, uh, it shows the, the bathroom right here, or the restroom, the impact area where I put a trajectory route through the door frame and the inside wall. Uh, the previous photo where we showed this impact area, this one, and this one. And it also shows more impact areas that were closer, that were located uh, inside, closer to the room. Okay. And I think I have a photograph. The next one will show the ones in the room a little bit better. Okay. I feel like that was... Okay, I'm putting underneath the document camera, exhibit 89. Can you describe what's documented in this photo? Uh, this is just uh, another photo um, from a different angle. This one's from inside the room where the decedent was located. Uh, it shows, again, the trajectory route right here that goes through the door um, where the door frame was. That one there. The previous two that we saw there, three. And then another impact area there located by the green number four cone. I'm putting underneath the document camera, exhibit 90. Thank you. Um, can you please tell us what's documented in this photograph, sir? Uh, this is just a different angle, pretty much almost the same exact photo, just a different angle. Uh, but this time, this one shows a defect here, a better angle of these two defects here, along with impact sites or defects right here. And there's a rod that goes through the door right at the top. Now I'm putting underneath the document camera space exhibit 91. Can you describe what's documented in this photograph, sir? Uh, two defects uh, located in the floor of the residence right here and right there. Now I'm putting underneath the document camera, stage exhibit 92. I don't know if you can clear your circles. Thank you so much. Um, just a close-up of the previous photo, uh, showing the defects, uh, I-11, and the other defect right here. I can't see that number. Now I'm putting underneath the document camera, stage exhibit 93. And can you um, tell us what's documented in this photo? Uh, this one is basically another mid-range photo of the previous photo. It just shows the two... Um, defects that we just looked at and a little further back to you. Um, did you document how far those defects were from the wall? I did not, um, no. Um, how far do you approximate that they were from the wall? Based off this, uh, a couple feet maybe? Couple. Two, three feet, two, three feet, yeah, I, 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 didn't, I don't know an exact number. Um, are there any other impacts documented in this photograph? I don't think so. I believe this right here, I don't think that was an impact. I believe that that could have been a... Uh, a blood swab, so I don't think that was an impact. Unless I saw a photo of a close-up of that photo. Could be an impact. Right, remember, folks, the, the, the legal question is not, <clears throat> did, he, uh, did he murder somebody, really? The legal question is, can the state prove beyond a reasonable doubt that it wasn't self-defense? That's the burden on the state to get it to a conviction here. And <laughs> like all of you in the comments, this would not seem to be helping them one bit. In fact, quite the contrary. Fact, I can't see it from here. Keep on going. There you go. So that is an impact. So based off right there, that's I-13. That's an impact, the impact right there. And from this photograph, sir, where was the decedent's body? Uh, the decedent's head uh, was located in this area here. And his legs were, you know, <coughs> torsos right there, and then his legs were kind of out this way. So in that area. 
Um, are you familiar with that type of firearm? I think there's a six-hour AR-15, correct? Yeah, the AR-15 platform, yes. The, yeah. It's not an AR-15 platform. Which direction platform. does the um, spent casing expel from the firearm? On that particular firearm, um, the six-hour, the ejection port was on the right side. So if I'm holding the weapon like this, the cartridges will be ejected to the right. And we have the weapon here. Can you just go over here really Sure. Folks, in a confined space like that, those cartridges could bounce anywhere. They are forcefully ejected from the rifle. So again, I, I don't can't confirm this myself, but I believe the defendant here, Dean Cummings, has some substantial mental health history, um, and I can't help but wonder if the state was became aware of that. That's why they charged and decided to prosecute this case with such weak evidence. And then when the judge told them in the eliminating hearings that he was not going to allow that mental health history in because it's character evidence, that they nevertheless felt compelled to proceed with this trial because. I can understand how if that mental health history were admissible, it would certainly color all this evidence. But in its absence, what we're seeing here, what the jury is seeing. Nope. Thank you, sir. Can you please show to the jury which side the um, spent casings will expel from that firearm? Thank you, sir. Yes, sir, please. <laughs> and where were the majority of the casings located in this room? Inside the room, they were located, uh, a lot of them were located next to the wall up here. And I'm going to approach you, sir, with the court's permission. So I see somebody in the comments saying, and of course, I, I don't know if this is true or not, folks. I haven't checked, but it, I'll take him at their word that this defendant was uh, was for two years held not competent to stand trial. He was only recently found competent to stand trial. So that might be the delay in this trial as opposed to COVID. I, I had presumed it was COVID because COVID delayed all these trials. Uh, but that could be a possibility. <clears throat> this is still direct. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it sounds like Cross, right? I think Cross is going to be a little more exciting. Oh, more scissors. It's not really cumulative yet. We've seen uh, in other trials, we've seen cumulative testimony. Normally, it becomes really cumulative if you bring in another witness to provide the same testimony and then a third and then a fourth. They did that in the um, Derek Chauvin trial 
where they had all those people standing on the curb who were all seeing the same thing and they brought them all sequentially to basically provide the same testimony. Uh, that was certainly cumulative. And can you describe for us what is in the bag, sir? Um, so these look like uh, pieces of evidence labeled as uh, fired casings located inside the room. Um, their initial EL for the date of March 1st, 20 EL stands for Edgar Lemus. And is that to the agent who assisted you in processing the scene? Yes. Um, can you describe to the jury what the process is for collecting each individual casing that the state police uses? So usually on scene, uh, depending on the scene and how much evidence there is, um, <clears throat> the person taking photographs, that person's job for the, is just to take scene photographs and collect evidence. Um, in some scenes, if there's two, 300 pieces of evidence, we're all gonna help out. So in this, for these right here, if I look at all of them, um, again, we'll go in, we'll take our initial photographs, um, and then we'll start documenting evidence where it was located. And then once it's time to start uh, picking up evidence, we're going to document each one in photography. Um, I see someone in the comments asking uh, in there. They say in their area, Cur uh, the island of Curacao, Super Chats are not available. How can they support me and my channel? <clears throat> Folks, I frankly think you're all crazy to do Super Chats. Um, you're, you're spending five bucks, 10 bucks, 20 bucks for Super Chats. YouTube takes at least a third of that money. I'm not even sure, but they take a sizable chunk. For 10 bucks for the entire month, not just one day or one moment in a stream, for 10 bucks, you can be a law self defense member for the entire month, less than 10 bucks. And then all your comments and all your will be read and all your, your questions will be answered in the, in the member dashboard chat. So uh, if I were you, I would just become a law self defense member. That's, that's the smart play to me. Uh, but, uh, you know, if, if, for those of you who want, would rather do super chats, that's fine. After each piece of evidence is documented in photography, then we're going to collect it. That way we know exactly where it came from. For some reason, it gets placed in a different bag or we missed, you know, we, we don't know where it came from. We just revert back to our photos. Oh, that's, what, that's where it came from. That was number four. That was number one. So we always photograph everything before we collect it. Okay. And do you package each casing separately? <laughs> yes, we do. Fire casing. Each fire casing. Correct. Okay. Please describe to us how you typically do that. Do you tape it? You wear gloves? You seal it? Initial it? Tell us about that. So um, if you look at the photos in this photo here, so the initial photos will show all the, the cones in the room to get a reference of where all the evidence was at. In this case, uh, uh, Agent Lemus at the time uh, was photographing the room. And uh, for example, number four, right here. So what he did is he took the initial photograph of it um, with it laying on the ground. Now you see it on the top of cone four. The reason we get it on top of cone four is so we can take a picture of the back of the, excuse me, of the, back of the casing to verify uh, what brand it is so on and so forth. So we try to get a close-up to see what type of, uh, what brand, make, model it would be. So right here. Okay, and then you individually package each one? Correct, everyone will be packaged individually. So we have a, we got a saying in crime scene, if you seal it, you sign it. So if I take uh, a cartridge and I put it in one of these manila envelopes, I'm the one that's gonna seal it and I'm the one that's gonna sign it. So it's not specific to one person. If we're getting, if everybody's picking up evidence, whoever seals it, whoever puts it in the bag, will sign it. Can you count how many envelopes are there and who signed for which envelope? Okay. Maybe some of you who are cops have thoughts on this, but I don't know why they're taking photos of the case heads of the cartridges on the scene. There's no reason to prop them up on those little number stands like that. Uh, wouldn't that be something you'd normally do in the crime lab? I mean, you collect the cases 
evidence, you give it to the crime lab and they do the close examination of the case. It's so weird to me that they keep taking pictures of the scene after they've altered this, the scene. And, and one of the charges against this guy, this defendant, is tampering with evidence. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, looks to me like the cops are tampering with the evidence. Let me just double check here because I know what he did. And while you're double checking, sir, can you please um, verify that the label is associated with this case? Okay. And are these state police labels? So there's uh, 11 individually packed fired casings. Uh, all of them were initialed and packaged by, at the time, Agent Edgar Nemes. And this, these were New Mexico State Police labels. Is there a date on those labels? Uh, let me see the date. 3-1-2020 at 7.36 a.m. And what is the additional label? This additional label, we, it's individually packaged. We label it as ammunition. This was the cartridge that was loaded into the AR-15. So fair point in the comments. <clears throat> if, if it's a case with multiple shooters and different cartridges, different calibers, uh, you'd want to be able to associate each round fired with a particular gun or a particular suspect or a particular shooter. Uh, but we don't have that here. 15 that I just showed you. So it did have one chambered in the, car in, in, in the chamber. And whose initials are on that envelope? Uh, Edgar Lemus. And is there a date on that? 3-1-2020. Uh, so after Agent Lemus collects all of these fired casings and then the one unfired casing, what happens with those envelopes? There was also this as well. Oh, okay. Sorry. What is that? This looks like the, uh, he labeled Agent Edgar Lemus, same day, 3 one uh, It was the magazine that was in the photos that was um, uh, taken as evidence. So the magazine is in here along with the cartridges that were loaded into the magazine. How many cartridges were there? Uh, let me see. It says unknown cartridges inside. I don't know if he'll note it or not, but it feels like they're out of there, so. Okay. And um, that also has his initials and signed and dated? Yes. Okay. When you are done, the New Mexico State Police with processing the scene and collecting these, this evidence, what do you do with it? So once we're done with the scene and the evidence is done um, and processed and we triple check everything's labeled and initialed, we'll then go ahead and uh, print out a transfer of property or transfer of evidence. So what that means is it doesn't matter who we're working for, whether it's state police or in this case, Sanibel County, uh, the agents in charge of the case um, will go ahead or whoever they des designate to pick up the evidence will go through all the evidence, we'll print out a list, we'll go through every single one, check it off, and then they sign for it, um, date it, and then they take the evidence. And then in our system, we update it to say evidence was transferred to so on and so forth, and then we upload that uh, document that was signed. So does the New Mexico State Police put all of those items in the one larger envelope, or is that something that was done by Sandoval County? This most likely was done by probably Sandoval County. So we, when we give evidence, it's just like this, as you, as you see here. And then uh, all agencies do different stuff. The lab does different stuff. Sandoval County does different stuff. So. This bag right here was done by a different department or the lab. I don't know. Okay. Um, and in this case, who signed for that evidence? Uh, I believe it was Eric. No, no, no. I have to look at the uh, uh, the transfer of property. I know one of them was Eric Miller. And there was another one. I think it was Sergeant Griffin that actually signed for the, the initial evidence on scene that night. Okay. All right. I just have a couple follow-up questions. Sir, you can go ahead and put all that stuff back in the larger okay. envelope, if you will, please. You 
Your Honor, the state moves admission of exhibit, I believe it was 97. So I would again ask that we Sorry. separate the casings from the magazine in terms of the number. Let's do this on, on uh, 97. Let's call the casings 97A and the magazine 97B. Karen, Karen, Carrie, I guess is her actual name. Carrie, this uh, defense attorney uh, to the right of the defendant here sitting down. She she looks like a cat about to lunge <laughs> at the antelope from the high grass. She cannot wait. She's like, you ever have an argument with someone and you're talking, talking, and they're just they're obviously not listening. They're just waiting for their chance to talk. I'm sure she's listening, but man, she's uh, she she's she's. That leash is taut right now. Okay. Um, and we're at 1.5 feet. That you were in that room for maybe eight hours processing the scene? Yeah, it was a while. And when you were in that room, did you smell anything that resembled mace? Nothing. What was Agent Bogue's task that day? Uh, Agent Bogue was uh, tasked with scanning the scene uh, with a Leica scanner. Um, a Leica scanner is a device used by um, uh, people who build buildings, surveyors, and it survey. It's, it's just it's on a tripod and it spins um, really fast. And it's got a laser and it'll you know it'll graph this whole room, put it in three D, um, and then we can download it on a computer and then if you need distances or whatever you're looking for. All right. So <clears throat> the New Mexico law enforcement has no recorders, no body cameras. That <laughs> they have apparently no real crime lab. They got nothing but they have this laser room measuring device. I wonder whose brother-in-law got that contract from the state. Uh, you can do that on a computer. So her, her job that day, or she was assigned that day uh, to scan the scene and she'll do the, uh, the exterior and then the interior as well. So the exterior of the property and the residence and then the interior of the residence. And I'm gonna put underneath the document camera what has been stipulated in the state with admission 96, 95, 96, and 94. And I'm gonna put under permission to publish this. I'm gonna put underneath the document camera and sir can you tell the jury what this um diagram documents uh, so that's a diagram um of the uh the mobile home uh, where the scene is located and is this the diagram that agent vogue created using the leica scanner yes And the bottom half of the diagram, what is this document, sir? Uh, that's the area, that's the same, pretty much it's the same diagram, but it shows the front part, the front part of the uh, the mobile home. So up here, we'll uh, label it North Arrow. And then- I think this is porch. helpful to the defense. Look how here. confined that space is. Uh, that's the restroom. That's the hallway. This is the room where the seating was located. And then down here, um, there's the steps right here, G1, G2. Um, that's where the, the, the rifle was located when we got on scene, on Thank top you. of other evidence as well. Okay. Yeah, where's the bathroom? Can you clear the screen? That must be the bathroom on the right there. What is this? Um, so that's just the yeah. same, uh, almost the same diagram as the last one, except this one has the, uh, the decedent's body in the room. Um, okay, right here. And is the diagram done prior to um, the decedent being moved by OMI? Yes, so we'll scan it before um, the, the body's removed by OMI, and then we'll scan it after. I'm putting underneath the document camera stages at 94. And can you describe to the jury this diagram? <clears throat> That's more of a close-up diagram of the uh, cut in half to show uh, where the most of the, all the evidence is located. Um, it's more of a close-up 
than the previous photo or the diagram photo. And it shows the room where the decedent was located as well. And are there other things documented in this diagram? Yeah, so anytime we scan it, so again, we'll scan the room um, with the you know, decedent inside. And then once the decedent is transported out of the room, we're going to go ahead and scan it again with all our evidence markers. That way we can uh, locate any evidence markers if needed with the scanner. So there's the green markers that you see, the green labeled markers you saw in the photos that said G4, G5, G6. These are them in, located within the scanner, so on and so forth. And um, when you left the scene, was it finally daylight? Yes. Is it pretty quiet out there? Extremely quiet. Could you see someone coming from a distance? I mean, if you, you could see somebody's headlights coming from quite a distance. It's super flat, very dark and quiet, especially at nighttime. I'd pass the witness. All right. Here we go. I'm hearing that they leave the mics muted for four minutes. Hopefully not, but we'll see what happens. Agent Herrera, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Oh, not for long. <laughs> so we're going to clear a couple things up, okay? Oh, yeah. Oh, they go to the bench. Is this when they mute the mics? Uh, uh, yep. All right. I see. All right. So I'm at uh, uh, like 106. 108, 109. So I don't know. Given you. Okay, this should be almost the right spot. I don't want to miss anything. We don't have to, folks. So I'll start it here. Up it up it up it up. Yeah, her hair is a, a mess, but uh, she's a damn good now attorney. The photograph that I've given you. Where's that photograph taken? Uh, on scene. On scene, right? Mm -hmm. I'm going to move for the admission of Defendant's Exhibit B. Yeah, um, good good suggestion. Normal speed here. I want to enjoy this every moment of it. So you admit these things into evidence, approval of the judge, and then you can publish it, show it to the jury. What is depicted in that photograph is the magazine that I'm holding in my hand that you just handed to me, correct? Correct. I'm showing you what's admitted into evidence as State's Exhibit 30A. What is it? It's a uh, all-black AR-15 magazine. Where in the world did it come from? I don't. I don't know. <laughs> what? No. <laughs> How can something like this happen? Uh, 
again, we I pass off the evidence, so I don't know where that what that came from. I don't know. You don't know where it came from. No. And you weren't sitting in the courtroom yesterday when Sergeant Griffin came in and unpackaged it and told us that was the magazine. Uh, no, I wasn't in the courtroom at that time. This has been the actual magazine uh, is in evidence as what? What did we decide? Is it 98, 97A or 97B? 97A. 97B, should we mark it with a, with a sticker? I mean, given that we've got two, let's not get them confused, right? Imagine what this woman's husband looks like. <laughs> For the record, Ms. Walker just put a state's exhibit sticker on the actual magazine that's 97B. You did not put this magazine in evidence, correct? No. You did not collect this magazine from the scene? No. You did not see this magazine at the scene? No. <laughs> what a cluster F. Now, Agent Herrera, you, you've given some testimony. I think you've actually been asked numerous times uh, about mace and whether or not you smelled any mace, whether or not uh, the photographs that were taken of Mr. Cummings looked like he'd been sprayed with mace, right? You were asked those questions? Uh, yes. A couple of days ago, we heard about five potential jurors say that the effects of mace last for 45 minutes to an hour. Okay. Do you agree? Do, do you disagree with those people? Um, it's, pers it's, a, it's depending on the person. So, I mean, <laughs> I can't disagree with that. So when you're up here saying that you felt the effects of mace for two days, that doesn't mean that that's what normally happens. That just means that's what happened to you, right? That's correct. And you weren't sprayed with regular mace. You were sprayed with law enforcement mace, correct? Correct. <laughs> now, you showed up at the scene at about, what, 10 p.m.? About 12.30. I think 12.31 a.m. is when we got on scene. 12.30 or 1 o'clock in the morning. Correct. I wonder if this lawyer would do an interview afterwards. So if mace was sprayed at... Five o'clock in the evening, seven hours earlier, you wouldn't have any expectation that you would smell it, would you? I mean, there could be the possibility. Oh. I, I don't know. Like, I didn't smell anything, so I don't know how long mace lasts. That's right. You don't know. That's my point. Correct. You have no idea how long the odor of mace lingers in a room. Yeah, I don't know a specific time frame, no. Okay. Sometimes the beauty's on the inside, folks. <laughs> this is the defense. This is cross.
bear with me here while I... Get some photographs ready. And, and for all those folks out there who call me a misogynist because of uh, what I have to say about relationships between men and women, this woman is an absolute warrior. I'm going to show you a series of photos that I'm going to mark as defendants. Exhibit C, D, and E. Cheapers are just... I'm just surprised to see her labeling stuff right there, right there. No, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't marry her. <laughs> well, I guess I don't know her. The, this representation she's giving in the courtroom—that's uh, very yes. alpha. What are those pictures of? It's a very masculine uh, representation. Like photos taken by agent. Very disagreeable. Specific ones, but which is what you want in your lawyer? Looks like sunglasses inside the residence. Where are they located? Uh, close to the front door. Um, Can you be more specific? So, if you're walking into the main door. Uh, you turn right to go to the room where the decedent was located. You turn left to go to the to the um, living room area. These glasses were located to the left of the main door. Were they hanging on a hook? Uh, no. no. For this where, photo, no. They were just on the floor. They so, were laying on the floor? Correct. Okay. And you agree with me that if a person who has sunglasses on their head gets into an altercation, those sunglasses may fly off and land on the floor. Yeah, possibility, yes. And actually, where the sunglasses are located is in the corner of the kitchen, right? Yes, close to the corner of the kitchen, correct. Can you make a little dot or something and show the, the, the ladies and gentlemen of the jury where the sunglasses are located? And there's a, there, there's a, a letter and a number there, isn't there? Yeah, G16. And is that the number of, that, is that what you numbered the sunglasses? Yes, G16. All right. I'll move for the admission of Defendants C, D, and E. Permission of public? You may. 
She may sound like Elaine Bredehoff. She's not Elaine Bredehoff. <laughs> She's this is a good lawyer. <clears throat> Can you point them out to the ladies and gentlemen of the jury in this picture? Yes. I'll crank up the volume. Thank you, sir. So I just showed you, I'm sorry for the record, uh, Defendant's Exhibit C. I'm told we can hear this witness start to breathe hard. <laughs> what is that a picture of? Uh, same set of sunglasses uh, with just an evidence marker next to it. And it's just a little closer, right? Correct. And Defendant's Exhibit E... Is that just a close-up of the same photo? Yes. All right. Let me see if I can use state's exhibits. I'd like to, so we don't get too many exhibits in evidence. I'm going to show you what's been previously marked and entered into evidence as state's exhibit. I believe it's 92. You see that, right? Yes. And those are impact sites, correct? Correct. So an impact site is a, it, it is a, a site uh, where a bullet hits something, correct? Correct. And I'm saying bullet, I think the, the, perhaps the technical term would be a projectile. Correct. All right. What do you call these marks here, these, these uh, black and gray marks? I don't remember the exact term, but what that is is uh, the gases from the front of the barrel um, basically making a mark. Uh, right here and right here. After it's fired, the gases will fly out of the barrel um, and leave that mark depending on how close the barrel is to the ground. It's a scorch mark, right? Pretty much, yes. Okay. And isn't it true that you only see scorch marks if the muzzle or the tip of the barrel is very, very close to whatever it was that the bullet hit? That's, that's correct. And these impact sites were found in the bedroom, correct? Correct. And they are on the floor. Isn't correct. that right? That is correct. This is our weapon, correct? Correct. <clears throat> Correct. In order for these scorch marks to have appeared on the floor in the bedroom, oh, for God's sake, what did I do? Okay. Let me try this again, folks. Sorry. Marks look like they have a. Um, correct. Like it's going this way at a slight angle. Correct. Actually, the other, I'm sorry, because of the scorch marks right here, a slight angle. 
but yes, it was it was that close to the ground. This muzzle brake would have been inches from the floor. Correct. And you indicated possibly at an angle. Correct. And likely at an angle. Correct. Nice. Well done, especially manipulating the rifle like that in front of the jury. So that's what it would move like in a struggle, right? And you agree with me, hypothetically, if I'm a murderer and I've decided that I'm going to kill someone, I'm not just going to shoot my gun straight into the floor. That's not how you kill somebody, right? Objection. Calls for speculation. Sustained. Your, uh, Your Honor, he's an expert. He's killing Do the you state's case. About why the gun would have gone off? Well, I can ask his opinion. Overruled. You can ask him. Oh, I, Do you have an opinion on. about why a gun would have gone off with the, the, the muzzle two, three, four inches from the floor? Um, I really don't. Ha I, I can't give an opinion because. Okay, that's fine. I just I'll don't. If you're not going to give an opinion, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll interrupt you and we'll just move on. Okay. Okay? Yes, no. <laughs> You did the trajectory analysis in this case? Yeah, documentation of trajectory, correct. And you, you, you made a, a, an important distinction there. Uh, it was just documentary of trajectory, correct? Yes. There is a more sophisticated trajectory analysis that can be done at a crime scene, correct? Yes, if you're using the Leica scanner, yes, you can. Right. And you indicated that you took a training from a gentleman by the name of Mike Haig, Correct. Okay. And, and that's the stuff that he does, right? Yes. He reconstructs shooting scenes, correct? Correct. And he can do a much more sophisticated trajectory analysis than what you've done here. If oh needed, my yes. If Is needed. <laughs> Is that your expert? Is that the defense expert? You completed your trajectory documentation on what, March 1st? Um, oh my God. Yes, I guess. Whatever the date was, March 1st. Okay. So all of the trajectory information that Lieutenant Tomlinson had and that you had, you had it in your possession on March 1st. Correct. The day after the shooting. Correct. And no other experts were called in and no other additional trajectory analysis was conducted, correct? No. You indicated that there were 14 impact sites that you found. Correct. And there were only 11 shell casings. Correct. And is there a reasonable explanation for that? Uh, in this case, what I noticed when I was documenting the trajectory is that there was a, uh, impacts on the floors that looked like they deflected. So, uh, you know, if, if, if a projectile deflects, it'll make an impact there. It'll continue on, make another impact. So that's one casing which will cause two impacts. That's right, and, and that's not uncommon. Not uncommon, no. Because bullets go through walls. Correct. 
So you can have an impact site on the first wall and an impact site on the second wall. Correct, from, one, right. from one bullet. Correct. The ports of the barrel. Correct. Oh, so it's upside down. The rifle's upside down. Nice, nice catch. The impact sites. She's away from her microphone, folks. I have the volume. Down through. Up to the it went from the front porch out into the outside air. Where were they? Were they here or were they over here? The impact sites? Yeah. So. And here I can find you a picture of what I'm talking about. I, I remember them from here. They were, they were located, I think, or in this area over here of the porch. Okay. And I'm going to show you. Nope, that's not it. To show you what's been previously marked as State's Exhibit 74, I think. 74 or 79? Can you? 79. <clears throat> that's what I'm talking about. And that's what you're thinking of also, right? Correct. Look at those trajectories are going up. So show us again where these three impact sites are. Based off that photo, that's kind of a close-up, but yeah. if this is the front door, this is you know the area coming in to the driveway. This is the front door we walked in. Um, let me clear that. These are the steps right here. This is the door where I put the trajectory rods, so they were somewhere in this area right here. based off this diagram. Based on your training and experience, do you have any reason to believe that the three holes in the door came from the same bullets that made those three holes on the outside of the porch? Uh, based off my training experience, it's there's a good possibility that the ones that went through the door impacted uh, the air conditioner and the wall, and which gave you those um, defects on the exterior. So we have bullets going through this door. Correct. And it appears that those bullets travel over here and they make these impact sites. Correct. And the, the cluster of impact sites that's over here is broader and bigger in terms of the distance between each impact site than they are at the door, right? Correct. And isn't it true that the reason for that is because after the bullets hit the door, they go into yaw and it alters their trajectory. That is correct. All right. 
is a photograph of several impact sites on the floor, correct? That is correct. <clears throat> and they appear to kind of lead either into or out of the bedroom. Correct. Mr. Ariola's body in this diagram, it, 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 I understand that it's not exact, but that is the direction his body was facing when his body was located, correct? That is correct. Hey, if anybody has the name of this defense lawyer, I know someone so posted it. By the way that Mr. Ariola's body is located in the photographs and on this diagram, there is no reason to believe that Mr. Ariola was leaving the room, correct? Right. And there's yeah, there's no evidence to say he was. There's no evidence to say he was he was trying to get to the door, right? Correct. The physical evidence indicates that at the time he was shot, he was headed towards the corner of the bedroom. Correct? I can't, I can't give an answer to that because I don't know exactly what happened in that room. So, I mean. But you're, you, you're a trained crime scene investigator, correct? Correct. All right, and here's, let's be clear. One of the things that you've pointed out is the way that the shell casings eject from this firearm. Correct. Right? Correct. They eject to the shooter's right. Correct. If the shell casings are ejecting from the shooter's right-hand side, and the vast majority of the shell casings are right here. Okay. That would be an indication that the shooter is somewhere in this general area, right? Shooting the gun and the casings are coming out and they're falling on the floor to the right-hand side of the gun as you would expect, correct? Yeah, that proves the gun was, yes, the gun was right there and the casings were going to the right, correct? Okay. So don't you agree with me that based on this physical evidence, <laughs> the shooter, <clears throat> is likely to have been here in this area. I'd be guessing if I told you likely. Like, guessing? Yeah, why, but, why would you have to guess? Because I don't know. I mean, they, they, they fly a long way. I mean, that doesn't mean that if he was likely in this area here um, and the walls closer to here, in my training and experience firing weapons, uh, most of these projectiles here would have been back here more because <laughs> okay when oh i'm gonna stop you right there so yeah that's right, good I hear, yeah i hear what you're saying rather than the shooter being back here the shooter's up here right that's the defense this is all the defense narrative right if the two men are fighting over the rifle they're essentially co-located in the same spot in this room centered on the rifle they're, they're all in one tight little space. That's the defense narrative. So that's where the body is. That's where the shell casing is. That's where the rifle must have been. And everyone agrees that the defendant had was had the rifle. So they were they were right there. They were all in one spot. That that's the fight. 
That's, that's, that's another possibility, yes. Okay. Either way, what you're looking at here is a bunch of shell casings coming from a gun that ejects on the right, and they're falling right next to the wall, right? Correct. So if I'm standing in the corner of that room or I'm just standing on that side of the wall shooting my gun, you would expect the shell casings to come out, possibly hit the wall, and fall to the ground. Correct. Nothing about the placement of these shell casings and these impact sites would indicate that the shooter was anywhere other than right there inside this room <laughs> next to this wall. Correct? Uh, I, I can't agree with that or disagree because again when these weapons are fired the projectiles or the casings can fly feet away from the gun it depends on how i mean where it's at so i mean if if the defendant was right here yes you'd have casings right here if the defendant was right here they would still fly and make it over here. Sure. So there's, I mean, there's, heck, he could have been anywhere in this room, in this area. The whole room's like five foot by eight foot. <laughs> he could be anywhere in the room. There's there's beds, there's furniture. Was he jumping on the mattress when he was firing the rifle? Right, right here, right here, <laughs> right here. And you'll still have casings fly in the same direction. Well, but no. there's furniture where you just put him. You just put him on a bunk bed, right? <laughs> you I mean, just place the shooter on a bunk bed. Like right here? Yeah. Yeah, but that doesn't mean that the casings aren't gonna go up. I agree they, with they you. They can go straight. They don't They don't go up and then around. They come straight out in that direction. So, I don't disagree with you, but you okay. don't have any reason to believe that the shooter was on the bunk bed. I don't know where he was at. I can't, I can't testify to where he was at. I don't know. <laughs> Spider-Man, Dean Cummings is Spider-Man. He was clinging to the ceiling. <laughs> That's funny. After that was you conducted. Yes, sir. Time to take a break. Okay. Oh my lord. Oh, my Lord. All of that testimony was completely, completely favorable to the defense. <laughs> Much of the state's direct was favorable to the defense. But this is just absolutely crushing. There is nothing here. Everything the defense points to is consistent with their narrative of self-defense. It's not even a close call. All right. And we continue. We continue with the massacre. Maybe seated. I'll crank the volume back up now. Ms. Morrissey, you may continue. Oh, this poor bastard. Uh, should just work at a car wash or something, dude. This is this is not your forte. Agent Herrera, I'm going to show you the um, <laughs> magazine. 
that is marked as States Exhibit 97B. May okay. I approach? My God, does that does that assistant DA let a cat play on her head during the breaks? Jonah Walker, Jonah Walker, for God's sakes. Do you see writing on the actual magazine? Uh, yes. And do you know what the point or purpose to that writing is that's on the magazine? Uh, well, we don't write anything on our evidence. Uh, my best guess is this was uh, marked up at the lab when they tested it. If it was tested, I don't know. Do you see two sets of writing? Uh, this doesn't know yes. One red, one white. So you don't know what the writing means? No. Again, like I said, we just uh, collect the evidence as is. And then if it's sent off to the lab or to other departments, if they want to document them their way, they might do that. But I have no idea what this writing means on this magazine. All right. Thank you. You want to hang on to it? Sure. Just set it down. I don't want to lose it. You might end up with three magazines if you're not careful. <laughs> I'm going to show you uh, what I have marked as Defendant's Exhibit G. Yeah, I've got Carrie, Carrie, and this woman, this attorney, Carrie T. Morrissey. Uh, I got her uh, law law office here. I'm gonna I'm gonna give her a shout out. See if she'll come on. Uh, I won't reach out to her until after the trial. Of course. Uh, that's the photo of the uh, six-hour rifle that was located on scene, along with the magazine that was on the steps. Um, the when you look at that photo, can you see kind of spots or? Or, or some kind of what appears to be spots or liquid or some kind of marks on the gun? Um, no, no, I'm sorry. I gave you the wrong photograph. Let, 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 me, let, let me back up. When you look at that photograph, can you see the electrical tape that was on the scope of the gun? I want to see Carrie yes, drug. see the electrical tape <laughs> on the front of the scope. Okay. She's got a All second right, bottle. I'm going to move for the admission <clears throat> of defendant's exhibit G. Any, any objection? There you are. He'll be admitted. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's the electrical tape right there, right? Yes. And the cap that goes to this end of the scope, was that cap located? Uh, it was located, uh, I believe, underneath the decedent or next to him. I don't remember exactly where. So the cap to the scope that has the electrical tape was located underneath Mr. Ariola. To the underneath best of his I'm sorry, underneath his body. Correct, or next to it, but it was close. Okay. Do you know <clears throat> why that electrical tape was on that gun? Uh, to hold on the cap. <laughs> that would be a safe assumption, right? Yes. 
<clears throat> now I'm going to show you what I've marked as Defendant's Exhibit J. What is that a photograph of? Uh, it looks like the uh, make, model, serial number um, of the weapon used. It's a close-up of the AR-15, right? Correct. Oh, stop right, it. I'll move for the admission of Defendant's Exhibit J. Your Honor, can we get this witness some uh, medical assistance? Is there a therapist in the courtroom? I mean, she's just, the defense attorney is just using exhibits that have been introduced by the state. What, what is she objecting to? The other defense attorney, what's her name? Nicole Moss. She's got her coat off. Is she wearing her watch military style face down on the wrist? Oh, no. And just a weird watch, I guess. Uh, the exhibit having been admitted, permission to publish? You may. It's already been admitted into evidence. Of course she can use it. Why wouldn't she be able to use it? that this is a photograph of the uh, uh, of the gun uh, that was taken from the scene. And so folks, just an aside, that's how we know it's a, a SIG 5.56. We can see the model number there. Here's the caliber. 5.56 NATO is the caliber of the rounded fires. Uh, Six Hour Inc. Exeter, New Hampshire for maybe 15 years when I was living in Boston. I was an adjunct instructor. I used to go to their campus here. They have a couple in adjacent towns, Epping, New Hampshire, and uh Exeter, New Hampshire, got, has a manufacturing and training facility up there. <coughs> Excuse me. So <clears throat> now we know for sure. Sig five five six. This is all this. Um, I mean, this this is corrosion here. It looks like, but on the gun, the spatter they're going to characterize as uh, possibly being OC. Of course, the defense doesn't know if it's OC either, <clears throat> or mace. I should say uh, the defense doesn't know if it's mace either, but the defense doesn't have to prove anything. Uh, the point is the, the state has failed to determine what this substance is. It could be consistent with mace. And used against Mr. Ariola. <clears throat> How would I know? Yeah. Uh, the serial number? Right. It's the same serial number, right? I don't recall the serial number of that weapon, uh, but Do if you it need is. To look at it? Sure, might as well. Sure. If you want to come down and yeah. have a look. Well, you can't keep your magazine straight. <laughs> You sure we have the right gun? <clears throat> oh, my God. It's funny now that none of these cops can I, identify. I don't need you to read it. If you can just tell us whether it's the same. Right. <laughs> so is this a photograph of that gun? Could you move it over a little bit? Sure. And I'm happy just to. 
Yeah, so that was the serial number listed right there. Okay, so it's the same gun, right? Yes. Um, is this a photograph that was taken at the scene? Uh, I don't know off the top of my head. It could be. Uh, I you, didn't even... you had you, you had assistance with you out there, right? You, you, Correct. Uh, this, this evidence that, that, that you've uh, talked about today wasn't evidence that was collected by you. It was collected by someone by the last name Lemus, right? Correct. Hey, guys, I'm going to interrupt this just for a second because I, I just came across a, uh, uh, a review of this attorney, Carrie Morrissey. <laughs> by, uh, so there's a, a company called Martindale, sometimes called Martindale Hubble. Uh, they, uh, they compile information on attorneys. And I guess one thing they do now is like, a, you know, like a, a, an online review form. And I just happened to see that she, she's got a 3.8 out of five star rating. 3.8. So I look for what the, the first one is five stars. The low review. This is what the low review reads. <laughs> 2.6 stars out of five. The review reads, this attorney tends to be unnecessarily hostile, oppositional, and borderline on courtroom decorum and respect for the court. <laughs> yes, that's all true. That same review continues to say she zealously advocates for her clients and generally demonstrates above average trial skills. Folks, that combination is a 10 out of five stars for a criminal defense attorney. Are you shitting me? 2.6 out of five stars, unnecessarily hostile, zealously advocates for clients, generally demonstrates above average trial skills. We're seeing all that in action right now, folks. So I just wanted to share that review. That's a, that's a professional legal company's review of this attorney, Carrie Morrissey. She's great. So... Now, this gun has been sitting in evidence for two and a half years, right? Yeah, give or take, yes. Do you have any reason to believe that this photograph was not taken at the scene? I don't know, because all it is is a close-up. Well, let's... Uh... What photograph did you use to get that close-up? I have no idea what photo that is. Like, I'm sorry? What photograph was used for this close-up? What do you mean, what uh, photograph? Because there's usually a, a, a overview, uh, mid-range, and a close-up. So I don't know if this was taken on this. I have a feeling this is, this is going to be a bad defense attorney for a witness to become argumentative with. We'll see. Seeing if this was taken in evidence or when it was processed in the van. Uh, All right. Uh, let, let, let me try to get the answer for you. Okay. Give us just a minute. Yeah. <laughs> necessarily hostile oppositional and borderline on courtroom decorum and respect for the court i think she's shown she's shown no disrespect for the court <laughs> oh my lord <laughs> Here, I'm going to share that uh, while they're taking this pause anyway. 
let me see if I can pull up that. Uh, hold on. Let's see if I can share this review. It's just, it's so great. <laughs> this is so awesome. Here it is. <laughs> the first one doesn't say anything. It's just five out of five stars. Here's the second one. Attorney tends to be unnecessarily hostile, oppositional, and borderline on courtroom decorum and respect for the court. She zealously advocates for her clients and generally demonstrates above average trial skills. Just so you know, I'm not making it up. Good Lord. So true and so wonderful. That's exactly what you want from your defense attorney. <laughs> rather than tie up the jury i'm going to deal with that perhaps with a with a different witness but i'm going to ask you when you're looking at this photo understanding that you have not established where the gun was when this photograph was taken i'll try to do that with somebody else okay Do you see the liquid spatter marks on that gun? I, I see spots, yes. Can't you see the same spots in the same place when you look at the actual gun? Well, can I look at it? Sure. Yeah, sure. And I'll give you this. <laughs> just, just in case you have the memory of a gnat. So yes, those are the those are the spots on the weapon. <laughs> Way to argue. The spots that are on the weapon in this photograph are the same spots uh, that that are on the gun that's sitting in the courtroom. Correct. And and just as a a point of clarification, you were inside Mr. Ariola's trailer, right? Yes, the suspects, uh, the main the main trailer. Yes. And you took a whole bunch of photographs, right? Correct. Myself and Agent Lima is correct. I'm going to show you what's already admitted into evidence as States Exhibit 85, I think. Yeah. Darby, you're right. She is a pit bull. <laughs> and that is the kind of pit bull I like. <laughs> Listen, this is this right brain, left brain thing. It's hard to do. Um, that's the floor inside that trailer, correct? Correct. And you can see the, the, the color of the floor and how it's kind of a, a wood grain. Nobody correct. has to prove self-defense here. <clears throat> Do you agree that this appears to be the same surface when you look at it? The same surface? Yes. Oh, you mean the floor? Yeah. I can't tell if that's the same color floor, meaning that this weapon was laying right there on the floor. It was somewhere because it appears to be the same surface as the floor of the trailer, does it not? I can't testify to that. I, that no, I, I can't say that's the floor or not. I cannot say that. Okay. 
that surface doesn't look familiar to you? That's a close-up. <laughs> so again, if I had an overview of where this photo was taken, I could tell you what the better with better surety to where where it was taken. You, the police, took these photos. <laughs> <clears throat> Nobody has to prove self-defense. Nobody has to prove self-defense in the chat. The state has to disprove self-defense. like a magazine release. Okay. So when we look at the photograph, you can see that in the photograph, right? Correct. And you can see in the photograph that spatter uh, of whatever that wet substance was right here in the photograph, right? Correct. And you can see it right here on the gun. Yeah, you can see stains on the gun, correct. Right, that are in the exact same position as they are in the photograph. Correct. I'm going to show you what has been marked as defendant's exhibit F. May I? Yeah. Do you recognize that? Yes. What is that a photograph of? It's a photo of the uh, room where the decedent was located. So it, this is a good example. So uh, one side will offer a piece of evidence. The other side can contest the offering of that evidence. If, uh, if the judge agrees the evidence is admissible, it gets marked with a number or alphanumeric number. Uh, then it can be, uh, once it's marked as an exhibit, it can be presented to the witness because it needs to have foundation. Someone has to identify what, for example, if it's a photograph, what this is, someone who would have personal knowledge. What is this a photograph of? of? Does it ac accurately reflect the scene? Um, and then once it's been formally admitted into evidence, then it can be published to the jury. That's the, that's the entire flow. And, and we do all this. We have this somewhat complicated process because a key function of a court is to act as a gatekeeper on the legal arguments and the evidence that the jury's allowed to see because what they see is what they use to arrive at a verdict. Oh, this, this prosecutor is definitely getting hard. A free copy of this book, hardcover, is going to be on the way to her office shortly. Those are the bunk beds, right? Correct. And the top one doesn't have a mattress, correct? Correct. And there's some stuff up there. Correct. And, and we can see uh, Mr. Ariola's body in that photograph, correct? Correct. And you agree with me that the top of his body, his head and chest area, is pointed over towards the corner? Correct. The rifle that was found underneath the mattress 
Was that rifle loaded? I believe it was. It had its own little magazine, didn't it? Yes. I'm going to show you what's been marked as Defendant's Exhibit H. Yes. Is that a picture of the magazine to the rifle that was found under the mattress? Yes. Move for the admission of defendant's exhibit F. To be admitted. Permission to publish? You may. Uh, shipping for this book is eight mm -hmm. or nine bucks, shipping and handling. We got to pay, pay the if warehouse. No. Was that magazine inserted into the rifle when it was found? What the hell is that? I oh, that must it be. Was. I don't recall. I have to other look at the photos, but. You believe it was? Yeah. Okay. In terms of the trajectory uh, documentation that you did, would you agree with me that it's common practice when you're doing trajectory documentation that you measure the height of the impact site from the floor to get a to get an angle yes did you ever do that no why not because in this case most of the um the impacts were uh deflections um so it's hard to get an angle off a deflection. And the second reason is, is that when we work a case, okay, it's all scene dependent. So uh, when we, again, we got a briefing, we knew we were going to the scene. So defensive. Uh, death investigation. <laughs> uh, there was a rifle used and some mace. So right off the top of that, um, I tell myself, like, so what needs to be done on the scene? Okay. Uh, trajectory documentation. And that's pretty much it. Because as far as looking for any other weapons, any other trajectory from any other guns that may have been used weren't there. Right. I'm not asking about that. The, the impact sites that you put your dowels through, why not just measure the height from the floor to the impact site so that when we're looking at a picture, I'm going to show you States Exhibit 85. <clears throat> The jury or any experts will know, is this impact site four inches off the floor or is it 12 inches off the floor? Why wouldn't you do that? That right there looks like the, the projectile was in yaw or tumbling. So if I got that distance, um, it's not going to tell me anything by getting that distance because that projectile was already already in yaw and tumbling based off its the the mark of the of the impact okay so, but all 14 of the impact sites don't show yaw or tumbling correct correct so the ones that don't show yaw or tumbling why not take the additional time to measure how high they are off the floor because for this scene um again we we knew what guns were being used and that's just the way we work. It's scene dependent. <laughs> so based on this scene, you didn't think that it was important at all to find out uh, the, the height of the impact sites from any object like the floor. 
Well, and on top of that, too, if we needed to get heights... No, no, just if answer my question. Well, I asked you a question. Well, I'm answering your question. No. So if we need to get heights or distances, that's when we use a scanner. So can you give me the height or the distance on any of the 14 impact sites? No. So you didn't even use the scanner for that? We did. Well, we scanned it, but if we needed it, we could use it. But we didn't... We, we just didn't use it for the for this at the time because you decided you didn't need it. No, not for this case. All right. Oh my gosh, he's so <laughs> he's argumentative, and he's about as one twentieth as smart as the person he's dealing with. That's that's uh, just a bad plan. Magazine that appears to be the actual magazine. Uh, <laughs> Is that a 30 round capacity? Yes. So it's, it's based on your investigation, 11 rounds were shot during the incident, correct? Correct. Based off 11 casings recovered. How many rounds were still in the magazine? Uh, we, I don't know. I can count that what's in here, but we don't, we don't uh, take any rounds out of magazines on scenes so they're packaged as is how we receive them sure but that particular magazine i don't i'm not sure that you needed to take them out in order to at least get an idea because it has the window you, you can it has a, it has a see-through correct right um so it'll say like 5 15 25 so i mean i think i you can look down it and i, I believe i did through one of the photos it seems like there was i don't know seven or eight i'm not sure but Based on your investigation, there were seven or eight bullets uh, still in the magazine. Based off the photo I saw, yes. So the magazine was not fully loaded at the time that it was being used. Yeah, well, 11 casings recovered plus seven <laughs> or eight. Yeah, no. Come on, All right. Now, are you familiar with something called um, an ejection pattern? Yeah, to a certain point, yes. Is an ejection pattern something that can be tested and documented? As far as the casing being ejected from a weapon? Correct. Yes. Was that it, done in this case? I don't know. Again, I, I don't know. You um, don't know? No, because again, the evidence is given to whatever department we give it to, and then the testing is done from there. And let, let me just ask you, in terms of uh, in terms of ejection pattern testing, one AR-15 may eject the bullet casing farther than another. Correct. Correct. So you don't know how far the gun ejects the casing training. <laughs> unless you test it. Correct. After you conducted your investigation and used your dowels and documented the trajectory and the impact sites, did you have a conversation with Lieutenant Tomlinson? No, I did not. You never had a conversation with him where you said, here's what we found? Um, it's been three years. <laughs> I mean, if I give him the evidence or... Or talk to him. I could have. I don't remember. It's been such. It's been three years, so I don't remember exactly what conversations I had with Lieutenant Tomlinson, Sergeant Griffin. I don't remember. 
Did you document anything in your report or anything like that about having any kind of a follow-up? Yeah, if it's in the report, him? yeah. If, if, if it said I talked with them or spoke no, no, with I'm, them. No, I'm not trying to trick you. I don't think it is in your report. Okay. I, then, I'm happy to show it to you. I mean, yeah, if then you want to see your report. If it's not in the report, then, I mean, I could have talked to them. I don't, I don't, I don't remember. Let, let me ask you this. Do you have any memory of ever speaking to him about your investigation? <laughs> After I was done, I don't recall. No. No. All right. Thank you. If you don't recall, you have no memory of it. <laughs> oh. I'll pass the witness. I'm all done with this one. Give me just a second, folks. I want to. I need to clean up my windows here for a second. Uh, I'll bring that screen right back up. All right. Yeah, she's great. I'm a I'm a super fan of Carrie Morrissey. And I did I did see when you mentioned in the chat that 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 two point six out of five star reviews was apparently written by a judge. How interesting. Maybe it's a very old school judge. Maybe it's this judge. Uh, but he's certainly not doing anything to stop her, and he ought not be doing anything to stop her. All right, so is the state going to rehabilitate this witness? <laughs> I guess so. She's swiveling there in her... No? Yeah, there she goes. I just have a couple of follow-up questions for you, Officer. Yeah. Are you in need of uh, medical um, care? We get some of the photographs. Remember, it doesn't cost the state anything to try these cases. All these prosecutors are on the payroll already. All the cops are being paid. It doesn't cost them anything. It ought to. There ought to be a consequence for bringing a case like this to trial, but there isn't. That's why I had proposed my, my Rittenhouse law to hold the state responsible prosecutors personally for bringing these kinds of cases that uh, they can't even prove by a preponderance disprove self-defense, much less disprove self-defense beyond a reasonable doubt. So let's talk about the sunglasses first. We'll start there, okay? Okay. Sorry, I'm trying to find the exhibit number. Agent Bogue's diagrams were already previously admitted, correct? Correct. So I'm putting under the document camera states exhibit 44. Where are the sunglasses in that photograph, sir? Right there. So let's talk a little bit about this photograph. Let's start on this side. <laughs> no, no oblong glass. No oblong glass. Uh, looks like some pots and pans, some tape, some sprays, from what I can see. I don't know what. 
more pots and pans. I was going to try to suggest these coffee things pot. aren't shoveled, so there was no fight. Another coffee <laughs> pot. Are those items on the counter pretty close to the end there? Yes. Yeah, just whatever these are, and then chilies, and then there's a coat hanger right there. Okay. Now let's talk about the table. This only proves that there wasn't a fight in that room. <laughs> Not like the Arizona teas on the other side groceries. of the pot. I don't know what that is. <laughs> Would you say that there was an altercation in that room? There's nothing that looks to be disturbed or fall, falling over. Okay, let's look at another picture. I'm putting under the document camera space exhibit 41. Hey, folks, I'm going to hit the uh, restroom real quick while this nonsense is happening. I'll be right back. The sunglasses would be down here more. They're not in. Not in this photo. Correct. They're a little bit further down. Okay. Can you tell us what's depicted on the right side of the photograph? Um, on the right side, so there's this is just a different view of where the pots and pans were, but it shows the tape right here, the sprays. I don't know what that's at, some rocks or something. Um, Arizona iced teas, trash can. And none of these chairs appear to be overturned? No. And again, what's on the table? Uh, the Arizona iced tea, the groceries here, bag of chips. I, mean, I don't know, it's a kind of tuna cat food, I don't know. But... Okay. Now I'm gonna put under the document camera space exhibit 42. What is this a photograph of? Uh, same photo, uh, just a different angle from the previous photo. Shows, uh, you know, the bunk beds over here. There's a fireplace, uh, recliner, the same Arizona as tea. Looks like some some sort of furniture spray. The chips, the groceries, candle, uh, two cans of teas. Um, yeah, there's some. Uh, Little table here with some lotion on the back, something like that. So, based on this photograph, would you guess that there was a physical altercation? In the I mean, just based I mean, off the photograph, I mean, there's nothing turned over, nothing's fallen over, so no. Now, on this side of the photograph, what is that? So, this is the other side of the kitchen. So, this is the refrigerator. This is the the other entrance on the other side of the mobile home. Um, you know, I don't know what those are. Those are like, like horseshoe type things. Now I'm putting underneath the document camera space exhibit 43. Is there anything disturbed or appear to be disturbed in this photograph? Oh, oh based God. off the photo. I, I'm going to object to basically the foundation. If, if the gentleman didn't see the trailer before before this, he doesn't know whether anything's been moved or disturbed or not. I'm going to overrule the objection. You may continue. Thank you, sir. 
So does it appear as if there was a physical altercation in this room? No. In this photograph, sorry. No. Now, to the left side of the photo, what is that? Uh, it's There's the, the other door I just pointed out, the refrigerator, um, right? Some... So was there anything obstructing that other door? To the best of my knowledge that I recall, no. <laughs> Let's talk about the bedroom. I'm putting underneath the document camera states exhibit 46. photograph of the bedroom, right? Uh, yes. Can you describe the lid on that plastic bin? Um, it looks like it's popped off the top right here. Now I'm going to pull the photograph slightly down. Okay. What do you observe in that photograph? Uh, there's the bed on the corner right here with the area, the work boots box, uh, some clothing hanging there. <laughs> picture window so on and so forth so that's the box they they stuck under the mattress <laughs> to hold it up for their green cone i guess oh my gosh and i'm putting it underneath the document camera states exhibit <laughs> i'm guess 48 but i do have that highlighting i guess um what is that a photograph of just another angle of that that bed, um, looking at the wall, shows the this gray tote uh, that looks like the foot of the bed, and then the clothing in the previous photo from a different angle. And that clothing wasn't disturbed in any way? No, I mean, that's the way we photographed it. If there was an altercation in that room, would you expect that clothing to be hanging like that? It's a possibility. Um, with all the stuff they moved around and took pictures later, are we sure that one of them doesn't like, you know, isn't somewhere in the spectrum and straightened everything up? <laughs> it could still be hanging, but possibly it could not still be hanging. Okay. Let me find one more photograph. Yeah, I would definitely recross. I would recross about the carpet, about the lid off the bin, all that stuff. The heater off the wall. Yep. Bear with me. I know the photograph is in here. I would expect that the, uh, the, the physical struggle began just outside the bedroom. The defendant got pushed into the bedroom by the mace-wielding uh, victim, and uh, the defendant grabbed the rifle to defend himself, to fight over the rifle, and the shots happened there. <clears throat> not in the kitchen, not in the bathroom, 
you remember any of the items that were on the wall in that bedroom? Besides the clothing? Mm -hmm. I'd have to look at the photos again. It's, you know, it's been a while, so I don't remember everything that was on the wall, if there was anything hanging or not. I'm putting underneath the document camera. Stacey, <laughs> And yeah. is this a photograph also of the bedroom? Correct. Uh, another angle. Um, so the previous photo had the jacket hanging right here. This one shows like a, a hat hanger, some hangers on there. Um, looks like a mirror <laughs> leaning on behind those hangers. Maybe, I don't know what that is, a coat hanger maybe. The light. Your Honor, I'm going to object to cumulative. He's the second witness who's testified to exactly the same thing, to the exact same pictures. Sustained. Objection, tiresome. <laughs> Your Honor, we just don't have anything else to talk about, Your Honor. <laughs> I mean, is, for there to have been a fight, everything in the whole structure has to be disheveled, <laughs> has to be knocked over. I mean, come on. Oh, my God. Where are the hairbrushes? Carrie, you're a fantastic lawyer, but man. <laughs> it's not that much effort. So I'm putting underneath the document camera state exhibit forty six. What is the, if you know, the distance between the wall and that bed there? Like lengthwise like this, you mean? Between the wall and the end of the bed. Oh, the wall and the end of the bed. Yes, sir. Um, so this like right here, right here? Right there? I don't, I don't know. Maybe a foot, foot and a half, 18 inches? I'll object. If he doesn't know, he doesn't know. <laughs> he already answered. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm putting underneath the document camera states exhibit 48. I'm surprised the hair is mentioned in that bed Yes. And I'm putting underneath the document camera state exhibit 47. I wonder who put that watercolor of the flowers in the back wall. How large of a space it was between this bed, the twin size bed, and the bunk bed. Inches. I mean, maybe 12 or less inches. For, that's max I could 
can remember. So on cross-examination, you were asked about potential theories where the shooter could have been. Do you remember the, that line of questioning? Yes. And then putting underneath the document camera, safe exhibit 94. Yeah, no fire code in New Mexico. How many times has this cop lied about length to a woman? Is it possible that Mr. Adiola could have been on all fours when he was shot? Possible, yeah. Um, and you testified on cross-examination. You could not state potentially where the shooter was in the room at the time of the shooting. Correct. So you don't know anything. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'll speed it back up. Thank and you. we saw a lot of pictures of the different impacts on the floor and in the wall. Can you testify whether or not they were there before the shooting or the homicide of Mr. Audiola? No. Is it possible that Mr. Cummings have shot from this area of the room. Folks, anytime the state on direct of its own witnesses is asking questions, knowing the answers are going to be, I don't know, I can't say, I have no idea, it's possible. <laughs> That's the state raising reasonable doubt. That's those are questions the defense is supposed to be asking, getting the, the state's witnesses to say they don't know. I mean, like I said, I can't testify to an exact position, but it's possible from anywhere in that room. So, so Correct. <laughs> Based off the area where the casings were located, yes. Now, on cross-examination, you were asked to hold the weapon. Correct. Right. Can you tell us how much does that gun weigh? It's a good five to seven pounds, maybe more, ten pounds. Do you want to go ahead and grab it and give yeah. us an estimate, sir? Five to seven, nine to ten. <laughs> oh, 200, 300. I doubt okay. that's How a 15 pound rifle. Okay. So from stock to the tip of the muzzle there. <laughs> but in fairness, maybe a lot of girls have lied to him about weight. Thank you, sir. Yes, please put it back in the box. Now, you were asked on cross-examination about the gun magazine and how many rounds could have been in it. Correct. Does that also add weight? Yes. To the gun? Okay. And you were also asked on cross-examination about a picture with what appeared to be spots. Correct. Do you yes. I'm going to put it under the document camera as defendant's exhibit. Could those spots be stifling? Stifling? What's, what's, am I saying it wrong? I'm not a gun well, expert. Actually, I don't know stippling. if I'm stippling. Stippling. Um, 
No. Because that usually comes from the front of the barrel. Okay. Um, yes. And what stiffening does is if there's a close contact shot um, with, within a close range, it'll leave like black marks or little dots on the body. And that's, uh, that'll tell you that the barrel was close enough to leave it stiffening from a barrel. So if I'm from here to the door, there's not going to be much stippling because that's a far shot. But if it's really close range, it'll, you'll see little black spots, which which will tell you that uh, some of the gunpowder was came through the barrel and was on the person or the wall. Could that potentially be gun cleaner? <laughs> that could be gun cleaner. Um, uh, it could be soda. This line of questioning is bad for the state. <laughs> These are defense questions. Could it be this? Could it be that? Could it be some other thing? Could it be yet some other thing? Is it possible it could be this fifth thing? That That's all raising doubt, <laughs> lack of certainty. The, the, the fact that the state doesn't know is because they didn't test. That could be fly spots. That could be many <laughs> different things. Was it ever tested? I, I don't know. So you never tested it? No. <laughs> is it possible this case was self-defense? <laughs> you don't know that this I'll wasn't self-defense. Just one quick follow-up question. That, that's fine since he's here. I don't want to have to bring him back. <laughs> Gun cleaners are typically oil-based, correct? Uh, most of them, correct. All right. Nothing else. Any follow-up on that, Ms. Walker? No, Your Honor. Okay. You may step down. You may be excused, but you're subject to recall, so don't uh, talk to anyone about your testimony, right? Yes, Your Honor. You may be why, why don't we do Wait, there are non-oil-based gun cleaners. My preferred gun cleaner is not oil-based at all. Do this, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, it's a little bit before 12, but rather... State doesn't know. <laughs> and coming back around 1.15, Why don't we break now and be back at 1 o'clock? All right? We'll start at 1 o'clock. All right. All right. So they're breaking for lunch. Let me advance to the start point, and then I'll pause there. And let's see. Is there a witness there? What's going on? Not yet. They're just hanging out in the courtroom. Oh, okay, here we go. Here we go. All right, let me uh, let me go take a look at our. Um, I'm missing a window. Let's see what happened to my other window. Hmm. Did I do something silly? Okay, let me take a look. Let me take a look at our uh, Law Self-Defense members dashboard, see what questions we have there, and then I'll take a look at Super Chats, folks. Before I do that, we got quite a bunch of people, almost 1,500 people watching. Folks, if you're new to me, I am attorney Andrew Branca for Law Self-Defense. So, so very kind and generous. I'm an attorney who does nothing but use of force law, meaning defense of yourself, defense of others, defense of property. If you think you know American use of force law, I can almost guarantee you do not, but you can know it easily and for free. Our best-selling book, Law of Self-Defense Principles, you can buy it on Amazon. It's 20 or 25 bucks plus shipping and handling. We'll give you this book for free. We just ask that you cover the shipping and handling. You can get this at lawofselfdefense.com slash free book. Um, another thing I'd like to mention is we do a regular series of 100% free webinars. 
These are, whoops, let me pull that up. These are 100% uh, free, but limited number of seats for each one. Uh, I'll give you a URL you can click over to, to uh, let's see, to um, sign up for one of those webinars. If you see one that's open, I would grab it right away because they do fill up quickly. Let's see, there it is. Uh, we, uh, it's kind of a debunking video, the most common myths of self-defense law, how they're not just wrong, but dangerous to your liberty. A lot of things you think you know about self-defense law are not just mistaken, they are dangerous. Don't be that person that acts in good faith in self-defense or defense of another person, but actually is acting outside the legal boundaries. The law doesn't care what you think the law is. The law cares what the law actually is. Uh, you can take one of these absolutely free, 100% free, webinars, hard to convict webinars. Just go to lawofselfdefense.com slash hard to convict and you can sign up right there. That's lawofselfdefense.com slash hard to convict. All right, let's take a look at the chat. Wow, chat filled up. Law of Self-Defense member chat filled up. Uh, let's see. Wow, there's a lot of them. Holy cow. Okay, we got some catching up to do. Uh, let's see. Okay, here we are. Let's see. Um, I'm, I'm going to skip some of these because they were very context specific to that moment in the trial. Uh, but I'll, I'll address the ones, the ones that are just, you know, funny chatter I'll skip over, but I'll, I'll address the more serious ones and any questions. Um, let's see. Andrew, would this, uh, Jim asks, Law Self-Defense member Jim, uh, Andrew, would this be known as an evisceration, evisceration? <laughs> yes, it's not good. David says, Andrew, most men do not want to be married to a warrior. Yes, that's correct. Most men do not. They want uh, someone who's feminine, fit, and peaceful, uh, not a warrior. Doesn't mean there's not a role for women warriors in the world. It doesn't mean they can't find a husband and be perfectly happy, but most men don't want to be married to uh, a warrior. Uh, Charlie Watt, Law Self-Defense member, says for the rest of his life, this witness will prefer the smell of mace to Gary's perfume. Um, yes, David, member David says, oh, yes, she's doing great. Christopher Cooker uh, Rankin, I, based in Salt Lake, is the exclusive dealer of Leica Geos, oh, the scanner, the room scanner, I guess. Um, sorry, folks, I think I'm going to sneeze. Maybe not. It's teasing me. All right. Law self-defense member Brian says, I'm curious if the OC canister was weighed, then we will know for sure if any has been discharged. Well, we wouldn't really know, right? Because it could have been discharged in the past or previously or partially discharged in the past. I mean, unless you know the state, you're assuming it's new. But most pepper spray people or OC that people are carrying around, it's they didn't just buy it. Uh, David Payton, uh, let's see. Yeah. Um, let's see. Charlie Watt, uh, member, Law Self-Defense member, writes, I'm 65 and a wizard with technology compared to Andrew. You're reinforcing stereotypes of boomers. Yes, indeed. My apologies. That's just the way it is. Um, a lot of uh, Daryl Brooks jokes. Let's see. Charlie Watt, small room, struggle over the rifle, ricochets equals self-defense. State can't cast reasonable doubt uh, equals acquittal. Right. They have to disprove. The state has to disprove self-defense beyond a reasonable doubt. Hey, Christina, how are you? I'm good. How are you? 
waiting long? I just saw you now. No, I just jumped in. Right. I just finished my lunch. <laughs> so uh, the, the trial, we're still watching yesterday's proceedings, but they just finished with a police uh, witness for the state who got absolutely destroyed by the defense. Uh, we can we can chatter about that in a moment. Uh, right now, I'm just going through some of our uh, law self-defense member comments and questions and then the super chats. And uh, and then we can talk. Have you watched any of it today? I haven't. I just oh, got oh, off of the Jeff stream. <laughs> Okay, all right. <laughs> he's getting crazy over there. So I'm, I haven't seen. Oh my god, he's still up. He's still doing shots. He's still going. Wow. I don't know how that man is still standing. Okay, so here, let's see. Uh, quick question: I've only seen a little of this trial so far. Who owned the Sig? The Sig rifle that was used for the shooting. The Sig five five six rifle that was owned by the uh, defendant here. Um, let's see. The defendant owned the Sig. Yes. Um, Donnie writes, can't testify. The police can't testify where the shoot was, but they can testify where he wasn't standing in the room. We had lots of nonsensical testimony from the police today. Um, if, uh, Jim writes, if I was going to shoot an intruder, this would be my preferred jurisdiction because apparently the prosecution and state is so inept. Um, let's see. The <laughs> Charlie writes, this police witness has to change his underwear during the break. Yeah, probably. Uh, objection by the state. They're destroying my case with my witness and evidence, Your Honor. <laughs> That's true. Uh, let's see. Um, yeah, somebody writes they have a platinum membership at Law of Self Defense. I would recommend the platinum membership. I think it's a good idea. It's the only way to have me available to consult on your case if you're involved in a use of force event. Just go to lawofselfdefense.com slash platinum. Uh, CCW Safe is also a good organization. I do a lot of partnering with them. Oh, I got to share with you, Christina, this review of this uh, defense council here that was on uh, Martindale, Martindale's website. It's very funny. I'll pull it up in just a moment. Uh, let's see. Yeah, most of this is just mockery of the uh, of the police witness who is absolutely terrible, and some mockery of the the uh, the lawyer's uh, failure to brush their hair, uh, which. Sounds superficial, but if you've seen their hair, it's well-deserved. I'm sorry. And uh, that's true of the defense counsel, too, who's doing an amazing job as a lawyer. She's doing a great job, but someone needs to buy her a hairbrush. Um, looks like the state hasn't done any homework. Yep, that's all true. Let me take a look now and see if there's super chats. Super chats that need to be addressed. Uh, yeah. And folks, I think if you're doing super chats, you're crazy. You should just be a law self-defense member. You're paying five bucks, 10 bucks, 20 bucks for a super chat. And I appreciate the money, uh, I guess, but th that's not how I make my living. I'm not really a YouTuber. Uh, and, uh, a third of that money goes to YouTube. So you, for a fraction of what you're spending in super chats, you could be a law self-defense member and I'll read all your questions and it's less than 10 bucks a month, a month, <laughs> not just yeah. one stream. Uh, but if you prefer doing it that way, it's it's okay with me. Um, but you're spending more money and getting less. All right, super chats. Let's see, monetization, supers. I wish they would make this easier for all us, for boomers like me. Um, uh, let's see, the only new one is uh, Michelle asks, Andrew, given how horrific, oh, $5 super chat. Thank you, Michelle. Uh, given how horrific the police are in this area of New Mexico, would that cause you to reconsider riding your motorcycle through there? Um, 
Now it's quite pretty. Taos, that Taos area, that Carson National Forest is uh, the, the, the part of New Mexico that borders Colorado. The northern part of New Mexico is quite nice. The rest of New Mexico is a dump. No offense to anybody from New Mexico, but I'm, I'm not a desert kind of guy. But where they have trees, it's, uh, it's quite pleasant. You got to read this review, Christine. This is in the Martindale website. You'll be familiar with Martin, of course. And uh, it's, uh, let's see, I got to open this up here. And this defense lawyer, uh, Carrie Morrison, Morrison, Morrissey, I'll have to check. Uh, I just happened, because I want to send her a copy of my book because she's doing such a great job. But uh, <laughs> when, I, when I clicked on our web, uh, the link for her, I, it brought me to Martindale where there were two reviews of her as a lawyer. Uh, one by a sole practitioner who rated her five out of five without comment, which is very nice. That's the nice. second comment was from a judge identified just as a judge, uh, gave her 2.6 out of five, which is not very good, folks. Oh, no. Um, but but this, is, this is what the judge, this is what it said. It's the second of these two reviews here. Um, attorney tends to be unnecessarily hostile, oppositional, and borderline on courtroom decorum and respect for the court. She zealously advocates for her clients and generally demonstrates above average trial skills. <laughs> and it gave what? her 2.6 out of five. That's <laughs> like, that whole, both those sentences combined, to my eye, that's a 10. 10 out yes. of five stars. Isn't that what you want? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Unbelievable. <laughs> It's crazy. Oh, I think I think she's doing an absolute. I mean, she comes across. It's, uh, you know, I mean, I hate to say it. It's kind of a masculine energy, very disagreeable energy. But of course, that's what you want in a criminal defense attorney. It is. Uh, you know, when you're, you're dealing with a state that has, in all practical purposes, infinite resources to uh, to go after your client. Yeah. So we exactly. just spent the whole morning. We spent what? My gosh, something like four hours with this uh, police witness who was just uh just terrible. He doesn't know anything. He doesn't know what happened. They didn't measure this. They didn't test that. Uh, the, the, the questions on direct from the state are things like, isn't it possible that this happened or possible that that happened? All the questions that you would expect to come, you know, these open ended, I don't know answers uh, questions uh, that you would expect to come from the defense in an effort to raise reasonable doubt are right. the questions. Isn't it possible this defendant murdered this guy? It's like, okay, well, well your burden is to disprove self-defense beyond a reasonable doubt. <laughs> All this ambiguous uncertainty, failure to test, you don't know what it is, you don't know what evidence was collected or what was done with it. They came up with a mystery second rifle magazine. Oh my God. In the courtroom, <laughs> nobody knows where it came from. No one knows why it's marked as an exhibit. Nobody can identify it at the scene. What? It's That's wild. And the whole thing was unbelievable. Oh so we're finally goodness. done with that guy who left bleeding um, from the courtroom. Uh, and uh, we're going to start now with the next witnesses where we're at. So I hope you can stay with us a little while. Before we jump in, however, could you introduce yourself to our audience? Yes. My name is Christina. My channel is Radix Verum. I have a small YouTube channel now, just approaching 10,000 subscribers. Um, I was a paralegal for many years, and now I do YouTube commentary, and I comment on whatever I find interesting, all kinds of different topics. Awesome. So, folks, I've looked at some of Christina's content on YouTube. It looks fantastic. I would recommend you become a subscriber. Let's. We got oh. what? Uh, we had about between thirteen and fifteen hundred people watching this stream all day. So, if fifteen of you were to subscribe to Christina's channel, I bet that would push her over ten thousand. 
Thank you so much. I 15, appreciate 1,500 it. of you, not 15 of you, 1,500 of you, of all of you subscribe. Yes. That'll push her right over 10,000. And that Aww, would be, that would be a nice so day for Christina. Thank you. I appreciate it. And I think what you do is really important, especially now. It seems to be more and more important um, with some of the recent cases that we've seen where, you know, use of forces and self-defense is being called into question, shall we say. Imagine if they weren't being televised. Imagine if this trial were not That's being televised. We point. would have no idea how insane this process. We would just assume, well, the prosecution must have a case. Otherwise, why would they be a trial? Right. Yeah. But literally, we're six or seven state witnesses in and we see nothing, not a, a, a not a bit of evidence substantive evidence that's inconsistent with self-defense. The most they've had is, well, is it possible this might not have been self-defense? Well, <laughs> okay, that's not going to get you to disproving self-defense beyond a reasonable doubt, but good luck. Right. And, uh, and, the, and the defense has been great. The, the one concern I always have with these kinds of cases is even if this, you know, anytime you're in front of a jury as a criminal defendant, there's some risk you get convicted. That's just noise in the system. So, yeah. and that's true even when the state's case sucks. Um, yep. So the only protection against that is to have really competent legal counsel on the defense to make sure you don't end up run over by that state train, no matter how dysfunctional it may be. Uh, and you know, even then, it's not a zero percent chance of getting convicted, but it's uh, it's the greatest hope you could possibly have. And this this defendant has very very good legal counsel in this Carrie Morrison. All right, so let me pull the trial back up. We're just about to start from the lunch break. This, so now we're in yesterday afternoon. Um, and let's see. Let's see what the state has to say for itself now. After that debacle, utter debacle of a witness for the state. Should be starting up momentarily. I don't address before we brought the jury in. Yes, Your Honor. Um, our next witness is um, Dr. Gerald from OMI, and I am going to uh, motion the court not to allow her to testify about the toxicology results per Bull Cummings. It's hearsay. She didn't look at the raw data. It wasn't part of, she didn't use it for her findings or conclusions. So it is hearsay under Bull Cummings and the progeny. Your Honor, this has already been ruled on by the court. All right, I'll do this. Sorry, folks. This looks like, I thought it was just going to be idle chatter. Um, let me rewind it to the beginning. I want to hear this at normal speed because this looks like some BS going on. I am going to. Okay. This look, the judge knows is going to be a cat fight right here. Look at him. <laughs> look, at, look at his eyes. He's like, oh, shit. He does kind of look like a deer in the headlights. <laughs> I don't address before we brought, brought the jury in. Yes, Your Honor. Um, our next witness is um, Dr. Gerald from OMI, and I am going to uh, motion the court not to allow her to testify about the toxicology results per Bull Cummings. It's hearsay. She didn't look at the raw data. It wasn't part of, she didn't use it for her <laughs> findings or conclusions. So it is hearsay under Bull Cummings and the progeny. Oh, my God. So this is the state. This We're still on the state's case in chief here. So this is their witness. They're calling their medical witness here who has knowledge of the toxicology results. The victim here reportedly had alcohol and cocaine in the system, which obviously would be favorable to the defense. Um, 
And uh, <laughs> this witness, they're calling the state is calling has personal knowledge of the toxicology and they don't want her to be cross examined on that evidence. Hmm. Good luck. <laughs> look, at, look at her. Can you could, could you just see the this is bullshit sign above her head? <laughs> yes. Indicated they are allowing it. I have uh, referenced it in my opening statement, and there has actually already been um, some testimony about uh, whether Mr. Ariola ever drank or did drugs through their witness. Uh, it is part of the autopsy report. It is part of what she. Uh, considers when she is issuing her report and also under following the state's logic, Dr. Gerald is not the one who actually conducted this autopsy. She supervised <laughs> another doctor who actually did the cuttings and conducted the autopsy. So if we're following the state's logic, then none of it comes in under Dr. Gerald. That's that's not true, Your Honor. The, the cases that followed Bullcoming clearly indicated that someone look at the raw data and make their own conclusion she was part of the autopsy and that is distinct distinct because she did not look at any of the data um, she did not look at any of the raw data for the toxicology she has she will testify that that was not she did not consider that as part of her findings and conclusions counsel at this at this late uh, day i i'm going to deny the state's motion i'm going to allow the toxicology report in Oh, that was a weird clip there. Long crime must have done that. So if this argument were going to have traction, folks, this has to be made pre-trial. <laughs> this has to be made pre-trial. The, the state has to make that argument, and the defense can argue against the attempt to exclude this testimony on cross-examination. But you do this pre-trial so everyone can really flesh out their arguments. You don't do it while you're waiting after lunch break to call the witness. I mean, the state is just, this is a completely panicked response by the state to try to get this excluded. And that's the right call by the judge. Uh, if it were yes. going to be excluded, you do it pre-trial. You have a fully fleshed out series of motions arguing the law around this. You do it then. You don't do it here and hope the judge in the spur of the moment is going to give you a reflexive ruling to, to keep out very, very relevant evidence in the case on a technicality. May I proceed? Oh gosh, everyone looks so... See? Good afternoon, Dr. Gerald. This will be where to find a hair. Have you um, had the opportunity to testify with masks on yet? Yes. Okay, so you know it's kind of hard to hear. So to the best of your ability, please uh, speak into the microphone as clearly as possible. Okay. Dr. Um, Gerald, could you please begin by spelling your first and last name. Now the chat's going to start. Sure. Uh, my name is uh, Dr. Heather Gerald. <laughs> you know H-E-A-T-H-E-R. The first. A-R-R-E-L-L. -L. -L. And what do you do for a living? I'm the chief medical investigator at the office of the medical investigator. How long have you been the chief medical investigator at the office of the medical investigator? Since January 7th, 2021. And how long have you been employed with, can I, can I just say OMI, is that yes. easier? Um, how long have you been employed with OMI? Since August of 2014. Okay. So before you were the chief medical director, what were your duties and what was your title? I was a um, medical examiner, uh, we call them medical investigator um, at the OMI. And we're also um, under UNM or the University of New Mexico. 
And when I started employment, I was an assistant professor and I've been promoted to an associate professor since then. And can you tell the jury what kind of education um, do you have that led you to become she's, a... She's uh, even got a pink mask. I mean, sure. she's all... I have all a bachelor's women. degree in biology yes. from Valdosta State University in Valdosta, Georgia. And then I went to medical school for four years in Macon, Georgia, where I graduated with a medical degree. After that, I did a residency in anatomic pathology at the University of Virginia in Charlottesville, Virginia, which was a three-year residency. Then I completed a two-year fellowship in neuropathology at the University of Virginia. And then I completed a one-year fellowship in forensic pathology at Virginia Commonwealth University at the Office of the Chief Medical Examiner in Roanoke, Virginia. And so when you were hired by New Mexico Office of Medical Investigator, what were, what were you hired uh, as? What was your responsibility at that point? Um, I was hired uh, as a forensic pathologist and a neuropathologist. Can you give us an idea of approximately, well, before I, before I ask you that, uh, what does a forensic pathologist do exactly? A forensic pathologist performs autopsies to determine the cause of death and to determine the manner of death. Do you have any particular uh, certifications? Yes. Could you describe those for us? Yes. Uh, upon completion of training, um, a, a doctor then comp uh, takes a, uh, a test um, to determine whether we're certified or not. And I'm board certified in anatomic pathology, in neuropathology, and in forensic pathology. Could you give us an idea of, uh, not an exact number, but approximately how many autopsies you've conducted yourself as the primary? Uh, for autopsies and external examinations, um, I've done approximately 3,000. That includes supervision, and I, I can't separate them out. You haven't separated them out. Okay. So but about 3,000 overall. Yes. And right now, is your role a, a role of supervision? I mean, do you supervise other pathologists? Yes. How many pathologists do you supervise? Um, we are currently funded for 10 pathologists, including myself. Have you ever testified as an expert in, in a court of law? Yes. In New Mexico? Yes. Can you give us an idea of approximately how many times? Uh, between um, depositions and um, civil and criminal court testimony, it's roughly about 50 times. And during those times, were you qualified and recognized as an expert? Yes. In what field? In forensic pathology, and I believe I've also been certified as an expert in um, traumatic brain injury. Okay. Uh, okay. Your Honor, at this time, I would tender Dr. Gerald as an expert in forensic pathology. Be so qualified. I've qualified her before. She is an expert as a forensic pathologist. So, can you kind of talk the jury through the steps of an autopsy? What happens when um, the remains of an individual come in for autopsy? Can you walk us through what happens at that point? Sure. Uh, when a body comes in for autopsy, um, one thing, one of the first things that happens at the OMI or the Office of the Medical Investigator, which I'll call OMI from here on out, um, is that they get a, a CT scan. So we have a CT scan. Hey, Christina, if you ever want to make a comment, just start talking and I'll hear you and I'll, I'll pause the video. Okay. Okay. Because otherwise, we'll, otherwise I'll be the only person talking. I interrupt all the time. So don't hesitate. Aww, okay. People are, people might, if you see people complain in the chat, just ignore them. That's what the chat does. <laughs> uh, but if they just want to watch the stream, they could be over at Law and Crime and watching That's it. right. Oh. Go to Law and Cuck if you don't want the commentary. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Scanner. Um, we scan the entire body. Um, that gives us a chance as a pathologist to kind of have an internal look at the body before opening the body. Um, after review of the CT scan, uh, we enter the autopsy suite and begin with an external examination. And the external examination looks at, um, you know, features of the decedent, such as hair color, eye color. Um, they also take a body weight and a, a, um, a length at that time. We also at that time, we'll characterize any wounds that we can see on the body um, and take measurements and classify them um, based on what caused them. And then we open the body. Um, when we open the body, we take um, specimens for toxicology 
and we examine the organs. We examine the organs for natural disease and for injury. Um, at that time, we also take slides or samples that are going to be made into slides to look at under the microscope, um, which are evaluated after they come back from the laboratory. And um, after review of that information, we generate a report um, and, and issue a death certificate during that process. So um, I think you just indicated you do some sort of written report to document your findings and conclusions. Yes. Do you also, um, is there a, do you also use um, any sort of photography to, to uh, document the autopsy? Yes. Okay. And before, before the body comes to you, is there, can you tell the jury what a field uh, OMI investigator is and what part that person plays? <clears throat> Yes, a field investigator goes to the scene um, and they take uh, photographs at the scene um, if the body is still on scene, as was in this case. Um, the field um, medical investigator, the field deputy, will take photos of the body on the scene. Um, they also will speak to law enforcement on scene um, to gather a history of the circumstances that are available at that time. And they generate their own report, which is separate from the pathologist report. They also arrange uh, for transportation of the decedent to the OMI for autopsy, and they would place the decedent in a body bag and seal the body. Is that the tag sticking time. out the back of her so jacket is that, there? Is that part of the, the process? That oh my you gosh. Followed, or, that you <laughs> or is that from her face autopsy? mask? Do you use the report uh, that is generated <laughs> that's by just the. Yeah, that's, that's not her face mask. She's got like a neoprene type oh, of man. face mask on a blue one. Yeah, I think Oof. that's just her tag sticking up. At least she tied her hair back today. Yesterday was just like a rat's nest. What do you see her co-counsel? It's like they, they, ne oh, they never no. heard of an airbrush in their lives. <sighs> Someone in the chat said that the witness's hair was a wig. It doesn't look like a wig to me. but what No, it doesn't know? look like a wig. Maybe, maybe they mean uh, the prosecutor here. That's, <laughs> hair not there's a lot of great. wig talk going on just because nobody can find a hairbrush. The, the <laughs> witness's hair is quite nice. The field yes. investigator as part of your analysis in determining your conclusions and find, findings and conclusions? Um, it is reviewed. Yes, it's, it's, it is reviewed and taken into consideration. Now, I want to I direct your attention back to March of 2020. At that time, were you... Um, Chad's funny. Yeah, it looks like a powdered wig. It's like a Thomas Jefferson wig. <laughs> <laughs> what was your role at that time? In March of 2020, um, I had not yet been appointed um, interim chief. I was a re regular medical examiner. Did you have supervising duties at that, at that time? Yes. And did you um, supervise um, an autopsy on a Mr. Guillermo Ariola? Yes. Can you, can you tell the jury um, to what extent you supervised and, and how, how you participated as part of the autopsy? Yes. Um, I am during a part of our, as, as, at the OMI, we have a forensic pathology fellowship, if I can explain that. And the forensic pathology fellows is a medical doctor who has gone on and done their medical school training and their residency. And then they're doing a forensic pathology fellowship. As part of my role as an attending physician in forensic pathology at the OMI, I supervise fellows for autopsy. In the, the classical way that I supervise fellows at the time of autopsy is that I go in and I look at the external examination findings with the fellow, go over those findings with them to make sure that they have described the findings appropriately and that they've classified the findings appropriately. And depending on the case, um, such as um, this one, um, we characterize the wound tracks and wound paths um, as we see them to make sure that the fellow has classified them correctly. In, in addition to the, the photographs that, that you describe as part of your documentation, um, do you also use any sort of diagram? Yes. Okay. Um, I think before we go further, a little mess scratching see, there. Yeah, she seems a little nervous, and I don't think it's just because we have this sped up. I'll, I'll slow her down for cross, so we'll hear what her voice is actually like. I like the cross on at normal speed because it's so much fun. Yes. Look 
Um, these are uh, photographs taken from either the field deputy on scene or from the autopsy. Your Honor, at this time, I would ask to enter into evidence states exhibits 98 through 120. Any objection, counsel? Um, no objection. I do just want to make sure, though, that I will be able to also post the same types of photos. Of course. 98 through 120 will be admitted. And before we get to the autopsy, right. photos, I think there's a couple. So it's 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 we always allow the state prosecutors to do this. And, and I think it's inappropriate in self-defense cases. I mean, no one's disputing the cause and manner of death here. Uh, it's a self-defense yeah. case. The defendant's saying, I shot him and killed him, but I did it in self-defense. The only reason to show these autopsy photos to the jury is not to inform them of anything. Right. It's just an opportunity to show them gory pictures yeah. to try to get them emotionally an, inclined against the defendant. Exactly. It's the emotional manipulation. Um and if you haven't seen like, you know, dead bodies and stuff, it can be very jarring. Okay. Not everybody has spent um, their entire life like on the internet looking at weird things like some of us, you know? And yeah. I mean, seeing that even, can be like, oh, God. Or even if you just have a job working in a law office someplace, if they do any cases like this, they have textbooks full of photographs like this. And you just, yeah, when you get bored, you flip through them. I mean, all of us in the legal profession have seen these. Even if all you do is personal injury stuff, you see lots of gory photos. So we're kind of inured to it. But a, a, a lay audience of jurors, you know, especially rifles can do some pretty horrific things to the human body. It just looks grotesque. But I mean, th that could potentially be an issue for a civil case and damages or for the punishment phase of a trial. But it ought not play a role in the guilt phase of a trial when the defendant's not denying that he committed the act. Right. It's not a fact in dispute. Yeah, but I they agree. do. They allow it all the time. Let me ask you, first of all, do you, do you recognize this particular photo? Yes. And they probably will not show them on a... This on is a photograph that was taken by the field deputy at the scene. Yeah. To us. Oh, oh, they are. Wait, are they? Well, the, 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 yes. these photos are the bloody. The on-scene photos are not very bloody, uh, remarkably not bloody, considering that the, the victim yeah. was killed with two rifle rounds. When 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 they lift up the body, there's a little bit of blood on the floor, but uh, I mean, the the guy got shot in the head with a, a five five six round, and that can just canoe a head clean open, and it, it, yeah. it apparently didn't do that here. Wow, we haven't seen photos like that yet. So the body laying on the ground doesn't doesn't look that gory even when they lift them up the floor doesn't look that bad but of course once they do an autopsy they start cutting them open then you see all kinds of stuff and this is state's exhibit 99 same kind of question <clears throat> is this also a photograph that was taken by the field investigator if you know if you found it fine um it looks like it was taken by the field investigator on scene when the body comes to you at OMI, and in this case with Mr. Adiola, does the body arrive to you uh, clothed like in the case? In other words, are, are the clothes removed before they come before the body comes to OMI? No, the clothes are on the body, and in this case, um, the hands are also bagged. Okay. Now, I want to show you state exhibit 100. What, what is this exhibit? Or what is this picture of? This is a body bag seal. Um, the field investigator places this seal um, um, on the zippers of the body bag, and what it means is that no one's tampered. Um, with anything in the body bag before it arrives to the OMI. Uh, when it arrives to the OMI, um, one of our staff breaks the body bag seal. And so this is showing that the seal has been broken. So it's a, 
It's a way of maintaining the integrity of your body from the change to the OMI? Yes. Technology is happening here. Can we turn it on and off again here? <laughs> like the state's case. <laughs> Go ahead and try. And what is this picture and what is the purpose of, of these bands that you see there? Oh, I'm sorry. It's State Exhibit 101. These are armbands that are placed on the decedent. One armband, uh, the orange one, is placed on the decedent on the scene. And the green armband is placed at the OMI once a case number has been generated. And does, do those bands remain um, on the decedent throughout the process? Yes. And what's the, why, why is that? What's the purpose of that? Um, making sure that we are, first of all, identifying and autopsying the correct person and, um, main, again, maintaining that integrity. Now, I want to show you um, State's Exhibit 102. That would suck to autopsy the wrong person. <laughs> 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 I guess it's happened. Wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> what, what is this? Uh, I mean, you can see it's a diagram, but what's the purpose of this particular diagram? This is a body diagram, um, and the handwriting was written by the fellow who's Dr. Murray. Um, this demonstrates or um, documents the injuries that were seen at the um, time of autopsy, and there are certain abbreviations there. Um, there's measurements of the injuries and abbreviations for the injuries. Can you, um, before we get into the actual injuries, did, did you record as part of the process, did you record Mr. Adiola's height and weight? Yes. And do you recall that, or do you need to look at your report? Um, I believe he was roughly about five feet and nine inches and about 199 pounds. Okay. All right. And you documented, you said your first, you would, what you would do is document the external injuries? Yes. And what, if any, external injuries did you observe and document for Mr. Adiola? Um, there were gunshot wounds on the body. Um, there were also some minor um, scratches and bruising on the limbs. Mm -hmm. And can you... Um, you can, you can circle on your screen. Can you um, circle what the external injuries that you observed that you're referring to? Yes. Uh, there was a gunshot wound labeled as A on the right side of the face. There was a, another gunshot wound um, that is in the right, we call it supraclavicular region, but right above the, the right collarbone. Um, those were entrance wounds. There was a gunshot exit wound on the left side of the chest. Um, there was an abrasion on the front of the right leg. And there was a bruise um, on the uh, back of the left thigh that's on the, the body diagram. Okay. Now, if I understand correctly, it's bruises are, are hard to age. Is that correct? Yes. So are you able to give any kind of an idea of when the, this bruise and these abrasions might have occurred? No. What about the abrasion um, that you documented um, on the thigh? Same thing? Correct. Okay. Um, I, do you know how to clear that? Can you show her how to clear the... Are you know? <laughs> So, of course, what the state's concerned about here is that the bruise would be consistent with the struggle, right, that occurred. They don't want the defense to argue that. But the state's in a position where they can't say uh, that the bruise happened a week earlier. All they can say is, well, we don't know when it we happened, right? It's, it's, more, it's more vague, ambiguous, uncertainty. That, that's all in favor of the Speculation, yeah. So let's take this away for a while. And I want to talk a little bit more in, in detail about some of the findings that you made. Um, starting with, this is State's Exhibit 103. And oh my God, she looks so much like she doesn't want to be there. <laughs> uh, this photograph serves two purposes. One is it's our typical identification photo. Um, so um, 
it serves for identity. She looks like she got a breakup text the moment before she got to the witness stand. She's, she's like not thinking <laughs> about this at all. She's got other more important stuff on her mind. It also documents um, an abrasion or a scratch on the nose, on the bridge of the nose. Could you tell if that abrasion was fresh or not? Um, it, I mean, it appears recent. Can I say if it happened the day before he died? No, I cannot. And obviously once the heart stops, there's no bleeding, correct? That's correct. So can you tell, is there any way to tell whether this abrasion was done before death or after death? Um, it doesn't have the features of a, uh, what we call a post-mortem um, lesion. Those are usually yellow and discolored and don't show any tissue reaction. However, it could have happened as a perimortem event or an anti-mortem event. Perimortem meaning uh, it could have been associated with a terminal fall or it could have happened before death. Is there any, any way to determine exactly We don't know. <laughs> it's caused by blunt trauma, and that's, is, that's all I can say. Hmm. It is possible. All, all this ambiguity. This is possible. That is possible. It is possible it could have been caused by falling against, if I say a, a tote, do you know what I mean by a tote? Let me see if I can find a picture. So what the state should be asking is not, is it possible this happened or is it possible that happened? The state needs to take a position. What they are arguing happened and say, would this injury be consistent with our narrative of the case? Right. Our theory of what happened here. Not yeah. just all these possibilities. Possibilities is ambiguity, uncertainty, reasonable doubt. Oh my gosh, this is one and a half speed and it's still taking this long. <laughs> yeah, this is so... Uh, we got to get their act together. Yes. Is it possible that it could have been caused by him falling against that coat? Yes, that is possible. Okay. <laughs> I mean, if, if I were the defense, I'd, I'd have a little sticky note and I'd be doing hashtag counting of every time she says it's possible. So I could talk about that during my closing argument. Yeah, they're making oh, her uh... stand for two hours and 35 times. However, she couldn't speak with certainty. 35 times she said it was possible. Um, this photograph depicts the um, body after the clothing has been removed and the, after the body has been cleaned. Um, what is evident in this photograph, if I can demonstrate, um, is a gunshot entrance wound on the right supraclavicular or above the collarbone region and a gunshot exit wound on the left side of the chest. That's an awfully bad way to get shot, folks. That's that's mortal. <laughs> there's, there's no way to escape mortal injury. It's tracking right across the chest, through the heart, the lungs, the aorta, all the, the pulmonary arteries, aorta, everything. So fatal, certainly a fatal shot. Even with a handgun would be fatal. With a rifle, it's absolutely, all those organs would have burst from the, uh, just the, the pressure of the passage in the round. But he also, of course, he got shot in the head. So that's not good. On myself, um, it would be over on the right, just in front of the right ear. 
I don't know what law with Mike is doing. I, I wouldn't mind joining him, but if he watched today's testimony, I probably won't join him because I haven't seen it yet. This is a gunshot impact wound um, that I described previously. It's in the pre-auricular or in front of the right ear region. This photograph is taken before the wound is clean, which is a common practice um, for me for gunshot wounds. Um, the reason being is because things like soot can be wiped away once the wound is cleaned. In, in this particular wound, did you note any type of soot? Uh, yes, there was material that was present around the entrance and on the ear that um, appeared to be soot. And when you say soot, would that be from a weapon? Yes. Christina can speak anytime she wants, folks. <laughs> I have a, a comment, but I think it's a little bit unbreaded, you know? Well, that's, I hate that's to say it, but <laughs> I have a trouble, like, taking any women, like, in positions of authority seriously, you know? <laughs> so every time I listen to them talk, I just kind of hear, like, womp, womp, womp. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad you said it, not me. I'm already in enough trouble with the women out there. Oh, no. Um, when, the when, women aren't going to like me. I What's love you, ladies. I do, but like, my goodness, <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, I find these women, the two female prosecutors, they they strike me as technically competent, but they just don't have anything to work with, so they come across very poorly. Uh, yeah. That uh, by Carrie Morrison or, or Morrissey, I'm always forgetting what her last name is exactly. Uh, defense attorney, she's very very good, but she has a extremely masculine energy. I mean, oh, she's no. super disagreeable, very aggressive, just like that review said. That's awesome in a criminal defense attorney. Uh, yes. But it's it's certainly not feminine. And by the way, folks, if I'm charged with murder, I don't want a feminine defense attorney. Uh, I want right. a pit bull of a defense attorney. And she's certainly doing that. Well, that's what you want, indeed. Yep. <laughs> and what is, what is this um, this is a picture of the same gunshot entrance wound that's in front of the right ear. This is after the wound has been cleaned. Um, what is evident um, surrounding the gunshot entrance wound, which the photo is a little bit dark, uh, is some uh, thermal changes of the skin surrounding the entrance wound and little small abrasions on the skin surrounding the entrance wound that are consistent with gunpowder stippling. And what does that tell you as a pathologist? The presence of gunpowder stippling um, characterizes the wound as an intermediate range of fire. Um, that distance, the answer is it depends, um, and it depends on the type of weapon and the ammunition fired. To get the best um, idea of what that distance is, you would need to test fire the weapon with the exact ammunition. Um, generally speaking, however, in the forensic world, and again, this is a generalization, you're usually talking about uh, a distance between the uh, muzzle of the firearm to the body of about two inches up to two feet. Two inches to two feet. Um, now, before we go on to the other injuries, would it be easier to talk about the, the internal injuries caused by the wound, or would it be easier to go one wound at a time like you did? It's easier for you. I can do whatever you prefer. Okay. We'll talk about, let's, let's stay with um, <clears throat> the injuries, the one on the, above the right ear. Um, what happened, what could you determine, what, or, excuse me, let me rephrase, what injuries were caused when that uh, trajectory entered Mr. Adiola's right ankle? So that projectile entered in front of the right ear. Um, it traveled down through the oral cavity. It traveled down through the neck and, and injured um, some major blood vessels in the neck, and then it crossed the midline of the front of the body. And um, I also forgot to mention that it, it fractured or broke um, three cervical vertebra when it traveled down through the neck. It crossed the midline and uh, fragmented, and we recovered fragments of that uh, projectile in the left chest area. That's it also brutal. entered the left lung. And so you're talking about a trajectory of right to left and downward. 
I mean, what I would expect would have happened here while they're struggling over the rifle is the first shot probably went in through the shoulder area, through the body, came out the other end. That that killed them dead right there. That would have ruptured, ruptured all those organs, obviously vital to life organs. And then he's collapsing, but the defender is still, the gun was fired 10 or 11 times, so he's still pulling at the trigger. Even as the guy's falling, he's reflexively firing one more shot. That one hits the falling victim through the head does that other damage so i expect the headshot was probably actually the second and last uh shot of the fight immediately following the the cross thorax round any sort of internal bleeding yes would that would that wound um, by itself be fatal yes all right let's move on to states exhibit 107 Yeah, so they don't want to show the the uh, YouTube audience the uh, gory photos, but these are all uh, going to be published to the jury. If, the jury's probably seeing them right now. Yes. This is a gunshot entrance wound um, above the right collarbone or clavicle. Um, this wound or this photograph was taken before the body was cleaned, and um, so you can depict that there are some blood surrounding that entrance wound. What I don't see surrounding the entrance wound here is soot or um, gunpowder stippling. Um, if I can also go on to say that I did look at the clothing. Um, the decedent was wearing um, two shirts. Uh, he's wearing a, a black t-shirt or a black, I think it was, might have been long sleeve, and then another shirt over that. Um, on the outer layer of clothing, I did not note any um, uh, gunpowder uh, particles with my own eye. So like what, what's being described sounds um, it consistent, would be consistent with, with self-defense. A, a distant range of fire if I don't. Yeah, it all sounds consistent with self-defense. So like, a, what's, a, a what are we doing here? Struggle. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's not like this guy was shot in the back from 100 yards away, right? That would not look like self-defense. Right. Shooting an unarmed man at, from a, a safe distance away. This is all the evidence is these two men being within inches of each other, fighting for control of this rifle yeah. until one of them finally gets killed. Yeah, that's what these wounds sound like. Right. It doesn't sound like, you know, yeah. the state would normally be talking about there is no stippling. Right. It's <laughs> showing so that it was a distant shot so fired. Weird. Hey, do you have anything to sell, Christina? You got a book or anything to grift? Just a channel. No, just my channel. <laughs> YouTube, YouTube and uh, Locals, too, I saw, right? Yes, I am on Locals, radixverum.locals.com. So I appreciate it. I appreciate everybody checking out my content. You know, I do have some very um, unbreaded takes, so I know it's not going to be for everybody. Some of you guys didn't like my comment about women. <laughs> and I apologize for that, but it is, that's just how I feel. And I'm going to say it, you know, I got to be myself. So I came across Christina totally by accident. YouTube fed me, suggested as viewing to me a, uh, what do you, what would you call it? A reaction video yeah. <laughs> that she did to uh, somebody who did a um, uh, kind of summarized my, my drama with uh, Nat lawyer chick. Uh, yes. I thought, first of all, I thought the clip, whoever did that underlying video did a great job. I don't know who they are either, but your feedback, was your commentary on it. Yeah. Well, okay, that makes sense. They do that. They do a good job. Yeah. Uh, but your commentary on it was great as well. And finally, you have a Twitter handle, right? For people who want to, it's different, yes. though. Um, it is not Radix on Twitter. Okay. There we go, folks. Follow, 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 subscribe, all that good stuff. Don't see gunpowder particles. Um, to get a better idea of if there's gunpowder particles on the shirt, um, there's laboratory testing that the OMI doesn't do that another lab could do. And, and your, your distances, if I understand that, your, your approximate distances, yes? Yes. And states exhibit 108. That's for the different view or closer view. Yes, this is a closer up, um, a closer photo. And this is an
Yeah, we, we have angry women in the chat. I know. Uh, first of all, I would suggest you ladies just calm down. Okay. Uh, second of all, nobody is saying all women do anything. No, but women I said that. Women generally tend to have common characteristics. There are exceptions. We're on a bell curve. Most people are Correct. within a couple of standard deviations of the norm. That's yes. how people work. There are always people on the far ends of the bell curve. That's fine. They're human beings too. You can still mm -hmm. generalize and not just women, men too, dogs, cars, plants, everything. Yeah. And you're, you're talking to somebody here, guys, who doesn't think that women should be in the workforce in, in most cases and shouldn't be allowed to vote in most cases, because I think that feminism has been a cancer on society. And I think that if we want to look at the problems that we have, as we watch society slowly fall apart, women are to blame for a lot of that. And it's not uh, like that there's anything wrong with them. Women are emotional beings. They're emotional beings first above logic and reason. And so I think that a lot of things they do are feels based. As I said in the video, when I was covering your uh, back and forth with Natalie Lawyer Chick, she does the same thing. And it, it's not bad. That doesn't make women bad. It's not a bad thing. Women are nurturers. They're mothers. That's what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to feel emotional bonds with their children. The problem, though, is that women coddle criminals. They do this mommying thing. And they allow their emotions to, you know, in many cases, control their behavior. That's all. I, I'm not exempt from this, guys. I'm a woman, too. So I'm, I'm critiquing myself here. I can say these things because I know from lived experience. Oh, I say much the same things just from observation. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Although I just want to remind people, my, my initial grievance with that lawyer chick was not that she was a bad person. It's that she's a bad lawyer. I mean, she's right. demonstrably and objectively a bad lawyer. It only turned out later that she was also a bad person. Yeah. Okay. Yes, this is the same gunshot entrance wound that is above the right collarbone. Okay. And before we move on, could you, same as we did with the other gunshot wound, could you describe what kind of internal injury you observed as a result of this gunshot wound? Alicia in the comments says, as a chick, where can I meet girls like Christina? Friends, female friends Aww. like Christina. Well, you know where. We told you. She's got a YouTube channel. She's got a locals and she's on Twitter. So, yeah. yes, grow, join Christina's community if, uh, if you share her views. Uh, it'll certainly do more for you than uh, anything feminism has to offer. Exactly. I, I'd like to see the actual objective argument for um, that the 19th Amendment has been a net positive plus for, Thank for you. society generally. So we'll see. I don't know. I've yet to hear anybody make that argument. Yeah. Yes. This gunshot wound, the projectile entered above the right collarbone and um, traveled underneath the skin. It went into the chest cavity and injured the major blood vessels that go to the heart. So one of those being the, the, lar the very large vessel called the aorta. Um, so it went through the aorta and that's a very large different blood vessel that goes into the heart. It also went through the left lung and exited the left side of the chest. So would, would this wound, um, without, let's say that this was the only wound, would this, would this wound have been fatal? Yes. Now, as a pathologist, is there any way for you to determine which wound happened first and which one happened second? No. So I have a guess. <laughs> about, you say that each of, those, each of these wounds independently would be fatal. Can you, is there any way to know how fast? Um, there are injuries to major blood vessels, um, and it doesn't, 
the answer in forensics quite commonly is it depends. Um, it they you... may not have been immediately fatal. Um, they would have resulted in significant blood loss. And so you could be talking of, about seconds um, of survival prior to death. If your aorta is ruptured by a 5.56 five, round through your chest, <laughs> there is no blood pressure anymore. Might, might there be, be uh, some remnant brain function? until the, what blood is in there deoxygenates i guess maybe you're not doing anything and you're not coming back you're dead i don't believe he would have survived on the level of minutes with an injury to the aortic arch <laughs> it's almost like i'm a medical professional I see someone asking if the defendant's out on bail or in jail. My, my understanding is he's been in jail the whole time uh, for the last two years. Now, part of that was there was questions about his mental competency. So that might have been part of why he was held in jail. Uh, but I don't think he's been out on bail. I think he's been in jail awaiting this trial for the last two years. The number at the bottom is correct. <clears throat> Now, what is this depicting? Uh, this is a photograph of the, it's a close-up, um, but it's the left side of the chest. And what is depicted and annotated by the letter C, as well as the keys number, is a gunshot exit wound on the left side of the chest. This is the gunshot exit wound that is associated the, uh, with the wound path uh, from the entrance on the right um, collarbone region. And, and how do you know that? How do you determine that? Uh, so when a projectile goes through the body, it creates a hemorrhagic wound path, um, which you can usually follow the, the wound track through the body, which we were able to do in this case. <clears throat> this is a close-up of the gunshot exit wound on the left side of the chest. And, and how, how can you tell it's an exit wound versus an, an entry? The, and there are certain features of an entrance wound. Um, number one is that when a bullet hits the skin, it makes an abrasion on a, where it enters the skin. And it actually takes the skin with it, such that if you tried to close that wound, you can't close it um, perfectly because the skin is actually missing. When the bullet or the projectile exits the skin, it pushes the skin out and doesn't take the pieces of skin with it. So if you try to reapproximate that, you can um, put the skin back together um, precisely without any missing skin. Generally speaking, an exit wound doesn't have an abrasion. That's not always true um, if the skin's pushed against something, um, but there is no abrasion here as well. Is there anything about those wounds um, that I haven't already asked you about that you feel is important to testify about? Um, no, I neglected to mention that the trajectory for the second gunshot wound track is also uh, right to left and downward. So they're both right to left and downward? Yes. Um, and I think okay, the next series are some photographs. It looks like of Mr. Adiola's hands. We'll kind of go through those kind of quickly. Um, is, it common, is it common to take pictures of the deceased's hands? Yes. Why do you do that? Well, we want to... Um, we want to document any injuries that might be on the hands or any potential trace evidence that we can see with our own eyes that might be on the hands. No. Okay, so again, this is this is what the prosecution has to work with. Normally, when the prosecution is talking about a victim's hands, it's because they want to highlight defensive wounds. Yeah. So the, the victim was defending themselves from an attack. When when there's nothing there. <laughs> That shows you nothing. It doesn't mean there wasn't a fight. Absence right. of evidence is not evidence. So again, the prosecution is talking about things that do not advance the prosecution's narrative. And uh, 
just add uncertainty and ambiguity to the overall trial. Um, so that red discoloration on the index finger is liver mortis. Um, it's postmortem settling of blood, and it's um, dependent on gravity. So as we look at state exhibit 111, that looks like there's some red, and there's like a marking thing where it looks like there's no, no redness. What, what picks up for that? Um, yes, this is the right hand, uh, the palm of the right hand, and what you can see is blanching in the center of the hand. Um, there is a photo from the scene where there was a something um, in the right hand that was documented by photograph on scene. Could that account for that lack of, uh, what do you call it, liver? Liver, yes. Liver. So could that account for that lack of liver there? Yes. And, and how much pressure would it take, in other words, would someone have to be squeezing it really hard or just lightly pressing to cause that sort of? Uh, it doesn't take a lot of pressure, uh, pressure to cause the, the liver to blanch um, once it's, um, before it becomes fixed. At some point, the, the liver won't blanch anymore. However, uh, for example, when a field investigator is on scene, um, in order to demonstrate the, um, the, the state of the liver on scene, sometimes the field investigator will place a gloved hand on the back um, and it'll actually leave a handprint temporarily and they'll photograph that to show that the liver had not settled at that point. So this is it at 112. Uh, yes, this is showing um, the back of the hand, and it's these are before the hands have been cleaned. And uh, there's no injuries that are evident. Um, there is blood on the hands. So I'm looking at this right here. Is that an injury or is that just blood? No, that is just blood. So you didn't know any injuries on his hands at all? That's correct. <sighs> so the the manner of attack here, what the defense has described is basically, and I happen to have a canister of OC here, but that the victim had a canister of OC in his hand and was pounding at the defendant like this. And then the defendant retrieved his rifle and they were fighting over the rifle. But you wouldn't expect there to be punching-like injuries on the hand from that kind of attack. So again, the state's pointing out the absence of something that would not be expected to be there given the defense. Right. So anyway. it's sort of like irrelevant. And I think they just kind of like to do this because it puts people to sleep in a way. I mean, if, you, if you're on the jury here, you're going to be falling asleep watching this stuff. You're not going to know if this is relevant or not because you're not a subject matter expert. You're just listening to this and it gives the appearance of like, oh, look, we've got we've got something here. You know, and they're hoping people don't know better. It's filler. So the means nothing. Defense narrative is that these two men fought in one room of a trailer, <laughs> and so before, just before you joined us, one of the things the state was doing was showing photographs of other parts of the trailer where things were not disheveled. <laughs> so, well, oh, this isn't broken. Okay. That's not broken. As if someone were arguing that a fight had happened in that other room. Right. Like uh, and. So of course, yeah. It just doesn't make any sense. Make it make sense. Yeah. <laughs> yes. A liver. Maybe depends on what part of the country you're in. Okay. Um, any injuries that you noted on the hand? No. States exhibit one fourteen. And there are some red marks there. Did you note those as injuries? No, I did. They were not interpreted to be injuries at the time of the examination. It could be some liver discoloration. I didn't, we didn't think they were bruises or scratches. And if they had been, you would have documented those on your diagram and in your report? Yes. And what about this one in particular? <coughs> um, it looks like there's some, some red, reddish substance there. Was that from an injury? Uh, 
it, it was from an injury, but not an injury on the hands. It was from um, the scene where the hand was resting um, in, in blood. Okay, so there was no injury on his hands corresponding to that blood? Correct. And any other injury? Did you note any other injuries on his hands? On no. His hands? No. This is exhibit 116. This is my other hand, but same question. Um, no, no evidence of injuries on that hand? That's correct. <laughs> 117. Now, this looks like a close-up of the thumb and thumbnail. What, what would be the purpose of doing a close-up of that? Um, I don't know why they took a close-up of the thumb, but I don't see any injuries there. <laughs> I mean, it's typical to take a, a photograph to, to show this aspect of the hand. Uh, meaning, when I say this, I'm, why, it's, why uh, talking about the, um, what we would call the outside of the index finger and the, and the thumb. So it's they're, they're showing photographs for no purpose. They don't know yeah, why even they're showing she's like, uh... <laughs> Well, I, don't know. Here. I don't know. It's just another picture. Oh, A typical photo. It's like, well, we, ladies and gentlemen, the jury, look, just think of all the pictures we showed you. Surely, surely the only possible verdict, just verdict is guilt. <laughs> I guess if you don't have much to work with, though, like this is what you have to resort to. Oh, my oh, God. God. Again, the other hand, um, any signs of injuries that were documented either without photograph or upon observation? No. In your, in your findings and conclusions, um, Dr. Gerald, what, what kinds of findings and conclusions by law are you required to um, determine, if you will? Um, we determine the cause of death and the manner of death. And can you explain to the jury what the difference is? Um, the, the cause of death is um, what uh, type of injuries or natural disease actually led to the um, demise of the person. It could be natural disease. It could be an injury. Um, in this case, the cause of death, if I may say, um, is gunshot wounds. Okay. And um, so what's, that, what's manner of death? What does that mean? Um, in this state, we have um, a number of choices for manner of death um, or classifications of manner of death, uh, which includes natural, accident, homicide, suicide, and undetermined. Okay. And, and, and in this particular case, what did you determine to be the manner of death? The manner of death is homicide. And when you make that determine, that's, that's a medical conclusion, right? Yes. So it's not a legal conclusion. That's correct. Okay. So how, what factors go into making that determination of the manner of death? Um, the manner of death is a combination of the anatomic findings based on the autopsy findings and the investigative circumstances um, surrounding the death of the person. Now, is it common, is it common um, procedure to have a toxicology report, uh, toxicology analysis done on the decedent? Yes. <laughs> and was that done in the case of Mr. Adiola? Yes. And did you receive a copy of that report? Yes. Okay. Um, would it be fair to say he was high as fuck? <laughs> <laughs> what, before I ask you what, what the results were, let me ask you this. Did you, did the results of that report alter your opinion regarding the cause or manner of death? No. Okay. And in general, well, in general, what were the findings of the toxicology report? If you need to refer to the report, you may. Uh, there was a blood alcohol concentration of 0 0.118. Um, there was cocaine present. 
Um, there was a compound present called cocaethylene. Um, that compound is formed when cocaine and alcohol are consumed within a relatively short amount of time of each other. And it is biologically active, um, having similar properties of cocaine. And there was a breakdown product of cocaine, um, which was benzyl echignine. And then I would have to refresh my memory for anything else that was on there. Let me just see if I can, I can enter this into evidence. But I'd like to show you a copy of the report so I could ask you some questions about it, if that's all right. May I approach your 0.18 to stem high <laughs> yeah, for the blood alcohol. <laughs> NMS Labs is the laboratory that we utilize for uh, forensic toxicology. They are an accredited laboratory and uh, located out of state. Okay. And if you look on the, the signature page of that document, um, who was that signed by? Um, this was signed by Jolene um, Beerley, um, who is a forensic toxicologist. Okay. A forensic toxicologist is different than a forensic pathologist, right? Yes. And are you an expert in forensic toxicology? No. So 0.18 is more than double the limit under New Mexico law for drunk driving, which is 0.08. Oh, nice. 0.118. Still, it's 30% above the uh, the legal limit for drunk driving. So the guy was, uh, you know, he was he was feeling it. He was in his cups for sure. Then add the cocaine. Yeah. yeah Have you right? ever testified as an expert in forensic toxicology? Oh, no. God. Um, in general, um, do you feel qualified to talk about the general effects of the amount of cocaine that you see from this report on an individual. I can only speak in generalities and I would only be repeating what is written on the report. Okay. And to your knowledge, does that, I mean, a lot of it depends on the individual, correct? I mean, do you, or do you even know? It, it depends on what you're in other words, Okay, I'm sorry, that was a bad question. Let me rephrase. So an, an amount that might cause an effect on me might be different than the same amount would cause on a different person, right? I'm going to have to ask the question, but she can ask <laughs> well, she's going to be allowed to talk about it, then. I'll allow it. Do you, do you understand the question? But that same argument is the one that applies to the, the effects of mace, <laughs> which is favorable to the defense. I mean, if I were the defense, I'd come back and cross and say, all right, well, isn't it true that that's true of mace, that you can't predict what the effect would be? Yeah. I do understand the question. It depends on which what substance you're talking about. Okay, let's, let's start with cocaine. Um, I can't testify to what concentration might cause what effect. I can generally speak that cocaine is a stimulant and it is an illicit stimulant. Um, so it has been associated with aggressive behavior. But not in all people. It depends on the concentration, which I can't testify about. But you can't, can you give any testimony on the effect that whatever concentration was in Mr. Adiola's blood, what effect it had on him on February 29th? I cannot. And he also, he also had, looks like some cannabis in his system. There were breakdowns. But notice what she's not saying. She's not saying I can confidently say it would not have made her more violent. Again, it's just she just doesn't know. It's uncertainty. It's ambiguous. It's possible. It's just crazy. And then when it comes to alcohol, listen, we're, we, we have all experienced. I mean, I grew up in the 80s and cocaine was everywhere, but we've all experienced alcohol. And we yeah. all know that some people drink. And they're just happy, pleasant drunks. And other people drink. Right. And they'll, they'll fight a goddamn telephone pole in front of the house. Yes. Um, very different reactions. But you can't exclude a violent reaction, which is what the state would need to be doing here. Yeah, exactly. On products of marijuana. Yes. And what are the general effects of cannabis? Um, that I cannot testify to because it doesn't, it rarely, if ever, has a um, determination factor in cause of death. And not in this case. Okay. Exactly. Okay, and is part of the um, decomposition, the decomposition of the body, um, part of that process produces ethanol, correct? It, it can um, in states of moderate to severe decomposition. Okay, so in this case, was that a factor? No. Think? No, okay. And one second, Your Honor. Okay. Why, why are they asking questions when they have to know it's the just, answer is not gonna be helpful to them? Yeah, again, it just seems like a waste of time. 
I don't know. Like they're, they're just wasting people's time here with this. That's my opinion. Well, it looks like she's done. She's looking at her colleague. Yeah. (laughs) She does not look like a pleasant woman. Sorry. (laughs) Oh man. Um, I might not have asked you this. My co-counsel says I didn't. Uh, what does distant range of fire mean? What would what the distances be for that? Um, and, and again, I'll go back to um, the best estimate for that range would be to test fire the actual weapon with the ammunition that was used. That wasn't done? <laughs> the state is going to raise this as an issue and they don't actually have testing data? So all she can do again is speculate. But again, generally speaking for distant range of fire, um, you're talking roughly two feet or more and we can't tell. Um, All right. So they had the weapon and they had other ammo that matched the ammo that was fired in the magazine. The magazine was still half full. They could have tested it just like they didn't test the substance on the gun to determine whether it was mace. Uh, Holy cow. Why? Is it just incompetence or? I mean, in fairness, it wouldn't necessarily be the incompetence of these prosecutors. I don't know when they were put on the case, but, you know, someone's doing the investigation. I don't know if it's a lack of resources or, you know, I sometimes wonder about this case in particular because this defendant has a history of mental health issues, uh, paranoia, uh, conspiracy theory concerns. uh, And it may just be and he was a stranger to this community. He had just moved back into New Mexico where he was raised, but he'd been away for many decades. And the person he killed was a, uh, a landowner. They were engaged in a discussion for a property sale. And he was apparently well-liked in the community, the victim. Uh, and it may be that they showed up. The guy they know who's lived there forever is shot dead. At worst, they would be thinking he had mace, uh, which doesn't look good from um, the aspect of proportionality. And when they talk to the shooter, the shooter comes across as a mental lunatic. And they're thinking... <laughs> Well, this is we'll just do treat this as a murder. I mean, they charged the guy with murder six days after the event. So they were quick to charge him with murder. Uh, and they may just thought, oh, this will be easy. Yeah. Uh, but and what they didn't think of was the guy, the lunatic. That's not the person who's going to be uh, speaking for the defense in court. It's going to be his legal counsel. And if that guy gets good legal counsel, it's uh, you may have a fight on your hands. Yeah. Um, also, I think they may have thought I suspect they may have hoped to get his mental health history into the record. And if they had done that, it might have seriously biased uh, the jury against the defense. Yeah, um, but uh, not, it's not normally permissible to get that kind of history, and it's effectively character evidence. Yeah, and uh, and it hasn't been mentioned in court. So I presume, first of all, I presume that the news reports I'm seeing of that mental health history are true. I don't know. I don't have personal knowledge of it. Uh, but even if those news reports are true, uh, it has to be that the judge ruled it wouldn't be admissible in trial, or we would have heard about it endlessly so as a medical doctor can you testify or do you know whether um, alcohol is generally considered a depressant it is yes i can and what about marijuana or cannabis Uh, you know I would not testify to that. Okay. I'll pass the witness around. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Okay. I love when prosecutors do this. It's it's always whatever side they want, right? So if the defendant was drunk, we all know that alcohol yeah. leads people to fight, right? So but when, right. when the who was drunk, well, we all know alcohol is a depressant, right? So surely that couldn't have contributed to a violent attack by the by the victim in this case. 
It's like with ammo. You always have the wrong bullet. No matter what bullet you use, it's the wrong one. If you use full metal jacket, you should have used ball ammo. If you use ball yeah. ammo, you should have used full metal jacket. That that happened in the Rittenhouse case. Yeah. 2020 is when the, the shooting occurred. February 29th, 2020. And this, this trial is taking place right now. They're wearing masks because New Mexico courts still... Good afternoon, doctor. Good afternoon. I'm going to slow it back down. All right. So you uh, described during direct examination some of the process that your office goes through when you are conducting a death investigation. Do you remember testifying to that? Yes. Um, and a death investigation, would you agree, does not involve just one person in your office, but a team of people? Yes. And that... That first, I guess that first step in this investigation would be the field investigator, correct? Yes. Um, and the field investigator. Hey, Chad, if I, if I was contrasting ball and full metal jacket, I misspoke. Full metal jacket's ball for practical purposes. I, I meant full uh, ball and hollow point. Is the individual who actually goes out to the scene? Yes. And that's not you, correct? That's correct. All right. And... While out on scene, the field investigator is, um, like I think you testified, speaking with law enforcement, is that correct? Yes. And also taking pictures of the scene. Yes. And processing the body on scene. Yes. I don't like these long pauses. You begin your external examination. There is a briefing in your office, isn't that correct? Yes. And during that briefing, does the field investigator kind of run through their investigation? Um, it's not the field investigator, but a central office investigator. Okay. And they're kind of sharing with you the information they received from the scene? Yes. And does that help guide your autopsy? Uh, it gives us an idea of how to triage. Okay. And what does that mean? Triage? Um, it helps us decide um, whether we're going to do an autopsy or a homicide workup. If we're going to do an autopsy, meaning that we're going to collect certain um, evidence at the time of autopsy, or if we're just going to do an external examination and not open the body. Okay. I don't think I have a yeah, she should have come in there right, so fully the prepared. Yeah, come on, independent said, woman. They're taking photos, for example, I'm going to show you uh, what's already been admitted as states exhibit 98. Yeah, the, the long, you've long, already testified long, that this is a photo that was taken by the field investigator out at the scene. Is that correct? Yes. And then States Exhibit 99. You could at least focus your camera. Yeah. That was also Dear out God. at the scene? At, I think, but I can't be sure. The decedent's in the body bag, but I can't tell if the floor is, is at, in our lab or on 
the scene, to be honest. No, this, this defense and attorney is much weaker. Did you review all of the photos in the autopsy file before you testified today? Yes. In preparation? Yes. Okay. Permission to approach, Your Honor? This is uh, Nicole Moss. She's uh, not nearly as strong as the other. Recognize that photo? Yes. Is that one of the photos that is part of your um, your file? Yes, I believe it is. And what is that a photo of? Um, it's a photo of a rifle that was present on scene. Okay. And was that a photo that was taken by your field investigator? Yes. Uh, at this time, the defense would move for the admission of defendant's exhibit I. No objection, Your Honor. It'll be admitted. All right. May I approach? You may. Can I yeah, I'm so just so that the jury can see what we were just talking about, this photo is a photo of a firearm that your field investigator. So this this medical examiner is probably about the same age as this defense attorney, right? Yeah. But but she presents herself as if she were ten years younger than that. She looks very feminine. Her hair is done. She looks cute. Yeah. It's a that's a choice. It is at the scene that evening. Yes. All right. Thank you. In addition to. Uh, I wish I could so see her her face though, the rest of it. <laughs> yeah. You know, I want to see the smile. I don't I didn't catch her name. Also or I would uh, I would google it, but yeah. so catalog the property that comes in with a body. Yes. And what do you do with uh, personal effects and property that comes in with the body? Um, in this case, since this was a homicide workup, the property of the decedent becomes evidence and it is submitted to the um, corresponding law enforcement agency as evidence. So it is packaged. Okay. And before you send that off to the law enforcement agency, is it documented? Yes. And how do you document it? Um, it is documented um, in, a, in an inventory and it is photo documented as well. Okay. <laughs> Permission to approach? Doctor, I handed you two more photos. Our defendants exhibits M and N. Would you please take a look at those? Yes. And do you recognize those photos? Yes. Are those photos that are from your your file? Yes. And were those taken by someone in your office? Yes. And what are they photos of? Um, one is a photograph of a straw, uh, and the other is a photograph of a glass pipe. And oh. uh, these items that came in with Mr. Ariola's remains? Yes. Uh, <laughs> is this some of the property that was turned over to law enforcement? Yes. Uh, at this time, don't do crack, kids. <laughs> crack is whack. <laughs> that explains the cocaine. Oh no! It wasn't. A, he wasn't doing a gentleman snorts. I'm the state would or the defense would move forward the admission of exhibits M and N. Thank you. May I approach? Oh boy! Can we see the paraphernalia, please? <laughs>
Oh, here we go. And so this would be defendant's exhibit M. And this is this the straw that you were just Oof. talking about? Yes. Yikes. I just came in with the. You hate to see yes. it. And defendant's exhibit N, is that the glass pipe that came in with Mr. Ariola's remains? Yes. And do you happen to know um, where were they in his pocket or do you have any idea of where in his remains these were found? I don't recall. She looks fine. I mean, she's no Dr. Muffins, that's true, but she looks fine. Well, most people aren't Dr. Muffins. Come on, most women aren't. Let's be honest. Right. There's no, no sense being mean. She's a solid now, six. During six the or seven. autopsy, um, you From what I can see. are looking at injuries, obviously, and you've already testified to those. Um, but there's also an internal examination done. Here we go. I'll pull it up. Let's see. She looks fine. We're not yeah. talking eight, nine, or ten. She looks fine. No. She looks fine. I'd say a six. Yeah. Maybe a, a six with a, six. Uh, you know, a, uh, maybe a flexible seven on a, you know, night on out. a good day. You, you never know. Sometimes if they make themselves look a little nice, you know, do the hair a little bit different or do the makeup a little bit different. You can turn a four into a seven with just I do know the makeup, one, but it is again, false advertising. There's apparently no food shortage in New Mexico. That's for sure. Everyone's got plenty to eat. <laughs> You said it, not me. <laughs> Set up the organs. Yes. And um, are you also looking for any natural diseases? Yes. And did Mr. Ariola have any natural diseases that you observed? Yes. What did he have? Um, he had fatty changes of the liver. And what is a fatty change of the liver? Um, there's multiple reasons to have fatty changes of the liver. There's only one reason. <laughs> this was not his first night drinking alcohol. The two of the most common are obesity um, and or um, alcohol use. Okay. And so was he obese? Um, I believe his, um, I don't recall. Would they say 190? 5'9 five, five, and 190? But I wouldn't characterize him as obesity by my recollection of his overall physique. Okay. So then the other likely cause would be alcoholism. It would be the most common cause. I'm sorry. So it sounds like his BMI was right around 30. I think 30 is like overweight. I don't think it's obese yet. Or, although it may be the margin between overweight and obese. So he may have okay. been pushing it. Sorry, I don't think that's what you said. You said alcohol use. Okay, 5'9", 200 pounds. All right, yeah, that is kind okay. of uh, questionable. <clears throat> So alcohol use is another way? Yes. Okay. Would uh, excessive alcohol use be a way that this is caused? Yes. Okay. <laughs> That's now, a talking about the toxicology report. Ms. Excessive alcohol use is also a pretty good way to be 5'9 and 200. <laughs> 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 exactly. Romo asked you a number of questions regarding it. Um, I only have a few. Um, to start with, the toxicology revealed that uh, Mr. Ariola had alcohol in his system. You said that that was at a level of 0 0.118 grams. Yes. Okay. And 
if you could give us some context. So if so, 0.118, do you know if that is above the legal limit for alcohol for driving in this state? Yes, the legal limit for driving in the state is 0 0.08. Okay, so this is 0.118, so about 0 0.03 above the legal limit? Yes. Okay. Almost 0.08. And you said that there was cocaine <laughs> in his system. Do you recall the amounts? I do not. Okay. Um, but there was active, the active ingredients of cocaine in his system? Yes. And I think you also testified as to, was there metabolites of cocaine in the system as well? Yes. So what does that tell you when you see the active and the um, inactive metabolites of, of cocaine? Uh, it, it would mean that he had not broken down cocaine um, completely into its metabolites or its breakdown products. So it would indicate more recent use, and I can't testify how recent. Okay, fair enough. And then you also testified on direct exam it would, that... But it, it would indicate he was riding that train. <laughs> there was coca ethylene in his system. And you explained that that is a compound that's formed when cocaine and alcohol are consumed together. Yes. And when they're con consumed together, does this mean that this is consumption that is close in a time frame to each other? Yes. He was partying. <laughs> and uh, you said you could only speak in generalities to um, the effects that coca ethylene would have on somebody. But so coca ethylene, is that, um, does that, correlate to possible increased aggressiveness? It would have a similar effect as cocaine itself. Um, some textbooks say it's more biologically active than cocaine. Others resources say it's less active, but it has similar properties of cocaine. Okay. And so some of those properties, including the aggression, increased aggression, um, also increased excitement. The shooting occurred on a Saturday night, folks, for what that's worth. Saturday. Yes. It's a stimulant. It would cause increased heart rate, increased blood pressure, and, 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 and aggression can be a symptom. Yes. Okay. And yeah. risk taking? Uh, I, I think that's outside my purview. Okay. Um, would it she sees dead help picture. to refresh your memory to review the toxicology <laughs> report that is part of your investigation? Your Honor, I'm going to object. This goes beyond what your ruling was, and she's not a toxicology expert. She's not a forensic toxicologist. She's reading something I, else. I thought she was. Yeah, right? <laughs> of the scope of your ruling, and Ms. Roma has already talked to her about this. I'm just doing a little bit of... To refresh your recollection, right? Yes. I'll allow that. This judge always sounds like he's had a few. <laughs> yeah. Poor guy. Have you had a chance to refresh your memory? Yes. And is risk taking associated with this coca ethylene? Yes. Thank you. Mm -hmm. There you go. They got it. That's what they wanted. That's keep in mind, folks, when, when these lawyers are doing their trial work correctly, everything they're doing 
is just a building block to closing argument. Everything they're extracting from a witness is not necessarily to make a great point in the moment, although that can happen, yeah. but to have that building block for their narrative in closing where they can refer back to this testimony as part of a coherent narrative. When you're doing this witness by witness, that you don't have a coherent narrative. Everything's chopped up, especially since for the defense, these are still stay witnesses. You're not picking the order or sequence or um, areas to cover uh, on direct. You know, you can only cross-examine these witnesses, but you want to extract out of them on cross those building blocks you'll, you will stitch together in the order you want to tell a compelling narrative of innocence when you get to closing at the end of the trial. Yeah, exactly. And this is, ba-ting, when I heard her say that, I, it's just, that's the bell. That's a building block. A building block got its wings uh, when she said yes. Another thing that is noted in the uh, toxicology report is benzo, like cognine. I don't know how to say that. Could you help me with that? Sure, benzoecognine. And what is that? That's a breakdown product of cocaine. And when you see a breakdown product of, product of cocaine, what does that mean? It means that, that the body has time to break it down in the bloodstream um, from its um, comp and parent compound of cocaine and start to break it down into other things. Okay. So seeing both the benzolycocanine and the cocaethylene and the active cocaine in the system, does that show a history of cocaine use? Um, it, a duration of cocaine use. If you're talking about in the blood um, and only in the blood, it could mean that cocaine was consumed you, you could have breakdown products from con cocaine consumption the day before, or I, I can't tell if it's the day before, um, and plus recent cocaine use. What I can tell you is that there is active cocaine in the blood. Okay. In addition to the toxicology screen for blood, there was also a urine screen. Is that correct? Yes. And the urine screen showed uh, sure, the presence of cocaine metabolites? <laughs> yes. Does that tell you anything different from what we've already talked about regarding the cocaine that was seen in his blood? Um, the most accurate, yes. And what does it tell you? The, the most accurate um, determination of compounds that might have indicated intoxication is through analysis of the blood. Um, the presence of cocaine in the urine means that there's been enough time for cocaine to um, be broken down and deposited into the urine. Okay. So it's just another piece of information that goes into the bigger picture? Yes. Okay. And in the urine, it also indicates that there was cannabinoids? Yes. What are cannabinoids? They're breakdown products of marijuana. Okay. And I think you previously testified that there was also marijuana found in his blood? There's breakdown products of marijuana in the blood, yes. <laughs> okay. Uh, would it be quicker just to list the drugs this guy wasn't on? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, he's not quite into the uh, uh, the um, uh, George Floyd levels, but uh, yeah, fentanyl Floyd. <laughs> <laughs> now going back to we haven't entered bath salts territory yet, but this isn't Florida, so. You testified on direct examination that you did. Um, an inspection or you looked at his clothing, is that correct? Yes. And you didn't observe any um, gunshot powder on his clothing? 
Right. Is this the clothing that you were referring to? Yes. Okay. Um, and you also testified that there is laboratory testing that can be conducted on the clothing. Is that correct? Yes. Who makes the determination about whether to send the clothing out for that additional laboratory uh, testing? Beyond the scope of her expertise. I'm asking who decides. I think she knows if she, she does knows it. it. <laughs> Thank you. Um, that would be um, law enforcement if they would like a if they would like to determine if um, things like nitrate and lead would be on the clothing. Okay, so that's something you don't decide. That's something for law enforcement. That's correct. Okay, thank you. As part of your investigation, does your office uh, take fingernail clippings? Yes. When do you take those fingernail clippings? Um, the fingernail clippings are taken before the body is opened. Um, this is before and also before the body is cleaned. Um, the photos we saw of the hands, were those photographs taken before or after the clippings? Um, it looked like some of them were taken before and some were taken after. Okay. And is this before or after the body is cleaned? For what part? Um, do you do, do you clean the body just one time or is it in steps? Um, the body is, the fingernail clippings are taken before any cleaning is done. Um, so there is cleaning that's done in steps, um, which is be because the body has a front side and a, a back side. And then what do you do with the fingernails? Um, the fingernails are packaged and submitted as evidence. And do you ever, does your office ever conduct testing on the fingernails? No. Is that something for law enforcement? Uh, yes. Okay. Mommy doctor, Bob. <laughs> No more mommies. We had Judge Mommy, Dr. Mommy, and then now another Dr. Mommy. <laughs> Sorry, there's a lot of photos here. It's a lonely, lonely world out there for many people. States Exhibit mm -hmm. 103. <laughs> Ms. Romo asked you a series of questions during direct exam regarding the um, possible genesis of the laceration on Mr. Ariola's nose. Um, this abrasion that you see on his nose, could that have occurred from him falling forward and hitting his face on the ground? Yes. Okay. And in fact, you saw photos of how his body was found? Yes. And his body was found face down on the ground. Is that correct? Yes. I'm going to show you uh, State's Exhibit 104. So here we're looking at a close-up of Mr. Ariola's torso. Is that correct? Yes. Could you point to where gunshot wound 
B is located in the photo? Gunshot wound B is the, my arrow is not pointing at it, but is the entrance wound in the right um, collarbone region. Okay. And then did you testify on direct exam that the other injury that we see, I guess right here, that would be the exit wound for the same projectile? Yes. If you could, would you just draw a, a line that shows us the path that that bullet took through Mr. Ariola's body? So that is the path one of the bullets took through his body? Yes. Okay. And so can you testify, and I don't know if you can, um, can you testify as to where the firearm would have been when it went off and created that path? No. Okay. <laughs> She's testified before. <laughs> and I know we can't see gunshot wound A because that's the one that goes through the right temple, you said? Yes. But you testified to the path that it took through Mr. Ariola's body. Could you please do the same thing and just draw for us on this photo the path it took? Yes. Yeah, and Nick yeah, invited us up the left chest because it fragmented and we recovered the fragments in the left chest. Okay. And then I guess, could you just draw another uh, line from B to C? Okay. And so you had testified that in with both of these, it was a right to left downward. Yes. Okay. Would you agree that that indicates that when he was shot, he was not shot from the front? It, it all depends on the positioning of the firearm and positioning of the body. Okay. Would you agree the position of the firearm would not have been pointed at him from the, in the front? I would agree with that. Okay. And it wasn't pointed at him from the, in the back. Would this be consistent with a chaotic event, like a fight <laughs> over the rifle? I would agree with that. Would you agree that the firearm must have been pointing somewhat in this approximate yes. manner? Mm -hmm. Oh, they just showed one of the, uh, our feet, yeah. It just showed one of the photos I saw on a more advanced feed on another monitor I have here. Oh no! When, when, when they see. switch over to uh, when they switch over to redirect, man, they just uh, long cuck. You really, you're really not hiring the best camera people. <laughs> yeah, they suck. And so we want to see the it. gunshot wound to the right temple. You said that was like a intermediate range. So anywhere from two inches to about two feet? Generally speaking, yes. Okay. Um, kind of a wide range there. Yes. And then for the distant one, that was the one that went through from here to here. Distant. That's anywhere approximately two feet and further? Yes. 
Okay, but the best way to determine that you said was through firearms testing? Um, yes, there could be testing of the clothing for um, nitrite or lead. Okay. And then also testing that firearm um, with the, the same ammunition. Yes. And that's not something your office does, though. That's correct. Okay. All right. Thank you so much, doctor. All right. Now, if you, if you look at the... Um, by the lectern, they have a monitor there as the next defense counsel walks up. This woman, she'll walk up and then she'll turn and look back and you'll see on the monitor on her table here, uh, I'll show the autopsy photo. Dr. Gerald, let's start with kind of a Right there. Okay, here we go. I mean, come on, folks. <laughs> oh, come on, Loncock. The weapon may or may not have been positioned. The trajectory that you have testified about, could that also have been caused if the shooter was standing above a person that was either kneeling or on his hands and knees? Oh, yes. Okay. And when Ms. Moss showed you this, this report in a document and you read that one of the effects of cocaine is risk-taking. Did you know that before, or did you just read the report? Uh, this was not something I recollected from before. Okay. Hmm. And does this report also say that part of the effects could be euphoria? <laughs> uh, yes, I believe so. Yeah. But you didn't write this report, right? Wow. That's correct. And the person who wrote it, um, let's see, what was her name again? Ms. Beerley, I think. Jolene Beerley who actually did the testing and the result. Did you ever talk to her about her report? No. Or how she conducted her tests? No. So you don't know anything about the way it was tested or the result? The state is now impeaching their own medical examination report. <laughs> <laughs> results, correct. I mean, about the way that she obtained the results. Um, I am familiar with the method of testing, but wow, it's not something that I could perform myself. And you don't know what kind of quality control was used or if there was quality control other um, than by hearsay. Isn't it true this whole medical examination report could suck? It's <laughs> <laughs> possible. I don't know. No, I only know that they're a board certified laboratory. Excuse me. Have you ever heard the term functioning alcoholic or functioning addict? Um, sure. Oh, what is God. That's really where um, we're would going. Mean that there is a, a person who might. We went pretty quickly from we don't want to mention that he was an alcoholic to hey, being an alcoholic is a good thing. He was functional. <laughs> oh <my laughs> goodness. To have normal behavior, um, but have systems in their or have substances in their system. Okay, so I guess so the question, the follow up question to that would be. You don't know what effect, if any, the amount of substances that this report indicates was in Mr. Adiola. You can't testify to what, if any, effect it had on his behavior on the night of February 29th, 2020, correct? That would be correct. And were any of the results of the toxicology report, were any of those results 
did any of those results factor into your determination of cause or manner of death? No. Did the... Um, well, of course, the cause of manner of death are not legal conclusions. So, so what? Say it right. The fatty liver. Was it fatty liver disease? Fatty liver changes. Oh, you know what it is. <laughs> Did that contribute to his death that night? No. Thank you. Nothing further. You may. I think she can be excused. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Let's take a uh, 10 or 15 minute break at this time. All right. All right. So I am going to prep this for after the break, then I'll pause it. We'll see if anything's come in on the chat that needs to be addressed. Uh, let's see, next witness, next witness, next one. There's the judge. There's the next witness. And this looks like it'll be the uh, the final witness of the day, probably. At this point, we're six and a quarter hours into a, a seven-hour uh, stream. And I think at that point, folks, when we wrap this witness up, and I'm going to go th fast through this one, um, I think I'm going to call it a day, and I'll cover today's proceedings and a live stream tomorrow. I started some seven hours ago this today so uh, but what would be great christina if i could ask you to do me a favor i'd like to hit the restroom could you talk about what you do on your yes. channel your all that kind of stuff for just a couple yes, minutes I and sure I'll can. all right yeah hi everybody um you all can check out my channel it is radix verum I do all kinds of stuff on my channel. I cover all kinds of different topics. Sometimes I live stream trials. I did that during the um, Darrell Brooks trial, not every single day, uh, because I was covering two different trials at the same time. I don't know if you guys are familiar with the um, the Michigan, uh, how, how do I word this? The Michigan Gretchen Whitmer kidnapping plot case. So that, that case was tried federally, and then there was a retrial, and then there have been several state cases that have spun off of that. So at the same time the Brooks trial was going on, that one was going on too, and I was trying to go back and forth uh, between the two. So I didn't follow one um, the entire time. But that's the kind of thing I like to do. I like to make my commentary on stuff like that. The Michigan case in particular, if that's something that you guys are interested in, while it doesn't involve use of force, uh, it involves civil, civil liberties and um, innocent people being framed for something that they didn't do, which I think is really important, guys. Uh, the argument that the defense made in that case was that th they're um, clients were entrapped by the FBI and the evidence that came out showed that there was a lot of government misconduct. You know, the FBI used like 12 informants to undercover um, FBI agents and they tried to basically get these guys to uh, make a plan uh, to kidnap Gretchen Whitmer. The things that came out uh, at that trial were egregious uh, with FBI misconduct. The three lead agents in that case did not testify 
because of that. So that was something that I have been covering and that I'm working on a documentary on. So hopefully the documentary will be out in maybe a year or so. I'm working with one of the guys who was acquitted after he spent 18 months in prison. So that's the kind of stuff I do. <laughs> All right. No, no. <laughs> I don't think she takes money for feet pics, guys. I don't, but I don't know. No if she's, you know, feet. Stop asking okay. for feet. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, he thank you very much crazy. for that. That was a big help. Unlike Nick, yeah. I don't just keep like a big five-gallon jug under the desk, folks. Some some of us have to actually go no. use a restaurant. <laughs> we don't want to know about that. I have to head out myself. I've got to go uh, get dinner started. But thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. I think it's fun watching this stuff. Because I think people need to realize that there's this perception um, that people have from like popular culture about these court cases, right? They believe CSI and law and order. And they think that like the government is or the state is always right in their, the way that they do things and no one ever gets anything wrong and that forensics are perfect and a perfect science. And that's not true at all. The uh, p innocent people go to prison a lot more than you would like to believe than I think we would all like to believe. And uh, I want people to understand that like everybody is just a regular person, just like you or me. And sometimes they make mistakes. It isn't perfect. It's not a TV show like you think it is. And I think your audience knows that though. I think they're aware it's of that. It's a very imperfect machine for sure because it involves yeah. human beings and human beings are imperfect. There's no way to get around it. That's right. Well, Christina, thanks a ton for joining us. I really appreciated you having, uh, yeah. having you here. Here, what time zone are you in? But you're in the U.S. Yes, I'm in Northern Virginia, so I'm in Eastern time zone. North Virginia. Yeah, Northern Virginia. So I'm uh, right outside D.C. Oh, in the Beltway area. All right, all right. Yeah. Well, yeah, it is dinner time for you for sure. So uh, yes. enjoy yourself. Thanks for coming on. You'll be welcome anytime. You'll you'll get more invitations oh, from me. Uh, uh, you're just awesome. part of the group now. I send invitations too. So if you can ever make it, you're welcome. If you can't make it, uh, no offense will be taken. Uh, it's whenever the, uh, the your schedule and interest aligns. We'd uh, love to have you on anytime. All right. Thank you so much. Bye, guys. Okay. Bye-bye. And then there was one. <laughs> Back to just me. All right, folks. Let me uh, pull this up. We'll wrap up yesterday's testimony. And uh, I think I'll just do a live stream uh, tomorrow, uh, schedule permitting. I have to talk to my wife and uh, see what she might have planned for Saturday. But if Saturday's open, that's what I will plan to do and then we'll all be uh, be all caught up for uh actually following live starting on um on monday we'll see be interesting when the state rests what happens there whether there'll be a, a judgment of acquittal uh which i'm sure absolutely certain the uh the uh, defense will go for uh but which is almost never granted by the trial judge um, but we'll see this, this might be one of those unicorn cases where things end as soon as the, uh, uh, the state rests and, uh, the defense doesn't even have to present a case. Are you? Good afternoon, ma'am. Can you please state and spell your name for the court reporter? Sure. My name is Jennifer Otto, O-T-T-O. And where do you work, Ms. Otto? I am employed at the New Mexico Department of Public Safety Forensic Laboratory in Santa Fe. Okay. 
And what do you do for the New Mexico Department of Public Safety Forensic Laboratory? So my current position is as the biology and DNA unit supervisor. Um, so that involves a few key roles, not only supervising the other DNA analyst employees, you know, doing performance evaluations, ordering uh, grant management, that sort of thing on the administrative side. I am also, and have been for the last 10 plus years, the DNA technical leader, which is a position that is required by the FBI quality assurance standards for DNA testing laboratories, where I oversee all of our protocols, validations of new techniques, training of new employees, um, our proficiency testing program, and overall our general quality assurance program within the DNA unit specifically. In addition to those, I also am a caseworking analyst, which means I process and test and analyze uh, evidence that is submitted to the laboratory for, for forensic DNA testing. Thank you, ma'am. And how long have you worked there at, New, we'll just call it NMDPS? Uh, I have been employed there for 15 years, actually, as of today. Happy anniversary, or Thanks. not. <laughs> um, what are your, you told us a little bit about your caseload. Um, are those your typical duties, or do you have any additional? Yes, between those three roles as the supervisor, the DNA technical leader, and a caseworking scientist, that encompasses all of my uh, roles and responsibilities within our laboratory. Okay. Um, in your role as a caseworking analyst, how many samples do you test a month? Oh gosh, in a month, that's kind of hard to say because it does ebb and flow with my other responsibilities. But I would say at least within a year span, probably several thousand. How many do you think you've tested in your entire career? Um, in my entire career, I'm easily in the tens of thousands of samples. So um, let's start talking about your education. What degrees do you hold, ma'am? I have a bachelor's of science degree in biology from Texas Lutheran University and a master's of science degree in forensic genetics from the University of North Texas Health Science Center. And what education specifically is required to do DNA analysis? So to be a qualified forensic DNA analyst, there are a couple of things that are required per those FBI quality assurance standards. One is that you do have to have a bachelor's degree in a science-related field such as biology, chemistry, or forensic science. And you have to have certain coursework within your undergraduate and or graduate programs to meet the requirements. And that is coursework in genetics, biochemistry, molecular biology, and statistics or population genetics. Is there also an on-the-job training portion? Yes. Uh, any new employees that have not previously been a qualified forensic DNA analyst are required to go through at least six months of training as per the FBI quality assurance standards before they can do independent casework. Okay, ma'am. And um, can you tell the jury about the lab where you work? Is it an accredited lab? Yes, the New Mexico DPS Forensic Lab is an accredited laboratory. We are accredited by an agency called A2LA, which stands for the American Association for Laboratory Accreditation. And what this means is that this external third-party organization comes to our laboratory and inspects all aspects of how we perform our work, from how we hire individuals, their training and qualifications, our procedures, how we document things, everything that is involved in the administration of a forensic laboratory, to make sure we're meeting not only the FBI quality assurance standards for specifically the biology and DNA lab, but there are international standards that we have to follow throughout all of the sections of the laboratory to be an accredited laboratory. And um, how often do these reviews take place? Uh, these external assessments happen every two years. Are there also internal audits within your lab? Yes, when we are not having an external audit, such as we are about to have in about five or six weeks from this A2LA agency, the off years, we are required to do an internal audit of ourselves. Now this A2LA um, agency you said that does the audits, is that who ensures that you're also following FBI quality assurance standards? Yes, that is a secondary inspection of just the DNA unit. Um, but during that assessment, we will not only be assessed to those international standards that the entire laboratory has to follow, but our unit will be assessed to also the FBI quality assurance standards. Thank you, Ms. Otto. And now let's talk about the training you received specifically relating <laughs> to your work there at the New Mexico DPS lab. How long did you have to train before you were proficient to perform your own DNA testing? So because I came to New Mexico DPS as a qualified DNA analyst from my previous employment, my training was only a few months long to familiarize myself with this laboratory's uh, procedures and how we report things. 
Um, so mine was an abbreviated training because I came to this laboratory as an already qualified DNA analyst. Where did you work previously, Ms. Otto? Uh, for the four years prior to my employment here and after graduate school, I was employed by an independent laboratory <coughs> called Identigene in Houston, Texas. And do you have to take proficiency exams? Yes. Every qualified DNA analyst is required to take two proficiency tests every year. And have you passed all of your proficiency <coughs> exams? Yes, I have. As part of your training, what training did you receive on maintaining the integrity of DNA samples? Sure, so that's kind of the foundation of all the training that I provide to new employees and how I was also trained originally, where we have only one item of or excuse me, one item for examination open at a time to avoid cross-contamination of samples. I wear things like protective equipment, such as gloves and a face mask and a lab coat so that I do not contaminate the samples and the samples do not contaminate myself. I use things like bleach and disposable papers to change in between examinations to again, avoid cross-contamination and maintain that whatever is on the sample that I have received, that is the only DNA that I'm testing. Um, there are also different controls used throughout the entire testing process to help monitor for things like contamination and the integrity of the samples that I'm testing. And do other um, DNA analysts peer review your work? Yes, every report issued not only through our DNA section, but through all the sections of the forensic laboratory has to go through two different peer reviews. The first is a technical peer review where the other person has, is also qualified in that specific discipline. So should know all the procedures and controls that must be followed for that testing. And is looking for things like, you know, making sure that the conclusions in the report are supported by all the data in our notes and that kind of thing. The second review is an administrative review where typically it is another peer in that same uh, unit of the laboratory, but they're looking at things more like grammatical and typographical errors, name spellings, and checking the chain of custody before the report is even released to the law enforcement agency. Okay. Um, what continuing education requirements do you participate in? So all DNA scientists are required to have at least eight hours of continuing education every year. Um, this is usually fulfilled by attending nationwide conferences, but can be fulfilled through things like webinars and virtual training as well. And is that how you keep current on new developments or methods? Yes, that's correct. And are you up to date <laughs> on all of your continuing education requirements? Yes, I am. And are you currently a member of any professional organizations with forensic science? Yes, I am a member of the American Academy of Forensic Sciences. Do you ever collaborate with your peers um, or with other analysts to discuss your findings and casework? Yes, absolutely. Especially in my role as a DNA technical leader, that is my responsibility to assist um, my analysts with any questions or concerns that they may have with the results. Um, you know, consultation between myself and my analysts or between the other analysts happens on a daily basis. And it's just sometimes the results can be confusing or complex. And you want a second person's opinion to see if you're on the right track or maybe you should rethink something. And Ms. Otto, outside of performing um, casework and the duties that you mentioned as the technical leader, do you have any um, other duties? Well, I guess we already talked about that. Let's move on. Have you ever been qualified as an expert in court before? Yes, I have. How many times? I think it's over 100 times now. And were you qualified? what were you qualified as an expert in? Uh, usually it's in forensic serology and DNA analysis. Um, Your Honor, at this time, the state would move to qualify Ms. Otto as an expert in DNA analysis and serology. No objection. Nobody's qualified. Thank you, sir. All right, Ms. Otto. Um, let's start with the basics for the jury. What is serology? Sure. So serology is basically the identification of body fluids. So typically we're looking for things like blood, semen, or saliva. Is there also um, touch DNA as well? Yes. Touch DNA is basically where a person or an object comes into contact with another person or an object, and their DNA is left behind through the means of touching. So for example, if I were to touch my hand on this countertop, my DNA may have been transferred onto there by me touching that area. And so somebody could come behind me and swab that area where I may have touched to collect potentially my DNA off of that counter. So that's not necessarily part of serology testing because there is no test that we can use 
to identify just. So I predict that this testimony is going to be that she didn't find DNA here, did not find DNA there, did not find DNA in some other place, particularly on the rifle, did not find the victim's DNA in the rifle. But again, this is, this is very weak because absence of DNA does not mean there was no contact. Presence of DNA strongly indicates there was contact, but the reverse is not true. So again, this is, this is more the state raising possibilities as opposed to certainties or proof beyond a reasonable doubt. Touch DNA? but that's an aspect of our DNA testing that we encounter frequently. Um, so tell us what's DNA. What's, tell the jury what DNA is. So DNA is basically a blueprint for life. Each person inherits half of their DNA from their mother and half from their father. And it's this combination and differences that I'm looking for in my testing. No person is going to have the same DNA as another except for identical twins. Okay, and um, now let's talk about how you work a case. How is evidence brought in and stored? So evidence can be brought to the laboratory in two ways, either mailed to us through some kind of tracking service such as UPS or FedEx or some kind of uh, registered mail with the Postal Service or law enforcement agencies, agencies can bring it to us in person either at in Santa Fe is where our DNA laboratory is but we do have laboratories for chemistry testing in Hobbs and Las Cruces so they can either bring the evidence in person or mail it to us. And in this case how was the evidence brought to your lab? Uh, the evidence in this particular case was brought to us in person. Now um, how are you assigned a case? How does it work at the lab? So in our unit, I generally don't assign cases to people. It's whatever cases are next up in the queue, whenever an analyst is ready to pick up another batch of cases, they will go to the binders where we keep our cases that are still pending testing, and they will pick up another set of however many they are capable of working, um, and they basically will assign it to themselves. There are exceptions to that, but generally within my section, I don't assign cases to people. And in this case, who was the um, analysis initially assigned to? So for this particular case, it was assigned to a different analyst before I took over. Her name was Rosalind Archuleta, and based on a medical emergency, she had to be out of the office for an extended time that we didn't know how long she would be out of the mm -hmm. office for. And so I took over the case at the very end of the testing. And um, the portion that Ms. Archuleta had done, that would have been peer-reviewed anyway, is that correct? Correct. All of our cases go through those two peer reviews. So even if Ms. Archuleta had been the analyst that actually signed the report, um, it still would have gone through two other reviews. And did you review Ms. Archuleta's work? Yes, I did an initial review of everything.